Welcome to the spoiler section. I return for this is the Transfibers, the last night spoiler section. This podcast will not protect you. It will reveal every truth, every secret, every desire you have been warned. For Transformers 5, Transfivemers, the last night, planet of the Earth. Yeah, thank you for getting the title right. I wanted to make sure I did that. Uh, I'm joined by Seth. Hi. I'm also joined by Aaron. Hey. I'm also joined by TJ. Hey. And uh, we're all going to talk about Transformers 5. So uh, if you don't want any spoilers, then literally why did you push play on this? I don't understand. Um, If you're in the UK and you're waiting until like July for the movie to come out and you're just deciding whatever, then, you know, my sympathies. Uh... This is not a movie that you should also try to be spoiler-free for for, like, an entire month because it didn't come out at the right time in your country. Um, But uh, we have a Google Doc and everything. We're going to have a a run through this film, kind of just in segments. And uh, we're going to try to be as comprehensive with our thoughts as we can. But as always, uh, and maybe it speaks to our experience with the film, there may be pieces of the movie that we just forget to touch on. I found that that's not hard to end up doing when you try to talk about a film like this. Um, Things can kind of fall under the radar. But we got a list. So, to kick things off, uh, I wanted to start off with just what we all thought of the movie in like two to three sentences. And where you rank it among the five in the quintessonology. So, uh, Seth, uh, you go first. Um, I mostly liked it. And I I would have to see Age of Extinction again to say if it's equal to or less than. I don't think it's better than, but it could possibly be equal to uh, uh, Age of Extinction as being the best one. And uh, no, that's a point that maybe fits better later. I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. I was going to say something else. But... And uh, TJ, how about you? Uh, I actually wasn't happy with the movie. I felt it was more of the same. Didn't really try to do anything new. It felt predictable. And it's f- big, fun explosions, but also a lot of problems and a lot of things that I couldn't keep track of. So, and I, I don't know. Like, I just watched Age of Extinction, and I found, myself, I found I still liked it a lot more than I liked this one. All right. And uh, Aaron, how about you? Man, um, if you want a popcorn flick with explosions, it's really good. It has decent Transformers theming. Um, but I I think, I mean, my, my tweet that I put out right after I left is I really think that the Transformers team needs uh, editors uh, that know what editing is between script and just movie in general. But Who care what editing is? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it is, but... It, it's it need could stand to be much tighter. Mm. And where 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 do you think you put it in the uh, in the five? Man, the rough thing is I've not seen the rest of the movies to know probably in the the bottom bottom areas just because uh, like there's a lot of stuff in there 
and there's a lot of neat moments in there, but it still needs to be cohesive as a movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll we'll be talking about the editing specifically uh, after we go through a few segments because uh, I got I have I have an argument about the editing, although it's not necessarily in the movie's favor. Is how yeah, that other point, oh, that other point I was going to make, I I pulled back because I realized it would go better with the editing talk. Yeah, and I really want to focus on the editing because I think there is uh, there's stuff to say about that. Um, as for myself, uh, I felt like I had a good enough time, but I was also very let down because I thought there was an upswing on uh, on Age of Extinction compared to the first three, and I feel like that upswing was completely stepped back in every sense except for the robots actually talking. That was still great, but uh, a lot of elements I liked uh, seeing ditched in Age of Extinction came back in this movie in a way that left me disappointed. Uh, so I would rank it below Age of Extinction, but still above the original trilogy. Uh, and I don't want to go into it here. I had this re request come up, because I'm going to be cross-posting this onto YouTube. And uh, a couple people were like, please explain why you think the 07 movie is worse than Age of Extinction. And I don't think this is quite the platform for it, but that is uh, <laughs> definitely like a thing that seems to not be common among a lot of people, is I don't think the 07 movie is is the be-all, end-all of them. Um so let's uh, let's get into into this film because it it did open with uh, the King Arthur stuff. Yeah, it does uh, sound like I probably liked it the most out of us. I uh, I may be up there with you. I don't, I think it's just like the way that I talk about it sounds. I, when I listen back to myself talking about it in the vlog I put up, it sounds a lot worse than how I felt about it. Mostly because it's just like I I was so bright about Age of Extinction that I I just sound like a real bummer talking about this one. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna spend the rest of this time trashing the movie in a lot of ways so <laughs> it, it's a really low curve on on liking it the most <laughs> and uh, i'll throw it out there for those of you who want the the early uh the early get-go on this thing we this is not a podcast we record just to shred the movie to pieces um what we what? Uh, it's not <laughs> well that'll go back to breath of the wild jeez that that might happen but um, we we even going back to Revenge of the Fallen, we uh, we like to just discuss the movie. And if we do end up kicking it around a whole bunch, it's out of love. It's not out of us trying to craft sound bites. Um, and, you know, if stuff worked out, we're going to talk about what worked out. I did type Nitro Zeus in all caps for a reason. And it seems like Aaron's going to be the only one who's going to rain on that parade. So we're all good here. Uh, but that's that's two segments from now. First up, the King Arthur stuff. In medieval times, uh, the main thing I wanted to, to point out about this, I made a bullet point and everything, because it's the first thing that popped to mind. It's amazing how, in a medieval battle setting, they still figured out how to have tons of explosions happen in the opening battle scene. And I was like, how is this happening? And then I saw, like, oh, flaming catapults are causing, you know, your classic Michael Bay explosion and a crowd of people go cartwheeling away from the explosion scene. So this this also is something about about the directing of the movie, which is uh, Michael Bay looking like he's really just, like, sinking his teeth into into getting to direct stuff that he doesn't usually direct, like a medieval battle scene or polo. Um, except that, you know, in the medieval battle scene, it was still falling into some classic patterns of... of, uh, of just very similar shots to, to the large explosion scenes we've seen before. Um... But uh, yeah, you guys, uh, the the medieval battle that kicked things off, um, I thought it was okay. Uh, it, it didn't feel like it was really like crappy or anything. Like I, I thought it was fine. But how do you guys feel? Um, I think as so, we want to yet again tie back how Transformers have been around forever and get some Arthurian legend in there. Mm -hmm. That's cool. 
Uh, however, again, like most things, this it feels like it was really dragged out um, to just be long for oh, it went a while. sake. It went a while. You know, it, it, it could have been like bad stuff's happening. You see medieval fight and then you learn it's it's Merlin and Lancelot and Gawain and all those guys. And then, oh, we need Merlin. And then, OK, you can have Merlin be a drunk charlatan, not necessarily a wizard. He just happens to know these Transformer guys and can pinky swear that that he's kept it all a secret so that they can get the the, the thing and then have the giant dragon combiner thing come in and save the day. That could have been five to seven minutes, not the like 20 or so that it ended up being. Being 20 or so made it feel like, uh, stepping ahead a little bit, it made it feel like it was the end of another movie to me. Did yeah. it really mm-hmm. go on that long? Uh, it, it was. It was I know it went on a while, but it, it didn't feel like 20 minutes to me. Yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff in this movie went on not as long as it felt like it did. Yeah, uh, I mean, this, this, this was a like this was a shorter Transformers movie, but it is um, one where I did start feeling a little strained about sixty uh, percent yeah. of the way through, and it, I was surprised that I felt that 20, way. Twenty minutes is a gut feel. It, it may have been fifteen or so, but it definitely felt like each thing was. I'm going to drag this out. It, it felt like the like, set piece that ends a film to me. Yeah. Um, and it actually made me bummed out that it wasn't its own movie because I actually like the idea. I don't know how you guys felt. I would have been up for just watching a movie about 12 Transformers knights chilling with King Arthur and helping Merlin out and then like helping Merlin become a better person. And then that's the end of the movie. Like, <laughs> And it couldn't yeah, and have been much for, worse for the... than that King Arthur movie that just came out a couple months ago. <laughs> Boom. It would have been and, just and as accurate the... to the legend. <laughs> <laughs> For the idea of we want to have these other Transformer movies that aren't the real movies, like that would be a cool place for it to go. Yeah, and I feel like they can't do that now because they they it was the Stanley Tucci Merlin scene. By the way, I didn't know that was Stanley Tucci till the movie was over. Um, but that scene where he's like kind of pouring his heart out to the to the that that red knight and like going like you know I'm a screw up but I want to do what's right. I was like, that's the end of a character arc I would have really loved to watch. Yeah. But now I've seen mm-hmm. the end of it. And I'm not interested in watching it now. <laughs> well, I was kind of digging that whole scene because even though it was like very explodey and Arthur and his knights had like armor that looked a little too technology ish. Um, I, I was kind of like thinking, oh, maybe Michael Bay should do a medieval war movie. And because like there's some good look to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Merlin comes riding along and just starts having corny dialogue and it's like well maybe i'll just have another quick little nip and then he chugs like half a bottle of booze and then it was just like oh well now it's getting the bad part of michael (laughs) bay and so i i was like taking notes in the theater and just my my one note for that whole scene was there's too much corny stuff in the medieval scene Hmm. where it's just like i wish they played it a little more straight and like it's, well, with Merlin, like everything else was straight mm-hmm. and I was actually digging it, like I said. And then it's just like, oh, I'm corny Merlin. Hey, look at me. I got a big, crazy nose. <laughs> That's probably why nobody recognized him as Stanley Tucci because he was hiding <laughs> under a big, crazy nose. <laughs> 
thought the weird part about the Merlin stuff was that we spend the rest of the movie talking about Merlin in reverence, like he was this great guy. And no, he was a drunkard who talked a Transformer into fighting for him. Well, it's the way the legend built afterwards. Oh, oh, I, I'm perfectly, I'm perfectly aware of this, but it's weird for me <laughs> as an audience member to have seen how awful he was and then go, oh, I guess he's supposed to be great. Okay. Yeah, the the way that they they also kind of you know they parsed out not you know most of that stuff was up front in the movie, but they still had a few little flashback scenes here and there, and I almost wonder if it would have been worth like it wouldn't have like fixed everything, but if it would have been more effective to have the reveal that Merlin was actually a, a total fake um, happen closer to the back half of the movie, um, like build him up as his thing to revere and stuff, you know, oh, and you're a descendant of Merlin, then you find out like. Dude, dude was a liar, and he just got a DNA coded transformer stick, and like that was it. Yeah, maybe show Arthur and the other knights trashing on Merlin, like not being legit, and then he shows up with the dragon, and eh. then later flash back to him being like, "I'm just a loser. Give me sticks." Right, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and, and maybe it would have been cool to run like you know, um, like not a full movie, but like a short film of the King Arthur stuff concurrently with you know the story they were telling in this, the main story they were telling. To have you know the fact that we saw what felt like the end of the King Arthur story, maybe have that happen at the end, and like I don't know, it might have been cool to to run it as a concurrent story. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I liked the look of that, of that scene. I agree with you, Seth. Like it had, it had some, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, a striking auteur kind of moment, but it had like a good solid, like, you know, it's the Saxons and the Britons having a big fight, uh, kind of look. Uh, I liked, a, I liked a lot of those, like they, they had some people who looked like characters, like, you know, the barbarian dude with the, with the axes or whatever. Uh, yeah. Really made me kind of because I knew I was like, well, this is all this is this movie's version of you know the 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 squid people showing up and making the dinosaurs go extinct in the last movie, <laughs> except that I really want to see more of this story and I know I won't. <laughs> yeah, well, like one thing I kind of noticed was there was a couple black dudes mixed in on that scene, mm-hmm. and I had just so what was it last week on Doctor Who? Um, they go back to the the time in british history when the romans were were all over the place fyi and, i guess spoilers on doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's the point of the whole episode am i giving away the end yeah. and there were a couple black roman soldiers in that scene and i was like huh i'm gonna read about this and a, apparently the romans brought like a lot of black soldiers into the british isles mm-hmm. so it, it's not just let's just throw some diversity in there for no reason <laughs> which is which is cool like i like i never knew about that like that was a little bit of history that i was completely unaware of i guess there was a roman um um governor in england of, that was from africa for a long time that that was another part of that opening scene that again made me bummed out it was only an opening i was like you even did like some decent casting here and like king arthur sounds like a dude who could have put on a really good story arc about himself and the the people mm-hmm. you got playing the knights all seem real solid. <laughs> and then, like, there, there was even the bit when, like, uh, Excalibur, like, shimmered. And I was like, oh, Excalibur is a Transformer sword. Okay. Um, this all would have been great. Um, and then, uh, also, the, the Knights of Iacon. Uh, the, the 12 knights who all merge into, into Dragonstorm. Immediately, like, it's kind of like somehow the movie knew that I was all excited about, like, oh, man, two knights combine into that dragon. And the movie's like, well, I could do it bigger. 
12 <laughs> of them combined to the dragon. Uh, With incredible mass shifting, because those 12 dudes weren't as big as that dragon. No. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, they all get feathery out in the wings. There's like half of a guy's arm is each wing. I, I felt like there was, for how much this movie referenced other movies, I almost was like, this would have been a great way to kind of work the, the transformium transformations everyone hated in the last movie into the lore a bit more because they, they kind of mm -hmm. did that transformation to turn into the dragon where they just sort of exploded into metal dust um which also oddly helped explain the look of the dragon more because in all the stills and trailer shots i was like not really feeling how that dragon looked like he was just like made of magnetically attached shards uh mm -hmm. and then like knowing he is 12 dudes literally merged together like somehow made that make more sense to me oh one thing with the dragon um that it's just like something that they do in these movies that they just keep doing is so when the dragon comes swooping in on the battle he goes crashing and rolling across the ground yeah and it's like <laughs> just why do transformers take out everybody that's how you yeah fight. and then yeah and the, well to skip ahead a little bit just briefly grimlock does that too he jumps out of nowhere and then just flops on the ground yeah. and does a roll yeah <laughs> like when 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 he did that in one of the trailers i thought he took a hit like he was in the middle like losing a fight not, well, not yeah. no this is an intentional no, combat yeah. roll yeah that's cybertronian martial arts is to just <laughs> yeah. slam roll on the ground and roll across everybody that's yeah, one, like, th uh... one thing i took away from like Reven like age of extinction i just rewatched. Uh, i saw hound doing combat rolls against humans I'm like why <laughs> oh, yeah you just if they're squishy and smaller than you, you just roll your weight on them and you know peel them off after you're done he wasn't even doing that <laughs> well, like, i have to position my chain gun about 20 feet to the right hang on tumble scorn uh in dinosaur mode in the last movie was doing the rolls as well but at least he had spikes all over his back like when i saw grimlock doing it i was like you, you i was like you just literally look like an idiot and then also <laughs> that was the last time grimlock appeared in the movie he rolled he rolled down over some trucks just kept rolling and it just kept rolling until he didn't appear anymore. He just rolled his just way out of rolled the off screen. Yeah, he was like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, I'm excited for the upcoming episode, or season of Game of Thrones when Daenerys comes swooping in on the Lannister <laughs> army and barrel rolls her dragon across the battlefield and kills herself. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, it's a great way to take what's a cool moment and just like make it, make it not even fun comical. It's just like, no, I thought that was cool, but then you made the dude do like an idiot thing, and now I can't. I'm, I'm out of this moment. <laughs> she comes swooping out of the clouds. Do a somersault. <laughs> Winter's coming. No. Nah. <laughs> And then the thing is, that's how winter always beats the dragons, is the dragons go rolling right into the snow and then just, you know, keep rolling and then they're stuck in the snow. They're a giant snowball. Uh, the one thing about the Knights of Icon, there's a couple of things, but the first thing I want to point out is, like, one of the toys actually appeared directly in the movie. Skulletron was totally in the movie. And uh, I, I don't know why that made me happy, but it did. Um, he, he wasn't all that great. He kind of just, like, pitched himself off of a cliff inside the ship after a while. <laughs> um and I, I like i don't even think he actually died i just think he fell off that thing and just like you know took a tumble fell asleep again like it didn't seem like any of the knights actually died given that later on in the movie they still formed into that dragon and i think there were supposed to be 12 of them there 
Um, I kind of wish that they had had, like, specifically Skeletron come wandering back up top of the ship when uh, Optimus Prime's turning all good again. He's just like, who's looking for the staff? And all the other knights are like, all right, Skeletron, cut it out. No, 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 no. He's cool. He's cool. His (laughs) eyes change color back. That's how you know. Like, I I, kind of started doing that thing where I build a character in my head that's not on screen of, like, Skeletron is just, like, the scum knight. Everyone hates him. They're like... Like, he's the one who calls himself Skulletron, and they're like, you just never go to the dentist. You never go to the doctor. No, your, your name is Steve. Greg. <laughs> we don't why, know why it, it became a, a name on Earth, but Greg, man, just... Why was Greg the name in my head, too? I don't know. Do you guys know some, like, just scumwad called Greg? Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, just, yeah, we, just drippy face Greg with the exposed skull. A good old drippy face, super aggro... Greg, always trying to be an alpha on everyone, going like, I'll fight you, and he just falls over a chair. Uh, well, I, I had a moment of a little bit of confusion regarding the knights, because I had gotten the impression in Asia of Extinction that the Dinobots were knights. So there's that, too. But then Quintessa, like, <laughs> refers to these 12 as her guardian knights or something. Yeah. So I guess they well, were a different like, category. uppercase K and lowercase K knights? Yeah, well... Well, I mean, yeah, then I just assumed, like, well, I guess the Dinobots were knights, but these guys were, like, the Royal Guard knights. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely an incredible, like, again, this movie made some real weirdly specific, accurate references to previous films, but also, like, completely just skipped over the part where knights were brought up two or three years ago in the last movie. Because, like, Optimus, like, got a knight sword, and the Dinobots are all knights, but they're not the right knights. Yeah, and some very specific references to the past movies, and I think a couple things that kind of break continuity or clutter continuity at the same time, but like that kind of comes up later, so I don't want to jump yeah. too much around. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys, because this, this, I didn't think this was the case, but it was a decent suggestion that someone brought up to me, which is, you know how the first night we see, there's like specifically a like solid red knight that seems to be in charge? Do you guys think that was supposed to be Scorn? Because Scorn also has his own new toy in the new toy line, and he's red still. Like, do you think that was maybe like some weird attempt to tie things up? Possible, I suppose. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember because didn't Scorn have like the frog head helm? Yeah, um, like, yeah I can't yeah. remember if that one did or not. I, I never got a good look at that one's head. Um, well, in that whole scene with Merlin, he never really saw him. The head to toe. Yeah, you mostly saw like his legs. Um, it's the scene with Optimus on the roof of the ship. I think you might be able to get a good look at him. Yeah. Um, it's just there is a, a weird coincidence, uh, you know, merging of coincidences there. Because like, otherwise, why are they making a brand new bright red scorn toy in this toy line? Like, it makes it makes no sense. It, it makes less sense than Berserker yeah. being in the. And why line. is he the only knight that's not just gray? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I did really like the knight designs, though. I think that they were uh, they were really cool uh, in that they had so many like dome like and smooth surfaces. It was like a good matching aesthetic to European knight type stuff. But it also was a great break from what usual movie robots end up looking like, even now that they're getting a lot tighter and a lot less um, monstrous. Uh, it was a cool change of pace. And I, I kind of wish we'd, we'd spent more time with them before they exploded into a giant dragon. Um, there's one more thing I almost brought up, but that is in the next segment. Anything else about the King Arthur stuff you guys want to talk about? No. 
I was more or less just impressed that they got an explosion in within two seconds. Yeah, I was I was laughing. I was like, of course you did. <laughs> uh, well, let's move into the next set main setting, which is the alien DMZ, the junkyard. All the stuff that is off limits and being patrolled by Terminator robots that don't belong to the Transformers. Um, Sentinels, they were called. I missed that part. Yeah, like after they get attacked, like when they cut to the army men, one of them's like, we have two Sentinels down. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I did not catch it at all. I uh... And then I imagine some suit at Marvel folding their arms and going, harumph. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're like, th- oh, it's thought... X-Men, who cares? <laughs> I, th- I thought it was someone from Metal Gear Solid 4 crying ripoff. They were such Metal Gears. Um, there, there were, yeah, there was some weird Metal Gear stuff attached to the TRF, just as far as their equipment. Like, all those little, little uh, unmanned drones, like, but they're unmanned drones that can also do hand-to-hand combat with people by, like, just running into them. Um, the TRF occupation of that area, there was, I got, like, uh, not, like, huge mixed messages. I just found, like, the tone of it really odd because they kept framing those Sentinels as, like, these might kill the kids. But I was like, surely, surely the the, the TRF is not supposed to be presented as, because, you know, with Lennox running them and everything, I'm like, surely they are not, they're not expecting me to believe that, like, Lennox turned on all these robots. I was like, oh, just shoot anyone. Shoot whatever moves. Yeah, and that whole thing, like, so I can understand that the area of destruction in Chicago is... So that was Chicago? Yeah, I think so. It was supposed to be. Yeah, that's that's what's okay. implied because she says later on that like what happened to her family was Chicago yeah. missile family was home. I wasn't. Yeah, they so, showed a sports arena in those establishing shots, but I do right. not know sports arenas well enough. I I don't either, but I'm going by Battle of Chicago. She said yeah. Chicago, so I can get that that is a a um, a, a shutdown area. Look, we've closed this off. It's whole lot of buildings are damaged there's all this fires are still burning three years later yeah (laughs) fires are still like randomly farting out flame well that that transformium burns a long time a few years later regardless why do we now have metal gear looking things actively patrolling this area with like a fire on site style or oh we're looking for a badge oh we can't identify a badge i don't know light them up yeah, it's like what? No, you saw that there were like five kids that you even said like five feathers, which I assume is so that you don't say children to make it sound like no, no, no. We're just shooting at feathers, but like, why do you have all of this firepower? Unless you're making it some like District Nine style. No, they all stay in there. In which case, just have everybody standing around making sure. Yeah, it, nothing gets in or out. It felt like it was being presented as <clears throat> as a containment zone, and and so I, I just got this weird message from it where I'm like, okay, it's a containment zone, but you're like also sort of just walking around shooting anyone that's inside of it because you also don't want them to be there. And, and this was supposed to be um, presenting the I don't even remember his name, the the other TRF guy who doesn't trust the Transformers and then right. never had a story arc. Uh, this was supposed to be his like establishing character moment of like he d- he distrusts them so much that he's gonna kill Canopy, uh, except yeah, it just be- made him look like an idiot. Like yeah, yeah, because at first he's like, oh no, there's kids. We like hold back. Kids are danger close, and he seemed worried about the kids. 
until he just decided Canopy was attacking the kids. Yeah, like, he, he, right. said, he said according to the motion, like, oh no, it's turning around and, and walking towards the kids. Kill it! And I was like, I see the scene you wanted to do, but this was, like, sloppy. Like, <laughs> this is just more confusing and, like... Yeah. And there, there was that bit of narration that referred to the TRF as a paramilitary group. But that seemed muddy, because like, Lennox was there, but then later I started getting a feeling that he was more affiliated with Morshower, yeah. and then TRF yeah, is answering like, and following military order, like, U.S. Yeah, Army orders. I'm like, like, they had, Morshower had that line of, like, stay embedded with them, and I wasn't sure if that's, like, stay with them undercover or stay yeah. with them as you're the liaison until later when it seemed more like he was just a liaison yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. It seems really weird that he would be an inside agent considering he's known to be like one of the two or three humans on the planet that are actively with the Autobots all the time. Yeah. And yeah. he also seemed to be in charge, which is the other thing that because I, I thought they were going to present it as a power struggle between him and other guy who hates Transformers. It's Santos. Then, Santos. Yeah, him and Santos. But then Lennox was straight up giving all the orders. And I was like. Well, now there's no power struggle. He is literally in charge of the guy who hates Transformers. Yeah, so. there could have been more of a story of Santos was in charge of that group. But once Lennox is from the army, he outranks him. Yeah. And because it, it seemed like they wanted to do some sort of like Blackwater type type of a thing, but without getting into all that dirtiness. So... I don't know. It was just muddy. Like, there's a lot of muddy details in all of these movies. And that kind of plays into the point that I'm saving for later. But it's it's just messy and confusing. And and then what happened to Nest? Like, why weren't they just Nest? I guess Nest doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) That's what I kept wondering is why, like, okay, we have Sector 7, then Nest, then Cemetery Wind, and now the TRFs. Like, every time we have one of these movies, like, everyone, all the experts get fired, and they bring in a whole bunch of new people so we can do the same military story arc again. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think, like, I think, if I remember right, and I might be completely wrong, it might not have been in the movie, but something attached to Age of Extinction was trying to imply that with the formation of Cemetery Wind and trying to hunt down Decepticons and just make the Autobots all live on, like, you know... In, in one little lot or something like nest was also disbanded um but it was a very throwaway type thing that's super easy to forget and the movie never made a deal about it again because you never saw lennox or epps again who were the main you know nest characters and then yeah having lennox back and never mentioning nest is also like all he does is like hey b you know me and i'm like okay <laughs> i mean he does i guess <laughs> um but uh, this this sequence is also our introduction to who i thought and I was looking forward to seeing as one of the main characters of the film, Isabella. Um, and then not so much looking forward to it, her pal squeaks. And then I was curious about her friend, Canopy. So Canopy, so this is the thing. Isabella, I thought, uh, in this section of the movie, was su- super cool and, like, totally fine. But also hell of rushed. Uh, it, we, we barely got to know her before she had her tearful goodbye with Canopy, who said, like, I just want to thank you for everything. And, like, it felt like they were trying to stuff a backstory together in and have, like, an inciting incident and everything in, like, five minutes. And uh, I was, that gave me my first moment of, like, 
is is this actor going to get screwed out of having a big part in this movie because that feels like something that should have happened 20 minutes from now when we get to know her situation and who canopy is and everything um squeaks also by the way i don't think there's much to say about him because you know who is barely in the movie who is also like the main like kid friendly robot that they're selling an entire electronic toy of is squeaks and he's barely in the movie at all yeah i didn't expect much from squeaks going into the movie and got even less yeah, than what yeah. i thought they were gonna do yeah. with them um yeah my notes say poor man's r2d2 <laughs> and not even like barely <laughs> yeah well, well, and then, I... well then i was thinking it's also messed up because isabella like twice is crying about canopy getting killed and makes reference to having nothing left and no family and then squeaks is right there next to her she's like i got nobody left and squeaks is like oh all right slowly turns around slowly drives away uh by the way you know who never transformed squeaks yeah um well and she does that twice and then what could have been Squeak's great moment, and it kind of was like his little moment, like near the end, jumping way ahead. She tells him, "You go do it. You're small and ugly. No one will notice." <laughs> so my crowd laughed at wow, that in, in like she, a very uncomfortable way. Yeah. She hates <laughs> yeah, Squeaks. He's, he's he's dumb and little and only been by her side the whole time. Yeah, go die. Like I think someone behind us. I could have sworn someone when she said "ugly," there was like a perfect comic beat, and someone behind me was like, "What?" <laughs> look around squeaks everyone here is like a model and you're just this you're ugly disgusting. little pile of garbage <laughs> no one's paying attention to your disgusting visage they won't even shoot at you they'll think you're debris yeah. all right yeah. so with, any, with any luck you'll be killed in the explosion too <laughs> uh and yeah later in the movie my perception on isabella certainly changes and this is mostly it's more of the movie's fault than anything else but in this opening segment uh, they were setting up this this cool character of this orphan girl literally living in the alien DMZ, collecting wayward Transformers who have fallen to Earth and have no home, and creating a little family out of them. This is such a good idea. I'm going to say something I just said earlier. This could have been a real cool movie all by itself. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, uh, and the part, this is where the movie first made me go like, oh no, is when, you know, skipping ahead a bit, like she and all of the age of extinction bots all just get abandoned by the movie for the most part when Cade goes to England. It's like, all right, so Isabella, we've just accepted you into into our family. Okay, family, leave. Uh we're going to England and the movie's coming with us. And I was like <laughs> I was like, is this literally the last we're going to see of her in this movie? And then when mm -hmm. she shows up later, I was like, Alright, cool. Except when she shows up later, she's suddenly Matt Tracker's kid and T-Bob. Like, her role in the end of this movie is literally the 80s cartoon role of idiot kid and her cute sidekick getting into hijinks and blowing up a cannon. Mm -hmm. Well, my my girlfriend said that she thought Isabella and Squeaks were like Spritle and Chim Chim. Like, they're mm -hmm. not invited anywhere, but they're always hiding in the trunk. Yeah, and that's, they, that's, they pop yeah. Out. that's Matt Tracker's kid and T-Bob. Yeah, that, like, that literally is. Though I would argue T-Bob accomplished far less than Squeaks managed to do. It's yeah, true. well, T-Bob <laughs> actually turned into a scooter that, that yeah. could be ridden around. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was just like, I mean, the same thing almost happened with Optimus Prime. I was just like, there, there is a vehicle mode that they're supposed to be selling here, but I, I don't, I guess not, whatever. 
Um, but uh, Isabella as a character, so I, I thought, you know, let's leave out the part where she turned into Spridle and Shim Shim. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the opening of the movie, the part where I feel like she was actually being written for, you know, for her sake rather than because she appeared earlier. Uh, I liked the idea of the character a lot, and I thought that uh, the actor did a great job um portraying the character and like had some a little it was a little bit you know a little bit cheesy with with some of the the emotional moments but for you know a young actor i thought it was it was a pretty solid performance and it certainly didn't feel like it was being overshadowed by anything mark Wahlberg was doing um <laughs> to to i guess throw some shade on mark Wahlberg. uh so i i am hoping that we see some more of her in a future film Although part of that is because I think she got friggin' screwed out of having a meaningful role in this movie, um, and and literally abandoned by the movie, it was uh, it was unfortunate to see because I, I liked a lot of what was going on with her. I don't know about you guys. Well, so moving her from and all the characters from the DMZ to the junkyard, um, so. This is one of my constant pet peeves with all the movies is Michael Bay seems to have no concept or concern for the passage of time or geographical distance mm. because they clearly let you know that that junkyard is in South Dakota. So they drove from Chicago to somewhere in South Dakota with squeaks hanging off the bottom of one of the Autobots <laughs> and her hiding in the backseat of an open air Jeep. Mm-hmm. For what would have been a couple of day drive and nobody noticed them and she never got hungry or had to use the bathroom or anything. Well, there a bunch of can, there's a bunch of canned food under that blanket too. You know? I guess so. <laughs> or when Cade had to stop for gas, she like scurried off to the restroom and stole some beef jerky on the way back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The passage of time, I think it's because I'm, it's something about how I've been inoculated to this filmmaking style. I just don't even notice it anymore. I'm just like, okay, sure, they're in South Dakota. They teleported, I guess, space bridges. Um, but uh, what about uh, Aaron? Did you did you dig the Isabella performance at all? Uh, again, it's she, she did very well as as a young actress, and there is again, it's a case of like she could do well with story in there and build something. But so much of this is, Hey, here's an idea. Let's do this, this, this. What do we do with it next? Oh, throw it away. Yeah. Like um, if they gave we'll, her we'll more to do. Again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just that if they gave her something more to do, Hey, turns out, she her arms being smaller she you know because they he kate actually asks her you know what happens if you've got uh inner john leak going on and you know you got 30 seconds to to plug it and she's like okay well you take this you take this you cut it and you plug it into the uh the doohickey yeah the doohickey thing of a jig and then have something like that happen you could even had it happen when they're on the whatever that they needed their super fake Osprey looking helicopter quad rotor thing to blow up and everybody else hard lands. You could have had a transformer sitting there bleeding out. And instead of having her tell squeaks, look, you're ugly and dumb, go blow something up. If she instead runs over to one of the knights or maybe one of our, our hero Autobots and jams her arm up in there and gets whatever clamped off so that Hound can go on 
spouting one-liners that I'm sure that he probably recorded in his bathroom in well, that, a that, that day was, of ADR. That, that's where I feel VLA. like the, the, the back end of that movie was written and then went like, oh, they had another character at the beginning? Okay, add her in, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah it felt like a different would, writer. Because if she had more to do and was more impactful to the story past her really pretty good introduction, she easily could have been the best female character these movies have ever had. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, not a high bar to reach. I mean, she kind of well, still is. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did the exact same thing in Dark of the Moon, where it's like, oh, we, we do have a lead female. I guess she should do something in the finale. So she goads Megatron into the final fight. Yeah. That's ex- yeah. exactly the same usage here. Yeah. Um, she She really deserves a better shot with a better or not even a better script, but just a script where she is featured through the entire film. Um, yeah, I was, that was, I think if there was anything about the movie, I actually got mad about it was that because the, the promo material had me so ready to see a young character like, you know, and be a stronger young character who's in charge, not, you know, a Shia LaBeouf, Mm -hmm. but like an active stronger young character uh i was way into this and then and, they just ditched he- her <laughs> heck you could you could have even had her in europe yeah as as the counterpoint to the crazy doctorate professor whoever lady who's freaking out about transformers and then you have this cocky little 14 year old just like what's your problem come on this is the world move on with it like y- and you, you could wanna... have had a counterpoint there and had an excuse for it not just be like I don't know what we're going to write. Um, you you want to see a movie set me up to dislike a character immediately? Like this movie, it, for me, this movie set me up to dislike Vivian before she even appeared. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're going to occupy that role and you're going to be a garbage love interest out of nowhere. And you're also going to be like a, a horrifying pastiche of the last bunch of terrible female characters. All right. <laughs> By the way, Vivian has her own section, but it's after John Turturro our little list here um let's let's talk about marky mark mark Wahlberg, uh who's got like he sure got some hair and uh he now like owns a junkyard and an exploding town i think is how i took it yeah and that was more than a town because there were some really tall buildings in that town he seems to own an entire town and maybe halfway is the policeman in charge of the town I feel like he owns a junkyard and that just happens to be adjacent to an abandoned town or like a transform a former transformer battle site or whatever. I guess, yeah. And and I I really wish that the thing with him and the sheriff had been more than that like weird gag cuz like that that only made me go like, "Wait, why does the sheriff like does the sheriff know he's harboring a bunch of transformers and is kind of cool with it as long as they don't eat his car?" Like this is a little confusing, um, but uh, Mark Wal- Mark Wahlberg also had his story arc where, hey, surprisingly, they actually did have his daughter in the movie in voiceover. That's more than I was expecting. He kind of had this story arc mm-hmm. about wanting to stand up for her and stuff. Um, spoiler, he was the last night, I guess. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was in the movie throughout. He was our main character. He had, like, the story arc about being a, a dad who wants to do right even though he can't talk to his child. But then it kind of, like, 
metamorphed into this story arc about a single dad that is trying to find love again. And then it almost stopped being like, it almost felt like he then didn't have a daughter again at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a yeah. really weird arc that is it, like, because he is a character who persisted through the entire movie and the movie felt like, like you really felt the number of screenwriters involved. His character arc was, uh, was just like a pretzel to me. The Seth, you're, you're handsome. Yeah. Just between like the junkyard abandoned town area and the, the cordoned off DMZ zone of Chicago. And then his daughter, him being like this wanted fugitive and her just being a college student. It's like they painted this kind of weird what the world is at this point where it's like this weird mix of post-apocalyptic pockets of America. Yeah. While the rest yeah. of America is just life as usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, rich people still play polo, even though an alien might come in from space and crash right in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, the, the part, like, I, I kind of liked in the opening when they, they got around the constant need to introduce new Transformers with, I thought, a, a decent explanation of just like, well, the leaders have disappeared, and this is where most of them are, so the leftovers are just arriving here, because right. they don't know where else to go. And I was like, cool, you, you finally just did the glaze-over job you needed to do about that. And it makes, because I, 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 I am so tired of like they're secretly here in disguise i'm like i never like that beyond the pilot episode of a show for the most part so like i, I liked that we kind of did away with that finally in these live action movies like no they are around they just show up everyone gets freaked out by them and the government tries to blow them up i don't know um but yeah the pockets of post-apocalyptic again i'm like you know what it would have been a really cool movie <laughs> is a movie just about that uh I uh, I thought that uh, he, his performance was on par with the last movie, and that's what I'll say. Uh, I don't know how I feel about his performance as a performance, because he has like his moments, but then he also has his moments where it sounds like he's being allowed to improv, and then his voice gets higher pitched, and it gets like kind of <laughs> annoying. Uh, but uh, Aaron, what about you? How do you feel about Mark Wahlberg in this? Um. <sighs> Again, a good performance that needed direct, like, focused. Um, and it's the as as Cade Yeager. Okay, I understand what he's doing, what his directions are. The kind of overwhelmed guy that's trying to do his thing, but stay true to his people. But man, I I don't understand. But to tell Grimlock to eat all the the other cars, not the new ones. Yeah, there was a. I mean, he had this weird dad of all the robots character for about ten minutes in the junkyard, <laughs> yeah. which was like that was a character I actually was kind of getting into. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I, but then he leaves and he he just sort of ditches that and he doesn't even seem to command much respect over them afterwards that he commanded over them in the junkyard. And I'm like. I'm like, I liked this relationship where he's kind of, he's the, he's the one of all of you scumbags. He's the scumbag who's also a little bit smarter and more well-meaning. So he's the one who kind of keeps you all roughly together. Cause it's like, Hey, if you guys don't do what I tell you, you're going to wander out there and get blown up. And it's like, all right, like that's a cool, uh, right. that's a cool arrangement. Um, TJ, how did you feel about, uh, Kate Yeager in this one? I still really like him as a fit for these movies. 
Like, I still think he works as a lead protagonist for the humans better than Shia. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's more action star. He feels more in command when he's actually able to, you know, have that have those moments, you know, you know, well, like, you know, wielding pistols that can knock Transformers and Sentinels over and. I, I like that he still had all these alien guns, because uh, that was what I liked about him in the last one, is it wasn't the Transformers supporting the military. It was, <clears throat> here's our main character who just found a bunch of alien guns, and he is a character standing alongside the Transformers. Right. And and they kind of ditched that in this movie, which bumped yeah. me up. Yeah. Well, the last movie, yeah, the, the army was the enemy, so I guess we kind of had to tail back and you know do it the way we used to do it okay i guess we're working with the army again so friggin' bored during some yeah. of those scenes oh my god i got so sick of seeing generic shots of military suiting up yeah I, I, yeah do, do you know what i was so happy to not see in age of extinction was prolonged shots of here's the military because it's like they aren't robots the last movie at least whenever action happened it was robots this movie there was a whole fight scene of Cade fighting unarmed drones and there were decepticons outside Mm -hmm. and i was like i don't want to watch him fight unarmed military drones when i know there's frigging four and a half robots outside (laughs) (laughs) like that like that that and then um when they're in the submarine we have all these scenes of the trf in their dirigible thing and i'm like i don't care and then when they get onto the ospreys it even had that thing that the first trilogy would sometimes do where it's like you know, it's going to be so military realistic. Here's a character going like, all right, what do I pull? And when do I pull it? All right, put this strap on. I was like, I super don't care about any of this. Right. Like, and then like, what was it? Josh Duhamel's like, we're going to do a dead drop or something. I was like, I don't care. Just jump out of the plane, <laughs> jump out of the plane and then just fall, miss the planet and fall out of the movie. Cause you all are taking up space. You're up. You're, you are everything action wise. I was happy to see disappear three years ago and now here you are stinking up all of the runtime again um but that's just me i know there are people who enjoy that stuff <laughs> but no like I, I i like i like cade well enough in these movies mm. like I, I i didn't really have any problems with uh, marky mark's performance here did you guys think he had any chemistry with like you know the they were kind of building up like cade is gonna meet lennox but then i felt like they no. barely had no. anything no no yeah. no and do you guys think there wasn't even like Lennox being like, "Oh, you're the new guy"? Yeah, mm-hmm. like like Lennox yeah. and the TRF suddenly they kind of I... quietly just stopped being antagonists. They they had an argument over who was Optimus Prime's real best friend for a, a moment. <laughs> uh, and did you guys? So I got this impression: Josh Dommel and Glenn Morshauer felt like they absolutely didn't want to be there. Uh, in their performance and everything, the amount that yeah, they well, I screen. guess they're going to write another paycheck. We'll show up. I'm got to s- keep more shower in the movies. I'm so much more mad now that Tyrese Gibson didn't get into this film because it's like the ones who did looked like they didn't even want to be there, and Tyrese is the one who's like, "I'm so mad. I couldn't get my schedules to line up right." And then friggin' like you know, Josh Dommel is like, "Yeah, I know you, B. You know I'm not a bad guy. Put your weapons down." he just wanders off like <laughs> god i'm talking to tennis balls again <laughs> yeah. that uh, makes that little short feel that much more awkward mm-hmm. right <laughs> <laughs> uh seth i feel like you have a thought 
Yeah. Well, so, like, when Cade first rolls up on the scene and he's got his, like, awesome badass Jeep and comes blasting with space guns, um, it was almost like a, like a evolution of his character from, from the last movie to this, where it was it, it, not as dramatic, but almost like Sarah Connor from the first Terminator to Terminator 2, mm. where, like, now he's, like, this strapped badass and he's been fighting alongside and against transformers for however long it's been but then when they get to the junkyard and like you said he turns into transformer daddy then it's like oh well i guess never mind and like it's like it's almost like there's all these other movies that could have been where like with isabella Mm -hmm. in the dmz like it could have been isabella and cade in a larger cordoned off area like maybe the entire city of chicago is blocked off and not just a couple streets where it would have like more of a like a mad max feel to it yeah um that could have happened instead but it's like they try to do so much in any given one of these movies the 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 best summary of this film that i saw on twitter before i saw it one of the few things i caught it was so accurate uh i can't remember who said it now but it was like the movie felt like when you have a successful anime TV series and its first theatrical movie is attempting to just be the anime series cut into two and a half hours. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's what this felt like, except not done well. This felt like a summary of a really cool TV show I would have liked to watch that removed a lot of the really good character bits just so it would move. But then I would get bummed out because it's like, except there is no TV show and the scenes that I'm not seeing don't exist <laughs> yeah well that was that was the point that i held back on earlier was i had this feeling i'm like if this was a 10 episode series all of this would probably feel better because yeah. they could have explored some of these ideas more and brought in characters later and fleshed out some of these bits and like this felt like tv writers doing a good job and then whoever was in charge like taking their good bullet points and just like slapping them together as hard as possible until they, you know, fused into a two and a half hour thing. Um, Yeah. That was, uh, Alfie's line was along the lines of, as we were leaving the theater of it's like anything that went down on, uh, on the whiteboard. They're like, that's a great idea. Let's do this. That's a great idea. Let's do that. And would make for good again, would make for good, you know, for, hey, these are, okay, this is going to be episode one, two, this is going to be three, this is going to be four, this is going to be the flip and five, and instead it was just like, we're just going to keep going. And no bad ideas, no bad ideas, let's put it on the board, okay, this is what we're filming. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, what, some of it, some of it should be um, maybe trimmed back. It's like, no, he said no bad ideas, so all the ideas (laughs) are good, you can't take anything (laughs) off the board. And, and it's on film, or hd card or whatever now and we don't want to just throw it away so keep going yeah well another one of those ideas moving on to bumblebee who now can just explode and go back together and i guess (laughs) is immortal yeah Uh, somewhere jazz Jazz. is so pissed freaking jazz gets pulled in half and dies instantly bumblebee gets exploded and then like optimus prime like tore him to pieces as well And then even, this is the thing, when Optimus Prime rips him apart, he still slowly, you can see his parts, like, sucking back towards him and reattaching. And I'm like, all right, two action scenes. You guys have pointedly shown that Bumblebee can reassemble himself. 
and they never had they, they, it's not even that they never explained it nobody asked a single question about it mm-hmm. like other transformers were just like standing there watching him you know resurrect on the spot and they're just like yep yeah and every like, other transformer dies when their head is detached bumblebee just sprouts tentacles from his neck stump yeah yeah and and I was like, maybe they're going to make the Transformers more durable. But then Onslaught, he gets a leg cut off and his head cut off and he's dead. And I'm like, okay, like, what the hell is Bumblebee oh, they, now? They have to be formatted <laughs> properly in order to, to do that. So you got to gotta find that right code on the internet. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, because we had Frenzy in the first movie, got hacked to pieces and his head could still crawl around in final modes. Yeah. It's just with, with Bumblebee, it just was so pointed and on a main character. It's like you kind of have to say something, even a throwaway line of mm-hmm. like, good thing we installed those magnets or something like that. Uh, also, Bumblebee uh, apparently through the force of love was able to start talking again. Um, yeah. And someone mm-hmm. on my YouTube vlog said, well, you know, he did start talking again at the end of the uh, the first movie. And in the second movie, they had a line saying he just doesn't want to talk. And I was like... That only makes this even more confusing, given that they straight up did throat surgery on him in <laughs> yeah, this movie. Right. And, you know, for a Siri gag that I thought was legit kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, but And then he ripped the throat out and threw it on the ground. And then later on, you know, one face, like he had a... And he went back to voice clip movie sound, movie clips, without, like, going and getting his old voice box... And well, then he, dropped, and it, and it he talked been, again at the end when he dropped his one-liner that was kind of a second and a half too late. Like, sting like a bee. Yeah, and, and it would have been, like, even if you we had just seen, like, a flash of something off of the weird amulet sword thing towards Bumblebee so that then he can talk. And then you can be like, okay, it's Transformers magic. Or, yo, whatever. what if... The, what if when he sucked himself back together, what if that was thanks to the talisman yeah. that gets found and, like, you tie that together? Yeah. Maybe maybe now that Cybertron is so close to Earth, his old voice box was close enough to pull itself back into his body. He's like, it's close enough, I can get it to, to bounce, oh, I can echolocate. Now, now the magnet trick works. Yeah, it just quietly magnetized it back from Cybertron when it was in orbit. Um because uh, Bumblebee was way better. If there's one, like, there are some things this movie did that I liked more than how they were done in Age of Extinction. One of them was Bumblebee. Because in Age of Extinction, Bumblebee was kind of halfway in the movie and was just like scum. Um, in this movie, it felt like they remembered he's supposed to be at least vaguely friendly. And uh, I felt like Bumblebee. F- it felt like finally I cared about Bumblebee again after like five years of being sick of him. Mm-hmm. Um, like they they did a good job of of making him. Uh, like maybe because he has his own movie coming up too, but they made me feel like warmth about Bumblebee. Whereas in the last movie, I liked Stinger more. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I was happy about that. Uh, and, and some really cool set, like leaving out the part where we don't know how it happens. Uh, Bumblebee sucking himself back together was a really cool set piece as was, uh, him like transforming his arm out to shoot at barricade during a chase scene. Like that was cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so, like, Bumblebee had some things going on, and, uh, you know, maybe that is... I, I'm wondering if, like, if th- this is maybe going to less be, this is the new writer's room and what they're able to do, and more like, this was the writer's room, but the director was hard to work with, but maybe now they won't bring the director back and the writer's room can do more good things. I don't know. Or we have to start building Bumblebee up again, because we're going to do that solo movie. 
Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. Like, do you guys have any more thoughts on Bumblebee? Not really. I know it was cool. To, it was cool to see the dark side Bumblebee in World War Two. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was yeah. a cool design. Yeah. That. That. Okay. So the idea of Bumblebee in World War Two confused me a little bit because. The impression I got from the first movie is all the Autobots hadn't been there very long. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> but you don't see Bumblebee. Alfie actually made a good point. You don't see Bumblebee as one of the meteors. Yeah. I, I think even in like the comic books and things to flesh out that movie, they said, oh, he was the advanced scout. He was on Earth yeah. a long time before the others. All right. That and I think that's, again, something that could have done just as well as being told not being shown than being told like that yeah that the whole the whole flashback scene was it, it was simply money spent right uh they they could have had that poster the, the very cool looking poster that somehow we have these war propaganda posters with giant robots in it but everybody's forgotten about it and you could have just had that is bumblebee he he served in world war Two with the howling commandos or whatever the heck the name was i know howling commandos marvel not this also that, that, but, that flash sergeant rock yeah, that flashback <laughs> came on the back of Anthony Hopkins saying, "Last time I saw you, I was like, you know, two feet tall and a little kid." And then, like, the one thing you don't see in the flashback is a little kid, Anthony Hopkins, seeing right. Bumblebee. <laughs> right. Well, no, he was one of the Nazis. Uh oh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Well, yeah, and like they kind of explain that this secret society has been kind of helping hide the Transformers on Earth since King Arthur times, but. There was film and cameras and stuff in World War Two, and no one remembered. The, Look, you're the one that's always awesome sending me conspiracy theory robot. links. Come on, everyone who operated film was also a Wit Wiccan, at least briefly, and then they were all given a gold watch in their retirement, and then they were never seen again. But these posters were manufactured, apparently. Well, and then very quickly collected again, you know, and taken. You know, they, they took all the posters down. <laughs> They collected them all. <laughs> Grandpa keeps saying he fought with a robot in World War II. Well, he's senile. He doesn't know. What, yeah. He doesn't even know what day it is. He you also that, poops himself constantly. So I mean, right up, right up to what Aaron just said. All sounds like it could have been a scene in this movie. No, no, the pooping could have been a scene in the movie too. Come on. No, that's what I mean. Is it would have ended on the punchline oh. of well, he poops himself, and then you know the we had a guy in my audience. He was sitting right next to to Ian Hard Return. Uh, who was the guy this movie was made for. I've never heard someone laugh so loudly <laughs> at every single gag. Uh, even the ones that I think you weren't supposed to laugh at. There was this one guy who was just like... <laughs> and I was like, man, he I was bet... a plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of those friggin' Marvel fans. Um, it was It was pretty... It was interesting to hear someone who clearly was laughing when he was supposed to. Um <laughs> Sometimes you see these movies. <laughs> That's so weird in a Transformer movie. Because usually people are laughing at stuff they're not supposed to, like the, the emotional parts. <laughs> yeah, or like they're, or they're laughing uncomfortably at stuff like the Romeo Juliet scene, or don't worry, Squeaks, you're ugly, no one will care. <laughs> um, well, then the, there's another Transformer who I thought was in one of the nights. He's the guy who had the talisman. Uh, I thought for a second, oh, it's Steelbane. This is going to be so cool, but then he dies. Uh, and then the implication I got from the movie, because I had this discussion with some people, is like, you don't get Dragonstorm without the 12 Knights of Iacon. And so I was like, well, then Skull Skulltron had to still be alive 
And this dude with the talisman couldn't have been a knight then. So well, I was it like, could be a knight. Well, yeah, he could have been a knight, not, not the knights. One of the knights. I I took it as he was like a squire. He was like one of the squires of Iacon because he was trying to run the talisman back to his his knights. Um, no, no, it's it's a weird random thing of convenience because if he is if he is related to the knights, he's you know what fifteen centuries behind. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing he landed in the DMZ after the events of the last movies, and it's yeah. a good thing that the guy and, who's friends with yeah. all the Transformers found him and, and just was he was dragged dying away in that cockpit for years. Yeah, yeah, and he wasn't cleared away, and because you'd think that the military and the government at large would want to get their hands on all the alien technology possible, but that ship and dude just they never got around to bringing a flatbed truck in to haul that away yet. Well, the, the impression I got is that, like, so maybe I, I'm filling in some gaps here. The impression I got is the reason why Cade and Bumblebee were in that part of the DMZ was they were looking for freshly crashed Transformers. So I assumed that, like, oh, the guy with the talisman must have recently crashed. and In the one spot that's fenced off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's you a the lot of things all. happen out of coincidence and convenience in these movies. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised. He had the wherewithal to go like, do I land on the populated park or do I land in the fenced off DMZ? Better go for the DMZ. Yeah. A land where, for some reason, there's still little fires burning everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe they weren't burning, but then when he landed, he re-sparked all of them because he oh, crashed real yeah. bad. That's right. I like or maybe connecting... Isabella just wanders around starting fires all day. I mean, that, yeah, she's 14 you know, that and could upset. explain some things. <laughs> yeah. That's how she deals. You know, she got dealt a rough, car, a rough hand yeah. of cards. If the movie was a half hour longer, she would have burned down uh, Cade's little hut in the <laughs> junkyard. <laughs> well, no, we saw her putting out one fire. The cleansing flame. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she didn't start that one. She was jealous. Okay, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid baby dinosaur think you can start a fire? I'm saving these cartons for later. It's like, whoa, what did you become? Like a German stereotype. Shut up! <laughs> this movie is filled, filled with mixed messages. I thought you were Latina. Shut up! Stop asking so many questions! Spe speaking of lines that sounded improv because his voice got higher and I hated them. It was in the trailer, but I was like, still bummed out when he's like, you think you're a little J-Lo? And I was like, oh. Yeah. I don't like that. you anymore, Mark. <laughs> you're trash. Um... Well, let's uh, let's talk about quickly the the uh, the baby dinosaurs and like I think you can roll them all together. The Age of Extinction bots who came back, you know, Drift, uh, Hound, and uh, and Crosshairs. Uh, so the three guys who came back, I thought were real solid, but they also brought nothing new. They were just like three cartoon characters, and they were back for this movie. I wasn't upset by that. Uh, I was more upset that they also got abandoned by the movie along with Isabella, because uh, I liked those three. Um, I wanted to see more of them, and I, I was really let down that they were just dropped after the first thir third of the movie or so it was done um so them and the baby di the baby dinosaurs i don't really care they were fine but i just don't know where they came from uh yeah no explanation on why yeah there's baby transformers yeah at all mm hmm yeah, like I think, I think maybe there the implication was supposed to be, oh, they're more that fell from the sky. But I was like, well, then why are they the size of like small dogs? And exactly like the Dinobots we already have. Yeah, 
And I thought one of them being a pterodactyl, I was like, oh, maybe like the Dinobots like took a lot of damage and they went all Groot and like, you know, got shredded down to a tiny piece and they're regrowing up. Except that like the two Dinobots we saw were the T-Rex and the Triceratops and two of the three babies were T-Rex and a Triceratops. So I have no, no idea. No, they went all Groot because they wanted to get some of that action that Groot got by being a cute little baby <laughs> without right. actually doing any of the work. Right. Understanding why. <laughs> there's baby dinobots all right are they the big ones no but so then i was like okay so then did grimlock just like so i was like all right the only two dinobots we see are grimlock and the triceratops so then i had this really this is sick i'm just gonna lay out here this is a sick gross idea i had i was like did grimlock just like try to procreate with the other dinobots and end up like killing all of them except for the one who was tough enough <laughs> to take it mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that was the way that that processed in my head and i was like that was a I terrible that's a sick idea i just had oh i don't even want to expound on that if anyone wants to draw any fan art of course like feel no. free don't Anyways, share it on the boards speaking of small transformers that had no explanation or anybody really cared about in the end wheelie came back so okay <laughs> have you noticed okay ever since movie three so I guess for two of them, like last movie, Brains came back and, and Wheelie was gone. This movie, Brains is gone, but Wheelie is back. Like, are they the same person now? Or like, do do, are, do they have like, are they real robots in real life? And they have like a contract thing where they don't want to appear together anymore. And like, yeah, they had a tiff. They're like the Martin and Lewis of Transformers. Yeah, you can, you can have one, but not the other. Yeah, they won't appear in the same place at the same time for mm. like 30 years. And then they'll do a surprise reunion at a telethon. <laughs> But, I mean, it kind of made sense. Doing deep cuts here with Martin Lewis references, yeah. people. Yeah. We're going deep. Because <laughs> it, well, it made sense, because, like, if Brains was going to survive that crash in Dark of the Moon, then Wheelie presumably could survive it as well. And yeah. if this is going to be, like, a refugee camp for Autobots on Earth, then it makes sense for Wheelie to end up there eventually. Like, yeah. I didn't mind seeing him. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I was just like, I was like, why are you not letting me see him with brains? They were like, they were one of the original conjunct, conjuncts in Dure. Like, they are a couple. They, they go together. <laughs> um, he also felt, uh, Wheelie's scenes felt a whole lot like he kind of got added in very late. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. no one really addressed him by name. He was just sort of like, there was even a shot where they had him talk to people and like kick over a potted plant or something that felt like something they shot like a week before the movie came out where like, he's like responding to a conversation, but the conversation was ignoring him. And I was like, all right, like, well, he even asked Kate a direct question. Yeah. To, and then Wahlberg doesn't even have an expression on his face as though he's hearing anybody talk to him. I think he clearly was just tapped in later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a transformer thing. Like transformers are there and they're talking, but it doesn't seem like it was part of the script. <laughs> they, they were just plugged in because they had to be. Well, it's a very original trilogy thing, too. Like, that, it's another thing Age of Extinction did really well, is, like, the Transformers were characters who interacted with the humans completely. Um, yeah, like, friend, I always keep calling him Frenzy. Uh, Wheelie was, was super-duper, like, original trilogy. He's in the background doing stuff because we got money. Um... It's like Michael Bay ran into Tom Kenny at a party <laughs> and was just like, hey, we got to get you back in these movies. You free next weekend? Record like three lines? We'll, we'll shoehorn you in there. 
And Tom, and Tom Kenny, Kenny's like, yeah, I'll take a paycheck. Tom right. Kenny's like, I don't want to take any work away from Reno Wilson. They're like, no, don't worry. Reno's got this Mohawk character he's playing now, so it'll be fine. Uh, it's like, I know you got that SpongeBob money, but <laughs> you help, I hope you're all buddy Mike out, can't ya? We, we, we did have another named actor as a Transformer. Uh, Steve Buscemi is Day Trader. Um, Day Trader being a weird name for a character who's clearly supposed to be Rekgar. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, although I will say day trader does follow the transformers naming scheme. That's very common of like noun verber. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it works, but I was like, that is Rekgar. That is movie Rekgar. Yeah. You should just call him Rekgar. <laughs> there, there was, there was a line of names between like Dreadbot and canopy and day trader where I was just like someone just, someone really stopped trying at the trademark office here. Yeah, or they just put in their function and then eventually yeah. went like, what if that's just their name? Fun- function or feature. I mean, Mohawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, if that's the case, then I wouldn't be surprised if they originally just wanted to call him Trader, or that's just what they had him listed as. But then it was like, well, that's a little confusing because he, is he tr- trading goods or like Benedict Arnold? So I thought, well, what if we call him day trader, even though that's like a stock market thing? I thought he was actually supposed to be a traitor because like when he first walks up and one of the Autobots is like, oh, day trader. Like, I just misheard it as like that traitor. And I was like, "Okay, what? And then I saw the credits is like day trader. And I was like, oh, all right. That makes more sense. Um, I thought well, he was, one, of, one of the Autobots at the end of that scene when he's leaving refers to him as being a skank. Yeah. And I got really confused at the implication of that. <laughs> he tried to get in on some of that Grimlock action. So <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Day Trader's a real skank. I'm like, do what? <laughs> that word Does. you keep using, I don't think it means what you think yeah. it means. You know what? You know what? It was one of the Autobots. Maybe he literally doesn't know that he's using the word the word incorrectly. Like he yeah. just heard the slang. I've done that. Um I, I actually liked Day Trader. I, I thought he was a, a really good idea for a, a character in this setting. Um, I didn't really find him that annoying. Um, he served a good plot purpose. I, I thought his design was fine. Uh, I was I was just confused because I was like, this guy seems really cool, but I, I, I'm hearing a celebrity voice. I bet this is the last we ever see of him, and that was the last we ever saw of him. And I was like, that it seems kind of like wasted potential. Like that yeah. dude was was neat. Like I, I would have I wouldn't have minded him sticking around for uh, for the big action scene at the end. Um, well, he was probably on that Autobot ship because he supposedly flew up in it. Yeah. I said, yeah. Oh, okay, Jay, I Jay guess. Trader got the ship. Yeah, yeah like his, so. only pur- his only purpose was to, what, I, I assume just grab Lockdown's ship and get it you know get it to the junkyard well, and he also and, and had to get, be there to drop off starscream's head yeah starscream's head <laughs> that very important thing that needed done as well yeah that was, that was some weird coincidence that was a very weird coincidence also some, someone mentioned to me in, on youtube uh they asked didn't starscream's head literally explode from having a bomb shoved into his eye socket yeah um so i said well you know what if it didn't explode what if the physics of the explosion were just so perfect that it looked like it exploded, but it actually just detached and rocketed into the, a neighboring city so fast that to us, the viewers, it looked like it exploded. And humans still aren't picking up after these battles because it's just hanging out to be collected. Well, the neighboring city was abandoned, obviously. Yeah. Well, he said he got it in Buffalo, so maybe somebody did pick it up as a souvenir uh, and he retrieved it later. 
Yeah, okay. and he sold them some beef jerky or something. Or Michael Bay's answer, why don't you just shut up and stop asking <laughs> questions? <laughs> Michael Bay, when I'm saying all this, Michael Bay just walks up to me and pushes his chest into my face and starts like rubbing his chest on my face. And I'm like, I'm trying to ask a question. I'm trying to ask a question. And he's like, I can't hear anything. I can't hear anything. Um, I uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a figure of that character. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be like an impressive Transformer, but it would be a neat, like, you know, a big kind of tubby dude with a huge backpack and then you just have him like fall forward and flip some wheels out to, to turn into like a junk truck. Mm-hmm. I'd be down for that. Um, the only other thing uh, from the this segment of the film we haven't talked about yet is the guy whose name I literally don't remember, but the new comic relief guy, I guess, uh-huh. uh, who is like an he he's a, a convict, I think. Or he's going to be arrested, and he was hired. No, he's afraid of becoming a convict, convict. and going to yeah. jail. That's right. Yeah, he, I mean, Craigslist job one tad. Um, you know, must do well with machines. Doesn't mind, you know, being a traitor or not or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I, I was impressed that he didn't get murdered like the comic relief guy in the last movie, um, and I felt very okay that he just disappeared after we went to England. Yeah, like yeah. he he didn't have the annoyance factor of the last comic relief guy. Like I didn't want him to catch a grenade to the face like the last yeah. one. He he was in England. I'm sorry. He was there. He had a line where he's like, "I found Optimus. I brought him here." And I was like, "You didn't." Optimus <laughs> was walking there already, but whatever. <laughs> well, it's Michael Bay has to have one of these loud guys freaking out and they're just more often than not a black guy it seems. Yeah. Which was one of the nice things about Epps's character was he was a black guy that wasn't a buffoon, mm-hmm. and the uh, the the King Arthur knight guy seemed like he super could badass. have gotten some work done. That guy, seemed, <laughs> that guy seemed like a super badass who could have flipped a transformer over. I was yeah, but it's, kinda... it's like yeah, but it's like I forget the name of the actor or the character, but the guy from the first movie that's like ah the cops and crashing through windows and stuff oh was that the was that the i, I ate the, the whole plate i ate the whole yeah. plate guy yeah, yeah. well he, he was one of it the just hackers felt too much like that again where yeah. it's just like uh, this is uncomfortable <laughs> um and also like new comic relief guys big scene was the combat scene with the unmanned drones which didn't help me remember him very much uh because I was like the whole thing when you get shot with a beanbag. Yeah. So you get I'm shot. He shot with a beanbag. Has this whole long comic scene about thinking he's dying, and I was like, "Is the drone just floating behind <laughs> yeah. Mark Wahlberg for this <laughs> yeah. whole scene?" Yeah. Well, then, I, but then he I turns whispered. to leave. And e- even gone. the drone operator's like, oh, "Come on, it was beanbag." <laughs> That's. Yeah, I whispered to my girlfriend, "I'm like that. That drone is still there. <laughs> I mean, it didn't just leave, right? Or did it just leave? No, it just left because it was gone. Because he, he picks him up and he's like, all right, let's go.' And I was like, "Wait, where'd the drone go?" Yeah, <laughs> all right. I shot my bing bag. My job is done. <laughs> I got the comic relief. Mission accomplished. I shot the bean bag, and that's actually the only thing I had to shoot. <laughs> Forgot to put any other well, ammunition. That's why, that, that's why he fired a thousand bullets and then got st- straight into somebody and fired a beanbag. Is all the ammo he had left? Yeah. Oh no, that's. I think it was also like, hey, the TRF aren't trying to kill humans. You know that again. That really muddy message they tried to communicate. And well, kind of I thought to. it was. I'm sorry like, about ten thousand bullets. Beg to argue. <laughs> yeah, because if it was facial recognizing Cade, then it seemed like they were trying to kill Cade. 
but they didn't have facial recognize facial recognition on this other person so then they switched and like he's being a distraction he's like ah they can't shoot me they don't know who i am and then it's just like well switch to the non-lethal option to get the civilian out of the way yeah but then it's like well i guess i'll just fly away now also that that whole explanation (laughs) could have probably been thrown in 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 a line of dialogue that would have cleared some of that up well, he was yelling that the whole time. Like, get behind me. The, oh, no, I mean, it I mean doesn't like, recognize switching, me. switching to non-lethal for the beanbag. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I was actually kind of confused about the beanbag. Because I was like, I was like, hey, why'd you just shoot the guy where he's established? Just, he's supposed to block the facial recognition. But then also, why did you shoot a beanbag? Were you going to shoot a beanbag at, at Mark Wahlberg as well? I thought you were trying to kill him. Uh, yeah, a robot voice coming out yeah. of the thing, going switching to non-lethal, and then the guy goes, "What?" Blam, and then gets blasted yeah, in the but chest. Yeah, the, the the point is to have the comedy joke of he thinks he's dying, and if you have something mm-hmm. to shout, "Oh, this is non-lethal," you take that away from the would've audience. Would have been even yeah. funnier though if I, it had I said that. Yeah, I would have <laughs> thought the switching to non-lethal what blast would have been a better joke than blast i'm a guy kid i'm a dying because yeah. also it I'm was blast dying. it was blast and kate goes like stop complaining and i'm like kate he just got shot and you're kind of treating him like crap <laughs> and then the joke is like no it was a beanbag but i was like all this did was make me think Cade was kind of scum for a few seconds here <laughs> well also getting blasted by one of those beanbags uh like what a <laughs> foot? <laughs> yeah, it's still right in the chest. Could have yeah. killed him. <laughs> anyway, he still flew like ten feet back. His heart yeah. just shoots through his spine and out the back of his body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he kind of ruptured his heart. Like that's not. It's still not safe. Yeah, it wasn't was, a Nerf ball. That, <laughs> that's why generally like a... those devices are called less lethal, not non-lethal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, would have, that would have been a dark twist if that's how they kill off the comic relief guy. Yeah. Just it's like, Kate, I'm dying. Stop being a baby. It was a beanbag. It shattered my ribs and punctured my lungs. I, just, I'm, I am dying. He's like, stop being a baby. He just starts coughing up blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Typical he baby and walks away. <laughs> the drone just hovers there and watches him. <laughs> yeah, and then the, uh, the TRS guys are watching on the monitors are like that's messed up (laughs) (laughs) except for the one operator just has a really big grin on his face like a massive boner somebody sent a medic in there that poor guy (laughs) um let's talk about the crew uh who for a second made me feel suddenly really excited about the movie i i'd miss the trailer where, like, I'd seen, like, that little weird promo thing from the China debut where Megatron was, like, naming some characters. But, like, so Megatron, maybe we'll start with Megatron first. Megatron, I thought, was, uh, Frank Welker, specifically, was the best performance in the movie. Um, where, uh, we'll talk about it in a bit, I thought Peter Cullen gave one of his worst Optimus Prime performances. Um, Megatron, as like, portrayed by Frank Welker, that felt like Frank Welker just sort of strolling in going like for years you have had me voice side characters you had me suddenly do like galvatron last movie fyi i'm frank welker and i kick ass at this job and i'm also going to do megatron kind of like me but just to like rub my chest on his face i'm going to also kind of do it like hugo weaving but better uh and it kicked ass it was it was a great megatron performance great lines great cartoony stuff uh probably the best design that character has had in these movies uh to date um it is is a fantastic design uh and his his unfortunately for all that said 
much like the last movie, Megatron kind of felt like a different film that had stumbled into this one. Yeah. Because <laughs> he didn't really matter all that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mattered more than in the last movie because he actually met the antagonist and, like, did something. But, uh... I, I really loved Frank Welker's performance in this, loved the design, and once again, I was like, if this had been a movie where Megatron was the villain, or even if this was a movie where <laughs> Megatron was was somehow, you know, the anti-hero working against a Nemesis Prime for yeah. more than, than ten minutes, that would have been real cool. Um, but I, I, I really liked Megatron in this. I liked that, you know, everyone like kind of knew him and he was like a weird renegade, but since he wasn't, I guess, committing any crime and he was making himself hard to find, like there was, like, there was a potentially really cool relationship with him and the other, uh, organizations involved in the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, the only thing, thing about him that kind of sucked as far as his relationship with other characters was cause it was, a, it was a pretty terrible line especially since his voice was different now, was when they were listening to his voice and characters from the first trilogy were not hearing Hugo weaving and going like, that's him. That's the voice from my nightmares. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, yo, you never heard that voice before. <laughs> yeah, but like we were saying about if this was a series, like there could have been three really cool episodes of Megatron working with the military before eventually betraying them or turning his back on him or whatever to to, right. to finally do what he was just biding his time to do. Yeah. Well, they they also never actually so the whole part where he so, suddenly started working with Quintessa, he's also I think suddenly had a red mark on his face. Yeah. And they well, kind he, of neglected did he have the red mark the whole time. So that's the thing I don't remember. I don't remember either. All, yeah. all I know is he had it when he sudden he showed up and said he was working for her, and they kind of highlighted the red mark on his face with a certain shot. And I was like, y'all didn't actually show him get that. That's mm-hmm. a weird thing to leave out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can remember it being very startling when I saw that same red mark that I guess Nemesis Prime had on his yeah. face on Megatron's because. I don't remember it in the previous scenes because I was like paying attention to like how his face was animating and like all the shots of his helmet forming up. Yeah, I like TJ how it how just then it almost sounded like you had to force yourself to say Nemesis Prime like you didn't want to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, I'm so crowbarred in. Yeah, I got. We'll get there. I, I, I guess have, I'll say Nemesis. I have a bullet point here that says it. Optimus, Nemesis, Optimus Prime. And I put strike through on the first two words. <laughs> um, Aaron, how about you? How do you feel about, about Megatron? And- um, He definitely seemed like he had presence, but no reason for it to be Megatron. Yeah. Like any any bad guy could have been a part of this and maybe didn't even need to be in the movie at all. That's the thing is I think you could have removed Megatron and I would have been more sad if I had seen all this before you removed it. Right. But it also would have tightened up the um, the number of characters right. and who's who. It could have been anything or just, hey, we're fighting against this planet that's showing up and Prime comes back as Nemesis Prime and takes care of Megatron well, like what Megatron did up to a certain point it like this could have done this movie could have been virtually identical without decepticons altogether and instead you have quintessa and a flipped prime yeah what if there was no megatron until a post-credit sequence where 
Quintessa finds Megatron in hiding and like yeah. really kind of make it look like Megatron's like a broken kind of just hiding out because he doesn't know what to do and kind of on his last leg sort of a thing. And then she rolls up and goes like, I got a job for you. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll, I'll fix you. And then, and then do the exact thing that he did in this movie, you know, mm-hmm. like have him collect, a, have him negotiate with the governments of the world. I wouldn't to collect even a crew. have done that. I just would have had like Megatron hiding in a cave. And then she goes to, it's time for you to stop being a baby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like that would have, that would have even explained Start the, the way... next movie with the crew. That's what, that's yeah. what I mean. That's what yeah. I mean is like, that would oh, have been okay. even such a good way of explaining away. Like why he's went from Galvatron to Megatron again, why he's transforming like an actual transformer again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, like I had, he could have still been Galvatron hiding out in the cave and she goes, I will like, she goes, Galvatron, I will restore yeah, you to Megatron. Yeah, what, and then yeah, when she says Megatron, his eyes light up or something. Yeah. Like yeah. look what they did to my creation. Now, you, you know what I was kind of hoping for that I knew wouldn't happen because it's a little too clever, but like it would have been cool if this Megatron was in the movie the whole time. And then the big twist is Galvatron from the last movie then shows up because <laughs> Galvatron was a bunch of bugs that kind of just reprogrammed Megatron into that body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. what if Megatron has like become a virus, kind of like Sigma from Mega Man X? And it's like, <laughs> like, what if now Megatron is like this like ghost that is, you know, give him the ghost Starscream story in a way where he's like, he's become a plague that's able to infect other mechanical bodies, but they all think they're Megatron and like, you know, turn that into the story. Like, that'd well, be kind of cool. You Weird had- Ultron imperative type of yeah. moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. You could have had, you could have had Quintessa like finding like the Megatron head like left over yeah. from cemetery wind and restore it and sentinel prime you know like mush the two of them together to form like the, what the galvatron would have now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> megatonal megatron primatron. megatron prime that's a little that's a little on the nose that's a little on the nose. <laughs> this it's a bay movie what do you expect we had a transformer named canopy come on it's true by the way i meant to mention this canopy kind of sucks at his job if you shoot him with a rocket and it like puts a hole through. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Canopy. Look, look, what do you he, turn into? A pile of rocks. What's he your didn't robot want to be a, a robot with a pile of rocks. <laughs> How do you transform? I just kind of lay down. <laughs> I failed in transforming class. <laughs> That's why he came to Earth with nothing. <laughs> he doesn't turn into a comet he just got shot into orbit and he just kind of fell through space while I was in space I was called asteroid because I just looked <laughs> like a pile of rocks <laughs> then I landed here and then I I was just pile of rocks until I like covered this girl in like a canopy and then I changed my name to canopy my new name is dead dead <laughs> <laughs> My new name is Grave. I am my own grave. <laughs> Bury me under a pile of rocks. <laughs> Bury me Back under my pile of me. <laughs> Little did they know, you bury him under a pile of rocks. That's how he actually comes back to life. Like, that's his bumblebee power. <laughs> <laughs> I'm renewed. <laughs> Just shuffles off. Uh, let's, let's talk about Megatron's crew. Uh, who, who, oh, for you the mean most the Suicide part, Squad? Yeah, I, so yeah. I never saw Suicide Squad, so I'd missed that connection. Um, and actually, we're gonna start with the guy who didn't get one. Of, well, no, maybe did Barricade get a name tag? Did I miss it? No. no. Okay. They they mentioned him specifically as Barricade was cited here. 
Okay, yeah. so I uh, I actually kind of dug the barricade stuff, although so they they got Jess Harnell back to do his voice because Jess Harnell, who also played Ironhide, uh, was the one who said the ladies' man two one seven line. Yeah. Problem is mm-hmm. that they just had him sound like a dude, and so I was like, you know, this was the time to get Keith David in to play barricade like he did in the video games. Uh, so that kind of bummed me out. But barricade. Uh, who, by the way, had two featured transformations uh, in the movie, and one of them showed his knuckles, his knuckle things, like, forming around his fist. It was kind of cool. Um, he also kind of ghosted out of the movie the way he has now for two and a half, three movies. Well, he's a survivor. He does want to get out of town. Yeah, like, they, <laughs> they specifically well, showed... too hot. They, like, I thought, like, is you know, when Megatron Barricade and Nitro Zeus are surrounded at Stonehenge, I was like, is this how they're going to just off the rest of the Decepticons, but you know, they didn't. I was like, all right, cool. And you know, Nitro Zeus, you specifically see him get his head blown up. So I was like, all right, barricade did his thing again, where he just leaves before the big action scene. <laughs> and then, you know, survives for another film. Um, so I, I liked his design a like, lot, but all the scripts is he's supposed to die, but he just doesn't show up for shooting that day. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you know what? I'm sick. Oh, <laughs> I'm sick. God, I sore, sore throat. I oh, you can get it. in and pickups, right? <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll record this later. And then, you know, he knows they're going to be like, no, we need this movie to be under three hours. And he's like, oh, that's too bad. That's really too bad. I'll be here for the next one. You can uh, kill me then. <laughs> yeah, no, no, just 100%. Yeah, yeah, we'll put that in the contract. Yeah. I, uh, I, I thought his design looked uh, a lot better in this movie than I thought it looked in the trailer he appeared in, where it seemed like it was going to be a bit more messy. Um, I liked how they animated his face a lot. I uh, just, you know, once again, I I kind of wish he got to do more. I kind of wish that he had a vocal rivalry with Bumblebee as opposed to just showing up next to him as he often does. Um, but uh, also, it's worth pointing out, the toy is missing a lot of really cool details. The toy has protect and serve knuckle dusters. This one had punish and enslave knuckle dusters. I thought those were cooler. But Yeah, um, that's why I was surprised with the toy when I asked you what what it said. I was like, well, why didn't it say Punish and Slave? Because that's what his thing said in the other thing. It, yeah. it, it feels like the toy is due to be like a prowl repaint down the line. It's like, well, we can't, we don't want to remold this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have prowl as Punish and Slave. I don't think that's the right uh, message you want to be sending there, prowl. Like, no, listen, all right? I know what I'm doing. In the, in the in the grand scheme, this is what is necessary. Needs of the many. Um, I, I don't know. Aaron, how'd you feel about Barricade? Um... Uh, again, I wish that there was either more or less of him. Um, I when he showed up, it seemed like it was logical, and then ducking out was kind always kind of sad. Like, hey, finish finish fight here, because that'll resolve something. I I, I did kind of like that he uh, he elected to just watch in the beginning. Mm-hmm. although the way that scene was cut together made it a little unclear like i think it was intentional like when the little green laser sights show up on Cade's chest right um that that was you're supposed to think that's barricade but it's not and he's watching from across the river or whatever mm-hmm. uh it was a cool idea um tj do you have any any other thoughts on barricade not especially it was just enough of him to make me wish he was in the movie more yeah, him, yeah. him having a conversation with Megatron where he wasn't fully subservient, I thought was a neat bit of potential. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's not he's not scared that Megatron is getting mad and, like, burning the floor. 
a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> See, they kind of I kind of like that there is a a returning Decepticon, so you know that these two have been like at this for a long time. Yeah, you know, where they just they tend to kill off every Decepticon at the end of every movie, so we just kind of start fresh, but. You know, barricade. You know, barricade is more the info gatherer than anything. So yeah. of course he's going to be the one who slips away. And I, I kind of like that. Like Megatron was all like, "I'm going to do you like I said I was going to do Starscream." And Barricade's like, "All right, anyway, listen, I got this door. And it's important." <laughs> and I was like, "That's cool." He's he's like, "All right, platitudes of super villainy aside, I actually have some business I can do here." Um. Oh, there he is outside, just driving by while we're podcasting. Uh, Seth, do you have any other thoughts on Barricade? Um, no, just I like Barricade. He's cool, but yeah, me too. Didn't do that much. Um, but when you mentioned like Megatron, like spraying fire on the floor, it does seem like Transformers make fire a lot. Fire breathing dragon, mm-hmm. fire breathing dinosaurs. Well, yeah, yeah. Fire first cannon. First, yeah, first movie like really hot ordnance hurts them a lot. Yeah, Cogman, who we haven't gotten to at all yet, made fire out of his finger to light a path. It's, it's like, wouldn't they just have like LED lights or something? For... No, it's gotta, gotta be fire, <laughs> old timey lasers. Good... Combustion. Yeah, it's not a weird fire. <laughs> um, well, let's talk, let's talk about the 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 name the name tagged crew who had their little scenes. Let's talk about the the one who matters. Suicide Squad. Nitro Zeus. So I knew, like, we know there's a toy coming up called Nitro, and I, and he has like a head detached feature, and I'm like, well, I bet that means he's in the movie. That seems oddly specific. And so I hear I hear Megatron say Nitro. I'm like, all right, but then he says Zeus, and I'm like, excuse me. And then the name tag pops up Nitro Zeus, and I'm like, all right, and I I think. I think I'm suddenly really happy. And then Nitro Zeus saunters out with a friggin' gold chain on, going like, y'all gonna miss me, especially you, Enrique. Especially your wife. <laughs> and I was like, all right. This this is... I I like this character. He's like... He's like the... He's bringing that scumbag aesthetic that we got with the Autobots in the last movie, except mm-hmm. he's also a Decepticon, so it feels even better. And he's just talking like a normal person. He's not going like Rishu Brasha Kraft with a bunch of like subtitles. Uh, that that made me feel really happy. And and the gold chain was just like this one extra little touch where it's like, I don't know how this came to be, but clearly at least two or three people were laughing their heads off about this during like a lunch break, and it turned into something. Um, and I think that it also is telling that Nitro Zeus was the one member of the crew who actually survived past t- the 10 minute mark of their debut. Um, even though he did get his head blown up at the end, which bummed me out a little bit. Uh, I I was into that. He was uh, I think he was portrayed by John DiMaggio as well. And I saw in the credits. So uh, that was uh, Crosshair's voice actor. That was Bender doing a, a macho man impression. Um, Seth, how'd you feel about Nitro Zeus? Uh, fine, but like with all these guys, they weren't around too long. Oh. Yeah, well, there's a reason why Nitro <laughs> um, Zeus gets a bullet point, and the other three are yeah, a bullet I'm, point. <laughs> I really like his name, but like what you were saying, you liked about his characterization, where he's like, "All right, I'm gonna see all y'all later. You guys are cool. You suck, and tell your wife hi or whatever." Um, the first time, like all of them are together, and they're all kind of taunting the Autobots. And then how the Autobots are, it became, I just realized, like, oh, 
besides the leaders, Megatron and Optimus Prime, who are often like super gravitas in everything they say and do, all other Transformers are dude bro frat boys. <laughs> They're yeah. just all these, like, dude bro, like, all right, it's like, why are they even fighting? They should all be, like, hanging out drinking Energon beers or whatever. <laughs> I was, So I was kind of hoping that with the threat of Quintessa and everything, I was like, hey, maybe Megatron and his crew end up teaming up with, you know, the Autobots United bunch from the last movie. And then Onslaught got, like, chopped to pieces immediately. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that was my idea. <laughs> there it goes. Um... DJ, what about you? How'd, you? how'd you feel about Nitro Zeus? This is again where I felt like he was given just enough character to make me interested to see more, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's he was probably the my favorite of those Suicide Squad esque introductions, where I was like, yeah, you know, you know, I know, I know where you live, Enrique. Say hello to your wife for me. Like, I, I like the idea of a Decepticon saying that to a human because I was like, no, between that and the gold chain, this is all just stuff he picked up from other people. He probably doesn't even know what it means. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, that or there's a fun short film where these guys that were guarding him, wherever they had him locked up, like they all kind of became buddies at some point somehow. Yeah. Except for yeah. Enrique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like... Enrique is just the one peeing in his energon. Or he was Enrique was the only one like actually doing his job, where like the others were slack asses who yeah. probably shouldn't have been guarding a dangerous Decepticon. <laughs> and Nitro Zeus is just like actually this super charismatic dude who just won them all over like day yeah. one. And Enrique is the only one that didn't fall for it and did his job <laughs> right. <laughs> it gives I have little hopes, like you know, given how Transformers tend to survive anything if the plot demands it once another person writes a new script i'm hoping that the fan reaction to nitro zeus means in the next movie they you know he's he's like a head split in half but the you know they sew him back together and he's okay because his gold chain is his magic or something i I want him back or he's back and they just don't explain why because yeah why bother yeah just have him come back have him come back with a band-aid on his head that would be perfect um yeah I'm thinking about him with a bandaid on his head and I'm having like really happy thoughts. Aaron, how'd you feel about yeah. Nitro Zeus? Um, it'd be about the same as all of these, um, like named guys right off the bat. There's, there's story in like, what was the capture? What was the, the time in jail? Instead, it's just the 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 nitro looking toy with some tood, and I I don't know. Someone somewhere is going to make Doctor Wu specifically is going to make gold chain that fits on that toy, mm-hmm. and I'll probably end up buying it. They uh, they made a very good toy commercial for Nitro Zeus uh, in in his time yeah. in this movie. Um, they made a pathetic toy commercial. For Berserker, who was a throwaway gag, but yeah. the toy is extremely accurate. I guess that's why he has the red X on his chest. I was like, I was so excited when I saw him being wheeled out like Hannibal Lecter. I was like, oh, this dude's going to be the best. And they're like, no, we can't release him. And I was like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> like, that guy looks really cool. Uh, 
there's not much to say about Berserker. He was just a one-line gag, but I, I needed to bring that up. I was kind of, I was both, le- I was let down, but then I was happy about it when I saw what happened to the rest of these characters. And I was like, no, you know what? You saved Berserker for a better script. That's what you did. Because uh, we also got Onslaught, Dreadbot, and Mohawk. Uh, Mohawk with some, like, just real, like, bottom of the, be- like, I, I don't, I, I like Reno Wilson as brains. Uh but but like Reno Wilson was also one of the twins, and this was like some some twins tier. Just like, will you stop talking? Will you stop talking? <laughs> this character's not funny. This character's just really irritating. Uh, and onslaught was just a gag about a door being small. Um, Dreadbot actually had the most going on in that he robbed a bank to kill everybody and then turned into like a rusty old hippie van. But. He also was not in any real scenes afterwards. As far as I can tell, he's was the one... Was Onslaught the rusty old hippie van? No, no. Onslaught was the big green dude. Okay. Um, he's the one who got a leg chopped off and then his head chopped off. Uh, Dreadbot was the rusty hippie van. Or Dreadbot. Okay. And I think... Cause so Grimlock in T-Rex mode grabbed somebody in his mouth. And that was the last we saw of them. And by trial of elimination, the only one that that works for is Dreadbot. So I'm assuming he got eaten by Grimlock. Um, Mohawk might still be alive because he got decapitated, but his head was talking. But that's all I got. Like, wow, you know, how do you how do you how how do, how do you put on a class of how to create potential and snuff it out in the space of fifteen twenty minutes? The crew was a lesson in that. Uh, I was astounded at how much time and money went into them to immediately remove most of them from the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, is my reaction. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on the crew? Um, Seth, I know you, you spotted a pretty solid continuity thing with Mohawk and the him teleporting from outdoors to indoors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there was a shot where he's clearly outside. I mean, the camera is, like, angled up toward him. And he says something. I don't even remember what he said. But you could see the sky. Mm. And then there's an edit cut... To now Mohawk is kind of in the distance, Bumblebee is in the foreground, and Bumblebee is killing him with a shot to the face. And they're like in a parking garage. Yeah, heavily roofed. <laughs> Mohawk's like, where'd everybody go? Yeah, so it's just that kind of editing that you get in these movies. Like in the first movie, during the barricade Bumblebee chase, it's daytime, it's daytime, it's daytime, around a corner, it's night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no one cares about time or place. <laughs> Just things move around and happen. What is time anyway? Stop it's a, asking questions. It's, Shut a state of, it's a state of mind. That's a state of mind. Yeah. Um, someone else who was a state of mind in this movie was John Turturro as Simmons, who looked like uh, something that was added in uh, at the last minute. Because he's, he's there to establish that Cuba is cool with Transformers, and that's fine. And then uh, to my happiness, it's revealed that Topspin and Roadbuster of the Wreckers from the third movie are still alive and living happily in Cuba with Simmons. Because in the previous film, they showed uh, they showed Leadfoot uh, getting legit murdered by Cemetery Wind. Um, so uh, so Simmons is in the film, and uh, and then he didn't interact with anybody unless it was over the phone. And he was in no scenes with anybody. And then he just stopped being in the movie. Yeah, that's that is another case of um, and I think it might have been that was like the clincher of my thought 
of like was there an editor was it like we have to have Totoro in the movie like we're legally obligated to have them in the have him in the movie because you could have dropped him out of it including the whole like his whole point was to get Hopkins character to the library to steal a page out of the goat testicle book or whatever that then ended up not <laughs> being anything anyway like you could have excised a whole lot of movie very simply and again had no impact again other than michael other bay than, ran into john Turturro at a party yeah. right <laughs> they, they never even name dropped simmons so if you kind of came into this movie fresh you're just like who the hell is this right it, it's his his only point was to further test the uh the fortitude of your bladder after sitting through everything i will say my uh my my seatmates did not hold it together they both got up during the movie and stepped out for a second and i was like oh you're uh, missing things you can't record guy, a podcast about this guy in front of me went to the bathroom three times i don't know if it was a medical thing or what the deal was <laughs> but it was like i was sitting there like man i kind of gotta go to the bathroom as we were in like the eighth third act or maybe it was the 12th act i'm eighth, not sure second he, act second oh, well, but it was need, like he needed he needed breathers he just needed to get away yeah, i can't that, handle this could have been it too but it was specifically, it was like, you're really having, and like, look at my watch. I'm like, okay, that's, uh, yeah, it has been a bit of time. All right. Well, um, we, any, anything else about, about John Turturro you guys want to drop in? I'm amazed they got him back just to give him another scrotum line. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. catch that. Yeah, you're right. They got him to talk about balls again. <laughs> All right. I, I want to, he must be friends with That Michael was Bay. the only that's... way they got him back. Yeah, he's like, I'm only coming I back. Don't know. Gonna come back, or <laughs> we'll let you scrotums. talk about testicles. <laughs> All right, now I'll talk about some scrotums. <laughs> that was my John Turturro. Thank you. Um, well, let's talk about the actual main female character. It turns out, uh, Vivian, um, who, as I understand it, actually her name has a bunch of Y's in it. I just spelled it like normal Vivian. Normal. Um, she was actually a source of great humor for me. I can't really explain it clearly, <clears throat> but I, I. I kept laughing every time Optimus Prime said Vivian. <laughs> he said Vivian like almost as many times as he said his own name. Twice. <laughs> and like, no, he was, there's, a, there's a bunch more times. I know he was like. It didn't seem like Vivian? that many. It didn't I want to like see that, Vivian. Man. Where is Vivian? We must find Vivian. <laughs> I mean, in the heat Vivian. of a big in the heat of a big battle, it is weird to hear him just screaming a random female's name. Oh, well, Vivian! So they're charging in. Like, the uh, the Autobots are all charging in. The humans are, like, running the other way. And he goes, where's Vivian? And she left. And then it's like, oh, never mind. And they kept going. Like, that was one of the times. And he said, it, he said, it, a bunch, he said it a bunch before then, too. I, I, I know. Because when he was talking to her, he kept calling her by name constantly. And then when she showed up, after he said, where is she? He was like, Vivian! And then he was like, you've got to get the staff. Um, I mean, I, I, mean, I was kind of happy about it because before then I couldn't remember her name. I just kept calling her Laura Croft. <laughs> well, she wasn't <laughs> as she wasn't as active as a Laura Croft, though. Like she, okay, Vivian uh, was a, a a black hole in this movie of like, remem- <laughs> remember female characters who serve no purpose, uh, are eye candy and are the love interest. And then like it was almost exacerbated by going like she's a descendant of merlin she's the only one who could use his staff all right she got his staff give it to optimus prime all right leave 
<laughs> like, I was like, wait, what? Like, she can't even do anything with the staff? And then at the end, they're like, only you can pull the staff out of the power source. She pulls it out. Okay, give it to me. All right, leave. <laughs> well, like, even what? then, that was a, a thing that I noticed as they were going back and forth with zero-G things. There were times where neither one of them had the staff in hand and then did again. Yeah, because it turns out it doesn't really matter. She, she, she's needed to make it not be wood, and she's needed to pull yeah. it out of a plug. But yeah, otherwise, well, she, she actually doesn't matter. What a <laughs> twist that was, too. Right? It's like, oh, it's yeah. just a wooden stick. Throw was, it away. It's I was like, like, go pick um, it up. Go pick up the wooden stick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still an ancient thing. I mean. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, the old guy told you that it's coded to her DNA. Like, <laughs> Let her are y'all <laughs> really going to act surprised when she touches it and it turns into a robot stick? Like, come on. Yeah. Like giant robots from an alien planet, I can believe, but this is just a wooden stick. Yeah, it's, it's like, calm down, Michael Bay. You're not M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's just like the way that, like, it's like they tried to make her matter, but then when she could have mattered uh, narratively, it was like the movie just like, oh, don't, no, sit back down. Sit down. Give me the stick. Go, go and kiss Mark Wahlberg. God. Uh, it's almost like Michael Bay was told your female lead is this 14 year old girl and he was like no no I'm gonna shoehorn some older lady I can perv on yeah and she was and also speaking of like you know stuff from the old movies that came back with her uh, just when I thought like alright I guess the movie can't really have an awkward boner scene then like her four moms or whatever are like what's a BDSM dungeon and then you know she and Mark Wahlberg are looking for clues in the library and thumping stuff and then the four moms are like oh it's like tarzan's in the house because they're having sex upstairs yeah and everything that they're saying is like could be an innuendo like dungeons bananas do you want to do girls instead i was like shut up like you it's 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 not it's not as awkward and uncomfortable as the romeo and juliet scene but somehow it's worse because it's just like loud and annoying uh apparently the four moms were at least one of them was a, a, an actor of note i just didn't know who she was um and that sure wasn't a starring role to have uh and i know, right. I know they're not literally four biological moms it's just like that's how they were presented to me yeah, at least one yeah. of them was referred to as an aunt yeah and, and one of them was her legit mom talking about like how much she hated her dead husband or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also like I, like, whenever you have like a 21st century story and then like the portrayal is the mom above all else wants the daughter to get married I'm like that's the story you tell in like fairy tale time like that's the Cinderella story that just sounds weird as a 21st century story uh, it was weird because you could tell they're trying to present Vivian differently because she doesn't have any slow motion shots where her butt's out and her chest is up and her cleavage is showing yeah. like overtly. Yeah, we can't just make her TNA. Yeah, like we have to have her intelligent, we have to have her do things, which Michael Bay seems to take offense to sometimes. Well, you, you notice she did get given glasses immediately, so you know she's... Yeah, yeah but so you know she's smart. <laughs> yeah, she's, and she has a British accent too, so... You know, she's right, smart. it's like the perfect she's storm smart. of Carly plus the hacker girl from the first movie. It's like, well, she has glasses because she's smart, and she's British, so we know she's smart. Mm -hmm. Well, the hacker girl with the glasses from the first movie was Australian, wasn't she? Oh yeah, you're right. Gotta have those yeah. accents. Yeah, but Aussies aren't smart. 
Oh, British geez. people are smart. Aussies are like, throw a rock at it. <laughs> My hands are in the air. My hands are in the air. <laughs> Uh, also, That's she was introduced. Everything. She's British, and she was introduced in an action polo scene at a British yeah. university, which was ultra like ultra dramatic. I, yeah. So I loved how that scene was shot because I was like Michael Bay going, like, you know what? I never filmed. <laughs> I never filmed the polo scene, <laughs> and I kind of liked that. Like, I like the idea of like Michael Bay films things he hasn't filmed before, but in his style. But also, I was like, oh look, she's playing polo because she's British and smart. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what do British people do? They play, play polo. polo. Yeah, and they're smart, and they say magic doesn't exist because, you know. And then of course someone's like, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology could be interpreted as magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I Which whispered she... to my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, settle down, Thor. Yeah, but, <laughs> but then she replies, going like, Ah, you know that quote. You must be smart. And I'm like, I'm like, dude. <laughs> nah, snap a lid. That quote has been in every sci-fi thing ever made. For the most part. Well, I mean, it's Arthur C. Clarke. He wrote sci-fi things. So. Exactly. <laughs> ah, you've heard of Arthur C. Clarke. That's right. I'm an inventor. Stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. I also thought that, like... Um, what makes you so smart? You don't even have glasses on. <laughs> just put glasses on? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Look, uh, I got I, glasses. Hold on. Hold on. There's someone over here. It's, it's, it's that's weird. Where'd they go? I tried, I, tried, establishing scene. I tried really hard to also figure out how they were going to get the two of them to fall in love. And then, like, they actually just didn't. They just had them be in love while on the submarine. And, yeah. And that was pretty cool. Was, oh, OK. So one of the things that really bugged me out in her introduction that I made a note of was so it's this big epic polo game, which is kind of establishing her as being like kind of sports athletic action lady and then she immediately crashes her car into a rack of bicycles yeah so I was, that I... wasn't even a parking area and she just crashes in the bicycles and i just wrote in my notes bitch bitch crashed into bikes for no reason <laughs> well then she tried to pick one up and then threw it back on the floor and then went to see that was i had or... a i had a momentary split between the like the instructor that seemed you know, kind of cocky about like, ah, all this Arthur stuff is BS. And the girl that was the polo and crashed into things, I was like, okay, is this a new, no, no, wait, that's the same. Wait. Yeah. No, yeah. That's the same person. Okay. Like, yeah, I she's were- a, she's a badass and a klutz and super smart and pretty. And it's like, can you pick a thing? Like, yeah. what are you? But you know, she, well, yeah, she, she has to be twenty first century woman. She's smart. She's you know, she can you know, she's athletic. But, but her she's story also li- a dum dum. Yeah, but yeah, her story arc is still you have to find a man to marry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every moment, and like I said, she also could have been Lara Croft with Merlin's staff, except it was physically taken away from her every time she got near it. <laughs> and I was almost as though to go like, oh, don't get ahead of yourself, don't get ahead of yourself. And I was like. I was like, is there any way you could like make this character more disgusting for me to deal with? Like you're well, and the four moms didn't have a problem switching to looking for a lady for her. Like at the end of that one scene they did yeah. switch to looking for for uh for ladies. So they weren't completely locked into a heteronormative relationship for her. 
and, and it was also played for more sex gags, which was pretty. No, it's inclusive on, on target. That's and, as inclusive no, no. as Michael Bay gets. That's yeah, his about as... version of inclusiveness. Yeah, his, yeah, it's a sex gag, but it's inclusive. Is his version? <laughs> um, she is also the way that we uh, meet Hot Rod, uh, who apparently has actually been her car for a long time. I think. Hot Rod. Hot uh, Rod. Uh, so he did have a French accent. Uh, French actor, I believe. I actually liked him at the end because he uh, he just ended up kind of joining the crew as like one of the friendlier Autobots, and he just had you know he had yeah. a catchphrase with his his magic time freeze bubble gun. He was always like stop in time or something, and I was like yeah. that's cool. He wasn't a dude, bro. He was an anime character. Yeah, yelling yeah. out his attack. Exactly. <laughs> someone right. someone disagreed with me about that. I was like, no, he had an attack name for his magic time bubble gun. And, like, I don't know, I kind of liked Hot Rod. You know, they I, I like that they even addressed the French accent, and they're like, oh, he just wants to sound cool. And then he was like, no, I don't want to sound cool. I just can't turn it off, because I'm yeah. old. I, I don't know why he has to hate having a French accent. Yeah, I don't know either. Because right. <laughs> he can't say his own name as one part. Yeah, all right. He just pronounces so, it different. So you want to see a scene that makes the character that they say is really smart look like an idiot, is where she's like, sorry, what did you say? What's your name? And it's like you live in Europe. Yeah, you, yeah. you live in Europe. <laughs> you, you live a, a short boat yeah. ride away from the country that talks the way his accent is. Um. Yeah, like, like people the, swim that distance. <laughs> I think the worst, the the only thing about Hot Rod that I thought was really just like kind of crappy and was a real bummer was he just pulled uh, a he pulled a Michael Bay Transformer to get a cool alt mode is his cool alt mode just drove by the one really cool black and red super sports car in the entire country happened to drive by and he was like oh, i'll just look like that and it's like all right cool whatever like, his was <laughs> completely arbitrary too well i think they were trying to make the story that him taking on a new alt mode meant he could close the trunk on her so she wouldn't jump out but I'm filling in a lot of gaps when I say that. Well, it was a Lamborghini. There is no trunk for her to jump out. Aha! Yeah. Aha! Also, there's just these super ultra expensive super sport cars everywhere all the time. Like Anthony Hopkins and Cogman go from one ultra expensive car to another <laughs> one as a decoy thing. It's like, how much money do these dudes have? Also... Why, if they're trying to hide and ditch people, why are they going from one super conspicuous vehicle to another? Why not? Because everyone drives them in this yeah, universe. Yeah. Why not a Toyota or something? <laughs> Camry. Um, and I, of course, I will say, like Hot Rod was not actually Hot Rod in any way, shape, or form. But like, if you went into this thinking that for once they were going to be like, oh no, they're going to actually make him Hot Rod, and it's like, no, they weren't. They were never going to do that. Well, that's going back to the early movies and yeah. the movie thread. People like, I want them to do my favorite character. It's like, maybe you don't because you're yeah. mad about the characters they've already done. Why would you think they would do your favorite character right? Yeah. You like, probably want them not to do your favorite character. I've just I've, yeah. Se yeah. I've seen it as a talking point on this Hot Rod, how much he's not like G1 Hot Rod. And I'm kind of like, it's ten, we're 10 years into yeah. this. Like, <laughs> Did you see the first four movies? Like, I'm not saying like, you're wrong. I'm not saying that, like, it would have been uh, worse if this guy was actually like Hot Rod. It's just that, like, how is this even a discussion? I think it's just a given. That... Yeah, why did you ever think he might be that Hot Rod? Yeah, <laughs> did, did you not see Sideswipe? Or 
like jazz. <laughs> Jazz or, or Ratchet? I mean, they, they had jazz. Jazz, maybe like the closest outside of Optimus. Yeah, like, like, like this guy also like had no. Well, this guy had no character traits, but also we also just had a guy called Onslaught who was a big green truck that died in two seconds. So the Dinobots, who still mm. haven't spoken. This is true, and they never transformed in this movie either. Nope. Yeah. They went well, full you, season you three. You almost could have said that about Optimus. That's true. I, yeah. Did, okay. And just at the end, they're like, "Oh crap, uh, he's a when truck." The frig, yeah. When um, the freaking truck drove, drove without even seeing it transform, just drives out of the dust cloud. You're like, "Yeah." I bet someone was like, "You know, we did pay a lot of money for a new Western Star truck, custom painted and everything. Are we going to use it?" And they're like, "Oh, set up a dust cloud, <laughs> go." <laughs> someone from Hasbro is like, "We already worked out that deal to cut up a tire." You have to use a tire on screen. Yeah, I guess this is how they were able to cut up that tire. Is like it only drove once, so there's mm-hmm. you know it wasn't too worn mm-hmm. up or anything. Uh, like I, I liked Hot Rod well enough character wise. He did two things that I actually really liked. One was uh, weaponizing Michael Bay's love of slow motion. Right. Which, <laughs> here's the thing I liked is that it kind of reminded me of things that like old transformers would do like in g1 where you had like you know you had like rust guns and glass guns and yeah, like glass gas. And, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's like everyone it's, had their special attack yeah, yeah. i felt like okay this is his signature trick this is what he does yeah and it's it, like it's a sci- it's a sci-fi weapon thing we don't have to explain it but it's cool his special yeah. attack isn't <laughs> nihilism cool. and bullets it's yeah. like it's like kind of peppy athleticness, a French accent, and a time bubble. And I, I liked when he teamed up with Hound, and Hound was like, yeah. "I'm just gonna stick my gun in here and set up like 500 bullets in front of your face, and then we'll just wait for the time bubble to turn off." That and was I, awesome. Yeah, that and the Megatron cool. is like, just gets it in the face. <laughs> yeah, and if the movie was more about the Transformers, they could have done more cool stuff with that. Yeah, but right. most of the movie is about the Army Men and yeah, and Cade. Yeah, and the British Army, who I always forget, were in the movie. Um, they they were the army <laughs> uh, yeah. that showed up at Stonehenge. Someone, a couple of people, reminded me, and I was like, "Oh right, there was an army at Stonehenge for a scene." I forgot about that. Um, yeah, but I but and I the Blackhawks that put them on the amphibious carrier were Blackhawks, not Naval Hawks. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and speaking of, of like, other countries' militaries, um, I don't know why, but it seems like. Michael Bay really loves the Jordanian military because when they were like showing clips of the, the wreckage all around the world, they specifically put up Jordan as a location with Jordan helicopters. And those were the helicopters that showed up in Egypt during (laughs) revenge of the fallen. Jordan is very open about renting out their hardware. He probably made friends with them during Revenge of the Fallen too. Mm. Like you know, yeah, he, made, well, he made friends with the U.S. military during Pearl Harbor and got like a decade of use out of that relationship. Yeah, well, that always bugged me in Revenge of the Fallen. It's like, okay, they're at the pyramids, but somehow the Jordanian army beats the Egyptian <laughs> army there. <laughs> Listen, in this universe, all right, <laughs> everyone has a sports car. The Jordanian <laughs> army runs Egypt. Jordan's on the spot, man. They're ready to go. The Egyptians are like wandering around looking for their keys. <laughs> Wait, let me go to the bathroom first. And the Jordanians are like, no, it's time to fight. Well, uh, the, the appearance of some of those locations is tied very much to Husk Cybertron, which is our hey, next. Hey. Oh, I had two. I had two. All right. What's the other one? I forgot oh, about the other one. 
No, the other thing I, I, I don't think I. I was trying to think of where I might have seen this in the other movies. I couldn't remember. Uh, Hot Rod would actually speak in vehicle mode. Oh yeah. No, they, which uh... was, which has always felt like it was always felt like this was such a missed opportunity in like every single movie. Yeah. Where like you could have so much time if you don't want to spend CG budget, but you still want the Transformers to be characters, you can have them talk to the humans while they're in vehicle mode. You oh, know, everyone's yeah. crowded up into Prime or Bumblebee. Have a discussion. That's always the thing is that I remember in the first movie, there's that scene where all the Autobots are just there in car mode while the human military is planning their strike and the Autobots are just like dead silent. Yeah. And I'm like, one of them could say something like, yeah, like, hey, like watch out for Brawl. He's a tank or something yeah. like that. Like, I remember Red Revenge of the Fallen where everyone's kind of picked their Autobot to drive with and like no one speaks a word to each other. Yeah. We're just driving through the desert. Um, yeah, I, I I didn't think about that at all, but you're right. I think that is the first. This is the first time I, I I can't think of any other time that a transformer spoke in vehicle mode to someone inside, and it was a great moment because it was like rather than her just getting you know swept off in some mystery alien car driving itself, it was the car going like, "Hey, so I'm an alien car, and I would like to do this with as little drama as possible, please." And I kind of liked that it had the opposite effect. Like it was pretty funny. I want to say maybe Prime had a line or two in truck mode in yeah. the second the, or third movie, maybe, but I I can't say yeah, that with total certainty. Yeah. The the only time I can remember is when he's doing his like calling all Autobot transmissions, which, judging by the first scene in his frozen corpse, he has just playing on loop at all times. Oh, that was oh, just just started a Walkman. <laughs> that was so funny. He's floating through space, and his, de- his 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 like you know chilling line that end of the last movie. He's just spinning through space with that yeah. playing. But then when he lands on Cybertron, he wakes up. So I'm like, so did Prime just actually just fall asleep? And he's like, you know what? I can't keep up this Iron Man pose. They for actually three remembered years. the um the Iceman whatever storyline from the very first thing because Megatron fell where it was cold. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they dug him up and based Earth technology on his body. Right. Remember that? Um, well, let's talk about the Husk Cybertron stuff. Because uh, this was the, the thing that I thought they were doing from the trailers, but it was nice to get confirmation. They actually remembered that Cybertron did only get half blown up in the third movie. Uh, so Optimus Prime arrives there looking for his creators, and then like his creators just chilling out waiting for him. Going like, ah, you arrived. And I was like, I was like, you just showed Wait, up, I worked. guess. I've been listening to your message. <laughs> I'm getting real sick of it. Uh, and I, I like, I, you know, Optimus Prime walked right up and was like, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, all right, he's he's holding true to his intentions. And then Quintessa just like slaps him and puts red stuff on his face, which I guess brainwashes him slightly. Um, <laughs> he still needs to be restrained. Uh, and electrocuted for some reason. Yeah. Although it did lead to, I think, my biggest laugh of the movie when Quintessa, she literally says the line, she's like, Earth must die. And then Optimus in the distance is like, yes. yes. And I was like, that's great. Uh, but yeah, Quintessa, the creator of Cybertron, the, the prime of life, uh, referred to in the goat testicle book as the mad goddess. Uh I thought she was a great in- inclusion into this universe, especially the part when they said she is known as the Mad Goddess, because I was like, the perfect explanation for everything weird about the live-action Transformers universe is that their version of Primus is actually insane and has 
made other things ostensibly throughout the universe that didn't go as well or did. Um, and she also is chilling out with Infernicus, a bunch of guys who look like what they look like when they combine. And they're all like little, <laughs> little robot Satans. And so it's like, all right, so Quintessa is just like a, a psychopath God. That's neat. <laughs> that somehow seems very suitable to this. Uh, the effects on her were really cool. The design was really cool. Um, the backstory was non-existent. Uh, and I, people are trying to parse how this works with the fallen and other stuff. And it's kind of like, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should just ignore that stuff. Cause yeah. I don't think that, I don't think there is even a John Barber road. You could go down that would bandaid all of this together. Um, just take Quintessa at face value. Uh, yeah, ask Michael Bay how it all works together and he'll tell you to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I also was really pleased that she survived the movie. Uh, I, I was certain she was going to get like physically eaten by Optimus Prime or something else horrible. But uh, Optimus Prime doesn't even hit the hit the last blow on her. It's He's like, say hello to my friend Bumblebee really slowly. And then she she disintegrates and then appears in the in the in the sequel hook. And uh, I, I was kind of into that. I'm into like the kind of character she was. She was like the Fallen, except she'll be in another movie where they can actually write a character for her, hopefully. Uh, so I was kind of I was kind of digging Quintessa. Um, I, I thought it was kind of neat that they would take the word Quintesson and go like, all right, but our spin on it is it's a goddess. So we'll call her the planet that the Quintessons lived on. I was like, that's okay. Like other Transformer shows have mixed and matched, you know, the meaning of names around like that. This time it feels okay. Um, Infernicus is a bit of a unfortunate name. And he also unfortunately got decapitated multiple times in a row until he stopped having heads. Uh, but Quintessa, I was, I felt pretty cool with, um, TJ, how'd you feel about Quintessa? Um, I I thought she had good potential. It's weird. Yeah, you're 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 right. If I try to think of how this works with like the All Spark, oh and yeah, the don't Fallen. don't do that. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Mac no. MacGuffins uh, reset at each movie. I yeah, I just need I just need like one. Just all it takes is like just refer to her as the creator of the All Spark. Like just that's all I really would have needed. We could fill in the. I mean, I think you could say. That her staff was the thing that made the AllSpark, and nothing would contradict that. You'd be making or, up her backstory, but nothing would contradict that. Or what if the AllSpark is the machine that did the stuff, and she was just the operator? Yeah, you can say that too. Um, like she used the AllSpark to make the Transformers. Yeah. Like there, there's enough unexplained stuff that you could, you know, band-aid those sort of things together if you want to. Uh, I almost think it would be better if it is left like that for the most part. Yeah. She's fine. I'm, like, I'm happy. The thing is, there's something interesting to me that someone who who is such a potential threat and has such influence over the Transformers is something tiny. Yeah. It's like, because we're like, in, in Transformers, I think we are trained to think like the big enemies are the big, are the bad ones because you've got you know, you think combiners and that's really bad. And then you get city formers. So that's even worse. And they got Unicron, which is the worst of the worst. So I like it's downscaled. Yeah. I like that. There's something, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, like en enemies who are intimidating and potentially threatening, but still small or more interesting to me. Yeah. And they, and, and they, but they kept her, 
they kept her aesthetic Cybertronian, which is the thing that also made me happy. I was worried when, you know, the first figure of her that we see is a little translucent blue figurine that comes with Infernicus. I was like, is she just going to be like, a, a you know, a Star Trek alien or like a Star Wars alien, like someone in makeup? And so it's like, no, she's clearly, you know, techno organic to some degree. And I kind of like that. Yeah. And you know? for some reason, it looks very humanoid. Yeah. But like with plates and stuff. To, like making up her face like i i really liked how her face was animated like there's some some great ideas in there um and I, I'm, I'm happy that she's going to be around for another movie hopefully she's not just going to be in human form for the whole other movie uh because i want to see this design come back um aaron how about you how'd you feel about quintessa <laughs> Aaron Mute just posted the dogs thread. go nuts, but uh, I just sure, saw I can that. talk about I it. Just saw that. I Here, the dogs over. go crazy when the door opens. <laughs> I turned um, over, looked at the message as I was talking, and was like, "Well, this isn't um, a good." <laughs> I I did enjoy Quintessa, and again, like I said, if Quintessa had been the dual end all of the villains of the movie, I think that that would have worked really well because then it is it's that that reversal of mm-hmm. you know, there's not some giant bad guy that we're having to fight or some uh, what is it always in um in comics the the physical heroes have to have mental enemies yeah and vice versa that way you know i i i you know just always playing to my strengths may not do it for the i'm going to cut this thing in half if it's this you know enemy that can just come up and like slap your face and start a brainwashing washing process and is effective enough to turn Optimus Prime into Nemesis Prime, then that is a vil- like that should have been the dual end all. You know, if we knew for sure that the red paint that Megatron was rocking was the same thing and that he was really for real doing this for Quintessa rather than just kind of a line later that mm. makes it seem like it was, but maybe wasn't, but maybe was. I don't know. I, I was hoping then, we would get a moment where he gets unbrainwashed and then goes like, how dare you control my brain? And then like, you know, sides with Optimus Prime. Right. And so then you have the enemy of my enemy is my friend moment. Yeah. You know, any of those things could have been been really good. And there was a whole lot of potential there. And was are we sure that, that was Quintessa in the yeah it was the, the actor sting? that that actor well, is the one who played her like well, I, okay but i'm like saying a, do a we shimmer know? one across her face right like but i'm saying is that maybe just some other because i thought that i mean that's supposed hit, to be someone else i, I is... what i'm saying is i thought that b's hit was like a a finisher no she uh, so she disintegrated after he hit her but okay. that also means there was no body so okay. she she got dissipated and like you know, I, ostensibly reformed. I I had the the thought that that was that was a she done. But also, if a god who created the Transformers could be killed by getting shot once in the back, then we got problems. Well, was she really <laughs> a god, or is that again the any sufficiently advanced technology past the sufficiently advanced technology? If she is that sufficiently advanced, but dies yeah. from getting shot once in the back, there's still a problem. <laughs> Well, the Fallen died by getting his face ripped off. Well, no, he also had his heart ripped out, so that was two things. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, (laughs) jeez. Well, I mean, I mean, it could be like ego, God, lowercase g. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, it would be really cool if that is the case. Like, I like the idea that she just thinks she's a god, like, you know, a Shodan type of thing from System Shock, where it's like, 
She is just sufficiently powerful enough and has created life and thus is like, you know what? I guess I'm a god. Yeah, uh, or she's a god in that she created a thing that is technically beneath her. But that'd be like if I built a little robot and then declared myself a god for creating a thing. Yeah, you could be a god of a little butter robot. Yeah. I'd be a butter robot or god for at purpose. least a day. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, let's uh, before we talk about Optimus Prime, let's talk about the Unicron part because that kind of goes hand in hand with Quintessa. So well, they they could also do a big twist where it turns out that she is the creator, but of something else. So who knows? Wait, I they, mean, we gotta wait and see what they do with her. Yeah, they, they might do a Primacron thing with her, right? Like, yeah, where it's well, like... it, well, yeah, and Primus could still be a completely different thing because it's kind of weird that. She's kind of evil in this, but she's trying to get Unicron, and she's, Unicron's the most evil, or should be, unless right, unless yeah. Michael Bay thinks Unicron is Primus, and that'd be pretty funny. Well, she's trying. To, she's trying to kill two birds with one stone, which is she's trying to kill Unicron, and she's trying to use his energy to restore Cybertron, but they just happened. To also like doing that will also kill humanity off. So we have to view her as the villain because she's trying to kill us, when in reality she's trying to kill like the biggest threat in the universe and restore an entire planet. Well, yeah, the, the and one thing, of the yeah. things that snaps Prime back from being her lackey is Earth is the only place to let me call it home, sort of a thing. It's like, yeah, well, Earth was also the place you had to hide in a movie theater because they were hunting you down. Earth is the yeah. place where they literally <laughs> murdered all your friends and made well, you, look, you know, crazy. The, the real story behind that is he had to take out the trash. Right. And he really didn't want to do those chores. So he just like went off in hiding. <clears throat> That's in the graphic novel that got canceled. Uh, I can confirm. Uh, well, I, I think I think the thing about her and Unicron that I thought was interesting is that whenever she referred to Unicron, it was less about he's the great evil and more that he's my opposite and I want to kill him. Because uh, also this whole Unicron is Earth thing is literally right out of Transformers Prime. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool. And then I was worried because I was like, if you try to handle all this in one movie, this is going to go very badly. And I'm actually kind of okay with them introducing the concept and clearly turning it into a sequel hook. Uh, I thought the bit about Unicron's horns not lining up because of Pangea was cute. Although that I... That got on my nerves so it, badly. It was real cute because it leaves out, I think, a whole lot of details about Continental Drift and Unicron. Yeah. Well, it, it implies that it's like the it implies that it's like his maw because when it's Pangea, they're in the circle and it's in like the correct spot for that. Yeah. But it all that also implies that the shifting of the continents somehow broke apart this like his mouth. piece. Yeah, his mouth on <laughs> Unicron, where you know, because like the planet's a lot thicker than that, you know. Yeah, and also like the... if, like, like if if this was Unicron, if Unicron was the planet, like his teeth wouldn't just drift apart like that they'd be part of the core and, and part of the way that unicron as earth works conceptually is it's more unicron is the core of the earth and the earth is just the detritus that formed around him while he was asleep and right. we the we and everything living on earth are just parasites that happen to evolve out of that detritus you know so like to unicron we are literally nothing and like that's kind of how the story makes a lot of sense maybe that's just how they'll do it when they they handle it in, in, in its own film 
Um, yeah, I, I was also curious, um, is what is now the British Isles the kind of the center of Pangaea? And I found one map that kind of shows where what our countries now kind of were. And England's kind of middle-ish, but not really, according to this map. But then who knows? Yeah, I uh, often like I didn't do any research either, so I like I don't really know the geography super well of you know the Pangean continental drift. But I just thought it, it was a very cute idea that sounded like the kind of thing you'd think up in high school when you've learned about part of the science. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm going to be super clever, and I was like, I bet there's something really critically incorrect about this, and there probably is. I want the artist rendering of what. It w- what Unicron would look like if his mouth really did drift that far apart from itself. <laughs> All his lines are just a guy going like, ha! <laughs> just these braces, <laughs> like, man, you really need to see a planetary orthodontist. Well, and, uh, I, I mean, the whole thing about this being a sequel hook, I'm kind of liking what they left you know, writers to work with because you've got Earth is Unicron and his mouth's all janked up, and Cybertron <laughs> is, like, now a cyst attached to the Earth. Like it's a bunch of threads of planet that are kind of hooked into the in, into the Earth's crust, and it's sort of floating there, you know, kind of hanging off like a like a boil. Uh, uh, no, we're dead. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that that that's our, that's <laughs> yeah. Armageddon right there. The world's destroyed. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got yeah. plate. Yeah, you got plate shifts and tectonic shifts and well, the- uh, you know. Tides going out of control and seismic activity everywhere. No, and the atmosphere the giant would have been stripped. Gone. Yeah, yeah, the atmosphere would have been stripped away. Any city anywhere close to those giant chunks would have been flattened. They implied that, that's, that's they implied why Kay didn't get a text message back from his daughter. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> they did imply from a shot in orbit where you couldn't really see it happen. They were kind of implying that like multiple cities were just gone. Yeah, well, they made reference to that, like, as the things are scraping across the surface, like, hundreds of millions of dead, but, like, beyond that. Yeah. Because, like, not just the physical damage of the chunk scraping, but, like, if you remember that, the show from the 80s, V, where these big UFOs come down and hover over cities. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember watching a thing where a guy was breaking down, like, if a UFO, if a spaceship that big came into the atmosphere, the the air alone that it displaces would have flattened the city that it came down over. So, and these chunks were in some cases way bigger than those UFOs were in that show. So yeah, the earth is dust. Like people are, there there is no life left. Let's just take, let's take for granted that Cybertron brought some kind of magic atmosphere fixing atmosphere with it. Well, it's technology that seems like magic to him. That's right. I'm using magic so I don't have to say the whole phrase every time. <laughs> so that setting, just I don't know, the setting of what if like half of Cybertron is hooked into the planet Earth, it kind of knocked the moon out of the way, and you know everything's all messed up, and and Cybertronians are now going to live on their chunk of a planet, and it's you know physically hooked onto the yeah they can planet. they can just walk up there. That's the nice thing about leaving that line there. Yeah, like like that setting that they are leaving for whatever the next major movie is. I'm not saying the next major movie is going to suddenly be written well, but like that is a fascinating setting if it is, you know, carried through. Uh, 
I, I kind of like the idea in a way. And uh, I'm just hoping that they, I don't know, I'm hoping that they can play with it a little bit before they go like, oh, Unicron woke up. And the Earth, I mean, because also if Unicron wakes up, then it's like, all right, the Earth just turned into a robot and everyone on it is double dead. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing we were working on Cybertron and there's like the 12 humans that were up there. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the 12 humans. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Optimus Prime because, you know, Optimus Prime, Infernicus, Unicron, the Husk Cybertron and Quintessa were also all barely in the movie. Uh, they were there at the start and they kind of disappeared for a really long time. And, uh, Optimus Prime was, yes, called Nemesis Prime once by Quintessa. And then he declared, I am Nemesis Prime. He also, I think at least seven times someone counted, he would say, my name is, or he would assert what his name is over and over again. Um, that was most of his dialogue. Uh, I, I was... I wasn't mad. I was just kind of, uh, comically astounded that the way they solved him being Nemesis Prime was to kind of take the most mocked summer action movie plot point of the last year and have Bumblebee do a version of, well, my mom's name is also Martha, you know, to say a magic word mm -hmm. that activates the power of love. And then Optimus Prime goes like, ah, and then they even show the red fading off of the side of his face. And I was like, all right, so that's all you're going to do. Cool. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, also hilarious was the part where the knights are all coming to beat him up for, you know, betraying them. And an Optimus Prime very plainly and matter-of-factly states like, the knights of Cybertron are now going to kill me. <laughs> I was like, I was like, man. This is our way. <laughs> yeah. The, this whole movie, Peter Cullen's delivery was super flat. He also had the most garbage dialogue he's ever had to read. Stuff like, my maker, comma, I do. Uh, <laughs> but... I, I, so I heard, because Peter Cullen had mentioned, he gets kind of bummed out when they have him say, like, straight-up murderous stuff as Optimus Prime. And in the last movie, it was really pushed. But in the last movie, his performance was also so strong. It feels like this movie was where he finally got fed up and was like, oh, you want me to say, I'll, okay, I'll kill you. You know, like, it, it, it really felt like he was tired of this dialogue. And it, sho it, it, it showed through in the performance, because... I kind of got bummed out that he was on screen most of the time after a while. And I was like, I have been joyful to watch Optimus Prime in these movies, you know, throughout all of his, his dips and faults. This movie is where I actually got sick of him. And I was like, I kind of would be happy if the Knights killed him here. This would be a great way to let Peter Cullen exit this role and to make me not become sick of it. But instead, he then went to deliver like some rousing speech and I was like, excuse me, who the hell are you to wander onto the movie after two hours and be the one who gives the rousing speech? Uh, and I just thought he kind of sucked in this movie. Um, he barely even had anything, you know, action wise with Megatron other than like a single line exchange. And then he just kicked Megatron out of the movie, uh, which was a neat, you know, homage to the 86 movie and Galvatron, I guess. And it means Megatron survived, which is good. But uh, I did not care for Optimus Prime in this movie very much. And I was all ready to, to dive into this. Like, oh, look, they're making him actually evil. It's going to be more of my fan fiction, blah, blah, blah. And it was just a bummer for me. Um, but uh, Seth, how did you feel about, about Optimus Prime in this movie? I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and he still, for as little as he was in the movie, he still did the movie Optimus Prime thing where the big final 
act battle starts and then he disappears for <laughs> half, two thirds of it until someone's like, oh my, where's Prime? And so he can make his big dramatic save the day entrance mm-hmm. again. It's like, I think it's pr- almost every movie that's happened. Like he just for no reason disappears or gets waylaid on the way to the fight. I remember and, Dark of the Moon well, when he just gets caught in a bunch of cables and he's like, ah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hanging upside down like an idiot. Yeah, like he's always got to get there late so he could show up and save the day. And you think sooner or later somebody would call him out on it. Like, like I, I mean, think he, he's sandbagging on purpose so he could sit out a lot of the fight. He he's almost, just around a corner, like, checking his email or something. Well, what, what, you, didn't see, what you didn't see was him chugging a bottle of booze out. He almost kind of made light of it when, like, he shows up, runs at Infernicus, and goes, like, don't you know who I am? And then, like, murders Infernicus in one shot. And it's like, that's right. Optimus oh, he Primus chops is... all of their heads off in one swing. In one yeah. big swing. Ugh. I was yeah. like, I was when like, that, huh? look, it was the one time that bad guys didn't go for the we're going to come at you one by one. Except for they decided we're going to all come in at you circle. but be equally spaced. <laughs> and all of our heads are exactly the same height off the ground. So, I mean, you do what you got to do, man. I mean, like Infernicus was getting kind of cool when like he walks out to the battle and is just ejecting smaller pieces of himself into little Infernicuses. And then Megatron straight up drops an 86 movie type line. He's like, Infernicus, transform. And he like merges together. And I'm like, sweet. Then Optimus Prime shows up, cuts his big head open. So Infernicus is like, all right, I'll be little. I'll run at you as little people. And then they all get decapitated. And they're like, all right, well, that was Infernicus. See, I was was just hoping for a moment in that fight because they're the like non-form combiners or whatever where they just like pour up into each other where it would have been. He takes a swing, the sword stops, and then, like, you see that form back behind it or arms grab it or do something in that fight other than just, like, decapitate and then, like, or, or plus six combo. Or he decapitates the big one, so little ones run out, and he decapitates them. What if they then just broke up into tiny little Infernicons, <laughs> like, crawled all over them like tiny ashes from, uh, from Army of Darkness or something? Mm-hmm. See, that's what stops him. That's what stops Prime from showing up for the rest of the fight. He just has to spend all this time squashing consistently smaller and smaller Inferno cons. Yeah, well, when he did the big chop, I'd lean over to my girlfriend and my best best Mickey Mouse. I go, I got seven in one blow. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, props to every trailer for showing him kill all the Inferno cons before the movie came out. (laughs) High fives. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, that was Optimus Prime. He, his truck mode showed up once, and it—I don't know—is this a truck thing? Because I felt like his truck mode looked really jiggly when it showed up and was driving away from the dust cloud, like more so than usual. It felt like I don't know, like a lot of the the, the shell was just kind of like shuddering, or is that just a truck thing when they drive over dirt? Uh, they'd be yeah. dry if that's a field that's very rough. Okay, the cab is set up to have its own suspension separate of the the like truck part so that it's a smoother ride for the people in the cab so yeah it's going to like wiggle and try and balance itself out yeah we we deal with a lot of trucks at work and i've seen similar kind of jostlings okay yeah i just i I don't know much about trucks it just for some reason stuck out to me in that scene because i was like did they just like really smack that truck together in the last minute or is that just a truck thing but it's a truck thing um 
Anything else about Husk Cybertron and Optimus Prime? Or shall we get on to the actual named star of the movie who is a big name? Let's get on to Let's it. Let's get on. Get on. The English yeah. Castle of Anthony Hopkins, who was in the movie way the hell longer than I thought he was going to be in the movie. He was actually like a big role. And like a good 75% of the time, he was kicking ass at that role. And then every now and then, he got a little bit John Malkovich in Transformers 3 when he was like going like, I don't know, screaming like, hey, fat asses, get out of my way. And then like flipping off people. And, yeah. That's uh, like, I wonder if that was Hopkins as the actor or hopkins as the as the british lord guy and it was just like oh man he like wigged out that guy that drove too close and flipped him off let's use that <laughs> it's on film well they, they so they had the one throwaway line that i felt like almost was added in to just explain any weird behavior where it's like they kind of go like also maybe he's a crazy guy yeah and i was like all right well i guess that's your band-aid <laughs> turns out all the wit wiccans are knucking futs yeah uh yeah the order of witwickens by the way featuring every famous person ever and also shia labeouf <laughs> in a really weird cameo that i actually really bust a gut at when i saw it <laughs> uh so the order of witwickens right the order is so secret that one of our members didn't even know he was in it that's right uh i thought it got a little bit muddy in whether or not the order of witwickens were literally the descendants of merlin or were also people just put into the order? Like, obviously it was both. But I found... Because I thought the number of people going, like, wait, was Shia LaBeouf a descendant of Merlin? I was like, I see how you could think that. But I don't think he was supposed to be. Uh, I think the part where his name is Witwicky was more of just, like, a coincidence. Yeah, but, I was mm -hmm. wondering, like, is Witwicken, like, Merlin's actual name from the surname from the legends? Or... Is that something they came up with and they did it on purpose that it's so close to Witwicky? Well, I think it's just weird. like Witwicky and Wiccan. Hey, we can mash these two things together and come that's, up with something interesting. Assumed. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, it's a cool idea. It's also funny that it was another, like, you know, centuries old secret society that wasn't Sector 7. Because I'm like, I bet Sector 7 is feeling really tiny now. They're like, we did it first. Well, it's just John Turturro in Cuba. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> hanging out with Topspin. And now John Turturro's in the Order of Witwicken, so whatever. Um, hey, the, the whole Earth is going to get destroyed. Let's go to the beach. That's all the <laughs> yeah. Topspin cares about. Uh, I'll point out, by the way, because someone's going to yell it. Yes, Topspin did have Leadfoot's head. I didn't actually notice it, but a lot of people did. Hey, a, lo a lot of people change their heads in these movies. Yeah. Hello, Barricade. Well, I liked Anthony Hopkins in this, and I was all I was like going into this going like, all right, so like at what point is he gonna like walk through a doorway and his pants just fall down with like a cartoon noise, like Wee! or something stupid? Like I was I was just expecting the full John Malkovich treatment that he got in the third movie, where it's like I'll only Michael Bay is like I'll only kind of direct him and just let him improvise whatever he wants that he thinks is funny, and um, that still showed through a little bit, but Anthony Hopkins really kind of tried to bring it to this role. Um, especially given how he kind of didn't really know what he was talking about in character as an actor. Um, so I, I, I really dug him. I even liked his character ending. He's like, I spent 70 years thinking maybe I was just like useless, but I was useful. And then he went out having a gunfight with Megatron. And then I hated his eulogy. His eulogy was pretty dumb. Uh, we'll get to Cogman. After it was we... fine right up until the end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But a lot of, I felt a lot of Anthony Hopkins' performance, like, 
yeah, they threw in that line about maybe he's a little nuts. But it kind of felt like there were some scenes where Michael Bay just wasn't interested and he got to just, you know, be a good actor. Mm -hmm. And then there were scenes where Michael Bay was actually engaged with the performance and made him be wacky. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, uh, I I just think that like the the proportion of it worked out for the better, whatever it was. Like I I just didn't I didn't feel embarrassed watching him. You know I it didn't feel like they were gonna make him make a fool of himself even when he was at like his wackiest. Yeah. And and he said all kinds of Transformers words like Unicron, and uh, and Headmaster. That was weird. I was all ha- I was just really bummed out. He never said Transtector. He was like so close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just naming different things from <laughs> Transformers that have nothing to do with anything. Star Saber. <laughs> the Seacon. Pretenders. Minicon. <laughs> Armada Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Voyager uh, class. I don't know. Pressmaster. <laughs> but... Oh, he's crazy. No, that... ba- be down. Bay would be down for that one. Yeah. yeah. Be like, wait, there were breast masters this whole time? Hang on. I'm in for Nobody another told movie. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told me this. <laughs> Transformer um, Six. Let's roll it up. I don't well, need a script. We'll just start. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins kind of came uh, hand in hand with the Cogman character, and I was really jazzed that his name was pronounced Cogman because I was worried it was going to be Cogman, uh, who was played by some guy from from a British TV show who's famous and I don't remember his name. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I liked Cogman a whole lot until he stopped being in the movie. Uh, he did push it a little too far here and there. Um, you know, his whole like, I'm a kooky, crazy psycho butler who's going to kill people um, kind of thing. Like it, it pushed a little too far to the point where, you know, every now and then I was like, all right, let's dial back the Cogman a little bit um, to the point where his last appearance was that terrible ending to the eulogy where I was like, OK, but he's going to do something cool now. Right. He's gonna flip out over the body of his dead, uh, his dead charge. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna go be a headmaster. You just blew up Nitro Zeus's head, who is a flying Decepticon, and Mark Wahlberg and Vivian are falling from a very high height and need to be saved. Wouldn't it be great if Cogman popped into a head mode onto that body and saved them? Like, I liked Cogman a lot. But he also was one of the movie's greatest failures in following through on anything with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the sheer amount of time he was in the movie, to not let him have his big moment, to call him a headmaster, to give him the dramatic impetus of Anthony Hopkins dying right before him, to not use that for anything was a uh, astounding failure. Uh, and really let me down because uh, I did enjoy this character a lot. I'm, I'm like even to the point of like having him drive an Austin Martin like the toy and not transform it and call it the decoy to make me go like, all right, I guess you're going to do something cooler later then, you know, like we're going to get into this submarine and I'll just be goofy hanging around the submarine. I'm going to launch myself out of the submarine to go catch fish, to go catch two tuna, two yeah. huge fish. And then somehow have all the greens and everything else to go with that dinner with the the nice plates and yeah, just, other stuff that's going to be still stored on this submarine that's a exhibit Co- with a door cut in the side of it, but still watertight. Cogman <laughs> was a movie-long blue-ballsing for me. Like, mm-hmm. on the level of the, 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 the 2014, I think it was, Godzilla movie. 
um, of just like, you can't lead me on like this. Like Godzilla at least eventually followed through like too late. This was uh, stringing me along long enough to make me pretty grumpy when nothing ended up paying off at the end. Yeah, uh, there was no point in referring to him as a headmaster because not he never did it. Yeah, and then yeah. there, I don't really see the point of making him have his psychotic episodes because it just because all Transformers have to be dude bro douchebags at some point apparently so he couldn't just be this kind of stuffy butler i did like that someone calls him out as being a rip off of c-3po because he did have a lot of c-3po niche in his design mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like why couldn't he have just played it straight why did he have to have crazy moments and why couldn't he have just had a nice eulogy for the Earl he had served all this time and then tack on at the very end. I I wrote it down. It bugged me so much. Um, you were by far the coolest. Why did he have to say the coolest? It's, it's I don't well, it's understand just, why these things have to happen. All, all of that <laughs> stuff, like the, the, the whole part where he's kind of kooky and violent to me, the whole reason you do that is so when Anthony Hopkins dies, he's goes like, all right, now I'm set off. And he's going to go right. charge into battle and like go, go find like Nitro Zeus or something and just physically rip his head off, transform into a new head, plug in and have a big damn hero moment. Like that well, is the narrative reason to do that. So well, to well, not do it is astounding. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you want to talk about anything getting cut from the movie? That's what it felt like. Because if I remember right, Nitro's toy has a slot for a Nitro's headmaster. Toys, yeah, Nitro's the, toy, like, the head can remove entirely for a headmaster to replace that head. Like, the toy has a gimmick based on being hijacked by a headmaster. So, like, I don't know. And I'm not saying, you know, make the toy commercial a better toy commercial here. Like, maybe I am. You know what? I am saying that. But it's a Transformers movie. And usually one of the cruxes of Transformers as a franchise is doing a toy commercial so well that you don't care it's a toy commercial. Uh, So, yeah, like, I I feel so bad kind of trashing on Cogman's performance because, like, I liked so much of it because of what it was supposed to lead to. Uh, yeah, I it, looked it up the. Actor. I even liked his design. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked the I, design. I liked the aspect, and I liked moments he had. I liked uh, the only, but the only laughs I got out of the movie was him trying to make uh, the exposition moments epic, playing the organ or trying to sing opera, operatic. Yeah, yeah. They they got a legit crowd laugh at my showing. Uh, like a legit crowd laugh, not a, ah, it's a stupid crowd laugh. And I was, it was all right. I, those those moments actually didn't quite hit hit it with me. Those were the uh, like, I think maybe you're pushing this a little too far kind of moments for me. But they also followed the rule of three to some degree. They 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 had the like, oh, you think we're done with this? But nope, it was more of the rule of two. Um, any anything else about Cogman you guys wanted to throw out there? Or shall we do the Dementia War robots? Because speaking of wasted potential, yeah, we had yeah. like like the I thought I loved Shit. that the one who was like a big artillery tank when he turned into a robot. I loved that a he had like an old timey hat as part of his head design, and b like it was a great way to sell this character idea. He turns into a robot and all his parts start falling off. He's trying to collect them and he looks up all kind of like half helpless and then his hat just slides off his head and it's also the top half of his head and it's like. You poor thing. 
You know, like I, I was like, show me more of this. Make me feel bad for these uh, these Transformers who have gone through world wars and are now like, you know, stuck living out this robot dementia in this castle, you know, uh, or the the one that some people I think actually missed. I only caught it barely when they were escaping the castle. There was that one that looked like an old biplane. And then he was like, I'll get him. And then he like jumps and falls onto his face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then disappears for the rest of the movie. Uh, another piece, uh, you know, another film I wouldn't have minded watching. Just Anthony Hopkins and Cogman at the English castle caring for these damaged old robots. Uh, the watch that he'll killed Hitler went out of control one day. So for a joke, so that was one thing that got spoiled for me on Twitter was like, they're going to say a Transformer killed Hitler. And that's where I was like, is that flashback scene going to be super gross? And like, straight up go like, you know who actually killed Hitler? Bumblebee. Because I was like, that's too much. You can't try to tell me that that's real. And I actually kind of liked how it was instead just this gag of like, no, it was actually like one of those uh, like toaster bots, you know, like like it's it was an appliance they got hit with some all spark energy and is like an insane little thing filled with rockets and machine guns. Mm-hmm. And it probably just shot them all while sitting in his pocket. <laughs> and it was like, all right, that's okay. I'm, that's a fun, that's a fun goof. Um, but I don't know, like, uh, Aaron, you, you know about vehicles. Uh, how'd you feel about the, the old timey robots? That is, um, you know, I, I liked it that, okay. Yeah, to further the whole Witwickens, and we've kind of been keeping it secret the whole time, and so then this is, like, a, a safe haven for them. But then to have them be completely ineffectual when TRF shows up, or the British military, or whoever the heck it was, shows up, like, just falling over. Uh, look, there could have actually been a fight there. Yeah. Or... Or part of the decoy cars is you have three or four of these cars take off and then there's some like chaos in the streets of which one are they in Yeah, and something happens. And there was a nice way to do this because they had established that they aren't just killing Transformers. They have like this whole, you know, Decepticon jail that they're keeping right. some of them in. So it's like, you know, you're not making me watch these, you know, hurt old robots then get murdered by the TRF. It would be like, right. you know, we're arresting you, them. You can see them with the the Transformers less lethal stuff, you know, big electro nets or something tossed over some of them. Yeah. As they're saying, like, no, you run, I'll, I'll hold them off, and then blap, and then have something about it. But Turn again, into a block it's point later. The, you know, have them right, show up at the big final battle. It's a thing where they hang all these ideas out there, and then just, it. they went to bed, and then they woke up in the morning, and they said, what was this in the script? Ah, I don't know, leave it there, let's keep going. Yeah, uh, speaking, speaking of which, also, this is kind of related. They get into a submarine, someone says, it's a Transformer. But the submarine is just a submarine. Mm-hmm. It's just a submarine. <laughs> never talks. Certainly never transforms. I'm like, is it a dead transformer? <laughs> like, are you just piloting the corpse? Like, what's well, what's going on? It it does a backflip. It like, does. It does. I didn't think 2017 would be the year of laughable submarines and transformers. But like, also those little weird dirigibles that the. Oh, you mean you mean upside down submarines? Uh, yeah, upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. upside down guns. <laughs> Not guns. Not guns. Submarines. No. no. 
Um, you see the, the submarine police are already driving by the window. Like that, that was the moment in the movie for me where it's like in the, in age of extinction, it was like a stunt car, a stunt rally driver drop kicking a guy with a tire on his car and not knocking his head off. Yeah. The, the, the moment where I just, my mind just leaves the movie. Well, and Bumblebee kind of pulled one of those when he did his reassembly karate, where like his entire yeah. leg just hit a dude in the face, and I was like, "See, <laughs> I could believe that from Bumblebee because Bumblebee is a precise machine that could do that. This is just some guy getting lucky with his car." That's true. Yeah, you sorry, know, I forgot that that was a guy driving the car when he hit the dude in the face yeah. with it. <laughs> but like that's it's like there's always a moment in these movies where my head just goes, I. I get I give up. I'm not trying to make sense of this anymore. Maybe that's why I like Age of Extinction more cuz it got that out of the way early. Well, in Age of well, also, to say this, Age of Extinction didn't slow things down with lots of humans trying to do stuff. You know, like like I said before, Age of Extinction cut out the part where the humans beyond like, you know, the human combatants were a guy with an alien gun as opposed to a standing military. Um right. Seth, uh we were just talking about the dementia war robots and the submarine that was apparently a transformer. Uh, did you have any, any stuff you want to throw in on those? Uh, I hadn't unmuted the microphone I'm recording on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once I was dropped on, I'm not exactly sure what you guys covered. I'll keep it kind of short. And if I reiterate something, forgive me. Um, I'm just not sure why those bots had to have dementia because um like a um Jetfire it was stated he had been Earth for a super duper long time and he was crotchety but he wasn't like dementia bot and Bumblebee's been there since at least World War II if not longer and that's not that much older than a World War One tank mm-hmm. so I don't I don't know it it's- just it was kind of weird that they had to be like, General, my parts are falling off. It's it's that whole thing where it's those Camaro parts. Camaro is the greatest machine on Earth because they sponsored the movie a lot. Yeah, way better so, than the SR-71. That's that right. That was falling apart, too. Yeah, even I'm if you're an SR-71. My parts fall off. <laughs> but if you're a Camaro, oh, you are, you are practically reborn every time you rescan a body. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's, let's talk about the plot devices because there were three of them. And they're kind of the last major thing we need to cover. Other than, did you guys want to say anything at all about nameless scientist guy who was at NASA and then suddenly was uh, advising uh, the White House? Because I hated that character. That, but that whole yeah. that whole shtick between like the advisor that had on a NASA lanyard and was like, no, it looks like numbers. Is this like going to make an emoji or what? Yeah, it's like, and it's then, like some nerd crap to me. Yeah, and then when it bounced to, um, like, back and forth with his, like, you can believe in the goblins and the Lord of the Rings, but I got science, and science says, blow stuff up. Yeah, yeah it's he like, kept saying hobgoblins. Yeah, hobgoblins. <laughs> yeah. I hated that character be- mm-hmm. for very, not only for obvious reasons, but also because there was never any link between him being a lazy dude at NASA and then suddenly advising literally the White House and the U.S. military government and failing in his advisement. It did make me happy to see spend the last part of the movie just with his head and his hands just broken. 
Yeah, he he just he also felt like a part of the original three movies that I did not enjoy seeing come back. The like, well, I'm a science expert, and those things are made of science, and I know yeah. how science works. Yeah, and I work you're for a, the government. A, yeah, unless you're a hot lady in glasses, Michael Bay thinks you're a, a loser if you're a scientist. It's like <laughs> yeah. it almost felt like Michael Bay trashing on science in a way because he's like, yo, with her fairy tales and hobgoblins, and I'm going to use physics. Yeah. Yeah, and Michael like, Bay's like, does Michael suck. Bay have right. beef with <laughs> scientific? any thought or something is this yeah. his shot in the culture war like what's going on and then, and then even cybertron then... crashes onto earth and then earth somehow turns flatter but then everyone's somehow <laughs> happier and... <laughs> and and that's again a case where they could have even if they want to have the really cool moment of like pendulum knock into other thing you could have removed nasa guy and all of his like we done the scans and ran the numbers and whatever ran the and just and just had <laughs> Like one of the military, I have Linux say like, "Oh, it looks like that's being held. That's like the one part of the planet that looks like it's being held up by two entirely separate sets of cords. What if we hit that? You know, strike that, blow that cord up, and have it take this thing out because yeah. we don't have Vivian in order to do whatever <laughs> we need to do. So Vivian can't be there to do this, but Making we might be able to do so this. Happy. And you can have like the." happy military porn moment of our our boys in green lazing it and then have them shoot that down and take much less time to get through things rather than build up this NASA guy that you're not going to like. So when you have the plan that looks like it might work and then it doesn't, you're like, yeah, the jerk's plan didn't work. Also, Aaron, you care about space and science. What did you think about the part where he's like, Cybertron hid behind the sun. That's why we didn't notice it till now. Because I felt that was just confusing. Like, theoretically, that could happen if it was coming. And I mean, because they did say one tenth light speed. So it's cooking in the grand scheme of things. And it's hard to observe things that are coming at it that way because yeah, wouldn't it have to be coming in on a big arc to be right. on the other side of the sun as right. the earth is rotating yeah i mean there's orbiting there's uh, things that like in in the realm of stuff science wise that this movie did horribly even if we go for sufficiently advanced technology as superior magic that's low on the list it just felt like a very odd thing to specify. Yeah, it's like it's you, like you could just say a magic hey, space it, goddess is piloting a half blown up planet. I th I think I can buy that she used her space magic to make you not notice right away. Yeah, yeah, not just that, but also like part of this planet should still maybe be in orbit or not. I'm not sure how the last movie ended, it, and then also like if you look at planetary orbits of neptune and uranus there's talk that there may be another one or two planets out there to make sense of perturbations and the fact that like as if you're not emitting light it's really hard to see things in space i mean that's the whole way that we find out that there are planets around other suns because it gets in the way of the light so mm. like if it's not making light it could it could and going that fast, it could easily truck into the neighborhood and get really close before anybody notices it. 
or you don't even have to pretend like there's science behind it. Yeah, the uh, I just felt like this all made NASA somehow look bad, and I was like, that's sort of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it could have been like, why didn't we see this thing coming? And it's like, well, because it's really fast. Well, we really <laughs> it just well, because our budget for space observation is like a buck fifty and a Big Mac coupon, <laughs> and the coupon's expired. I got to go argue with the guy to get the the, the crappy sandwich. Well, because we also well we also have things like. The third movie was all about, you know, this this mag this magical little thing in space that could just teleport the planet mm -hmm. to Earth. Like, well, this is the creator of all this, so couldn't she just do that? I mean, yeah, I, I just I would just assume like, <laughs> hey, maybe she space bridged Cybertron into the solar system. Yeah, and so it just popped up, and then you know, space bridging isn't super accurate, so she ends up in the solar system and is like, I'll just fly it over there. NASA, yeah. why didn't you see this planet coming? Well, you see, General, when science is advanced enough, it appears like magic. They <laughs> should have had that line. Yeah, yes. everyone eventually says that line. That's the answer. More shower sitting there. More shower sitting there. How does this pen work? Well, when you see, uh, and every single time someone says it, Vivian is just in the background. Suddenly goes like, "Ah, oh, Arthur C. Clarke." <laughs> <laughs> everyone around me is so educated. Um, More so than I suspected. Well, uh, let's, let's go on to the plot devices. So we got Merlin's staff, we got the talisman, and we have the sunken knight's ship. Uh, the sunken knight's ship, I'm only calling a plot device because it's where a thing was. But uh, as far as plot devices go, um, I liked Merlin's staff a lot. Just I like a plot device where it's like it's a stick full of power and it's maybe hidden. And then when you're the chosen one, you hold it and you got all the power. Uh, unfortunately, the chosen one never got to actually use it. But Do you uh, also get the touch, though? You get the, you get the touch. Uh, and, uh, when, when all hell's breaking loose, uh, you can something the eye of the storm. You'll be riding the, the eye of the storm. Riding the eye of the storm. Any science that's advanced enough. <laughs> could be interpreted as magic. <laughs> as the eye of the storm. <laughs> so I, I, I like Merlin's staff a bunch. Um, also Merlin's staff, you could see is, you could, you could, I've seen people make a decent case that like, hey, maybe they read about the forge of Solus Prime. And misinterpreted some stuff, but then they're trying to make that be the Forge of Solus Prime, which is like the big hammer that Solus Prime uses to make fancy pants artifacts. Um, the talisman was weird because I didn't get if it was alive or not. Yeah. And then it turned into a sword that Marky Mark had for a good New York second and then it disappeared. Well, it seemed to be this thing that crawled around his body and deflected bullets and like it, it seemed to go where he needed protection the most and then there's like a scene where it goes pants. down his pants yeah <laughs> he needed protection there because he was going to get unchased and they made a whole deal about how the last night has to be chased right so when yeah. he was starting that, to be that's like, way hey, too logical they could not have thought about it that much what if they did <laughs> but like after he was revealed to be the last knight, this is something I forgot about entirely until like the other day. He's the last knight. He has the talisman. It turned into a sword. But then it didn't matter. Yeah, it's correct. It, it turned into a sword when it was most dramatically convenient, you know, not when, you know, there's drones shooting a thousand bullets at him or anything like he that. Never, yeah, he never used it in battle, right? No, no, he, he blocked, blocked he, the one. Yeah, he blocked the knight swinging on prime. Yeah, that's all oh, no, he no, did. No. I mean, I mean, yeah, he blocked, but that wasn't a battle. That was him going like, "Don't kill this guy," because I'm the last knight. Listen to me. But like when they were in the big yeah. fight on Cybertron, 
he never actually swung the sword around or used the talisman to protect himself. No, I was expecting it to turn into a suit of like awesome armor. Oh, yeah, God, when it was like moving cool. its way yeah. down his arm, yeah, I was like, ah. Like, oh. Yeah, like Apex armor from Prime. Oh, God, that would have been cool. Or but with a sword. <laughs> that would have been okay. <laughs> uh, man, man. Yeah, another thing dropped, I think, is him being the last knight seemed to be him saying, don't kill Optimus, and then that was it. But also, like, you know, the talisman unlocked the door on the sunken knight spaceship, I guess. Um... But yeah, plot devices. These these were our plot devices. Uh, Seth, uh, yes, let's talk. Let's talk plot devices. Um, well, something about the submarine that popped into my head that I just want to backtrack on and complain about. It's kind of a plot device, right? Is you see an army man go a submarine jump the its moorings. Um, so that was the special effect that was too crazy to actually show in the movie. <laughs> yeah, is the submarine <laughs> hopping in the water? Yeah. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Submarine growing legs. We we don't have the budget for that. <laughs> Submarine sliding into the water. Anyway, we're going to have nuts. a chunk of an alien planet scrape across Hong Kong. It's... Yeah. Look, <laughs> Mike Bay ate pyramid. up half of our, our explosives budget just by huffing it, I think. So uh, we got to make that up somewhere. Ah, we'll just write a line. We didn't plan for having explosives set pieces when we were filming with all the knights. We didn't think that was possible, but he did find a way. We need to trim something back. <laughs> We don't have the computer processing power. It's too hard. <laughs> we can't render that. Submarines with legs? What do you think this is? It doesn't even have to do that. Just like a little rocket flame could shoot out the bottom and pop it into the water. I guess. I'm just so I was so attached to the visual of the submarine just sprouting some legs like a girlwalk mode. Like, or or how about just like crab legs? Just like just sideways sidewalks. Yeah. Yeah, well, anything to indicate that it was actually a transformer besides some sound effects. That would be And great. being able to yeah. do, like, sick maneuvers that outdo, like, actual modern state-of-the-art submarines. Mm. And also uh, is a submarine that has, like, four giant windows on the front of it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like, yeah, I, maybe Michael Bay thinks the Nautilus from 50,000 Leagues Under the Sea is a real deal. So wait, I don't, wait, I don't wait, know wait, 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 wait. It's not. I don't know things about submarines. So submarines literally couldn't have a window. I mean, they could. They could, but like... It so would limit how and, deep they could go. <laughs> and, and the... Especially like World War II technology. But so like the DSVs that the Marine... That the like Navy SEALs got into. Mm. Those windows are like three inches thick. Of like... A, um, some kind of uh, polycarbonate that is like specifically designed just to hold that in and it has to be a hemisphere because if it's yeah. not then if it is not like perfectly half a dome it is enough like can get out of balance on the pressure and just implode and instantly crush that thing like a beer can okay so like on the the two military dsvs that had big bulbous windows on it okay those are cool and real the World War II submarine that just has this big flat piece of plexiglass? No. Well, it's a transformer. Well, would <laughs> would there even have been plexiglass in World War II, or is that it's um, transforming? They, they had yeah. some limited um, pla transparent plastics that could be used in that instance, but it's clear aluminum. Not... Scotty's dropped by from Star yeah. Trek and dropped off the technology. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, that that sounds like something that the conversation ends when someone says, well, it's also a Transformer. Because then it's like, okay, well, I guess so. Yeah, but they were never especially clear with that. It was sort of semi-implied. Anyway, so enough yeah. of the summary. What was the actual question? Plot devices. What I think of plot devices. Um, yeah, I mean, I I kind of hope Merlin's staff becomes more of a thing. Like, like all these pieces are work together. Like the staff was something that Quintessa used in conjunction with the AllSpark to make Transformers, but she's not like the capital G god of all Transformers sort of a thing, and there's still room for Primus to fit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, maybe when it's time for the final showdown with with uh, Unicron, she screws things up in some way, or she tri- flips sides or something. And then Primus has to, like, finally wake up and be like, ah, oh, you idiots can't do nothing right. <laughs> what did you do to my body? Yeah. What am I attached to? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, if that's even if they make Primus, like, a Primus that we would recognize and not just another little robot person. Um, yeah, the Talisman, I mean, I kind of said what I thought. I thought it was going to be armor. That, mm. that would have been cooler. It also would have made it a little less ridiculous when prime and megatron are wrestling around and Cade is like crawling all over prime at the same time oh mm-hmm. no bumblebee oh was yeah, fight yeah. With bumblebee yeah where Cade's like i'm gonna get involved in this <laughs> i'm gonna wrestle like, with them too it'll be great yeah like <laughs> i'm gonna be the guy at the bar that pulls the two dudes or stands in between the two dudes gonna fight and be like Take it easy. Like no, you're just a little squishy man. <laughs> if he was covered in like space armor, then it'd be better. Um Oh, wouldn't that have been a great instead of Bumblebee going like I'm Bumblebee and I'm talking to like snap prime out of it if it was Mark Wahlberg in space armor, this gives Optimus an uppercut. Yeah. <laughs> it just slaps it just uppercuts the sense into him. Yeah. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> prime just rubs his jaw and he's like, I haven't been hit like that in centuries. <laughs> oh, Kate, it's you. <laughs> Look, Optimus, I know you and Bumblebee have some beef. But let's all go to Wahlbergen's and work this out over a milkshake. <laughs> you could get chocolate or strawberry. <laughs> Product placement. Space for in the movie, you know. We had a Budweiser moment again, so. Uh, Aaron, how'd you feel about the, the plot devices? Um, the They were all like Merlin staff and the talisman. I like them as a pair because they kind of link together back to the medieval times. Um, do I think they'll show up in another movie? Heck no. Um, Maryland's staff is like, what? Like, what's it going to do at this point? Because it was the key to either, I guess, drive the dragons because they couldn't have their own free will or fire up the energy chamber thing that's now been destroyed like in, in a in a good scenario what it is is the merlin staff thing has got like basic like create creation powers over you know techno organic life and ideally vivian becomes a less garbage character and then also is like oh i can use this staff no to but like... she already touched it and turned it on that's all she needed to be there for but then maybe she could do things with it no, no problem. Yeah, well, and did the talismans come after the staff? Because 
Arthur and his bros, they had that kind of kind of techy looking armor yeah. and, and Excalibur shimmers and shifts. See, that, that was the again a thing that I think if they had made more mention of in the beginning with that, because like what if like Merlin gave them metal to go into the armor and that's why it all shimmered and did whatever. Yeah, or because he used it seems the staff like, to create the talismans that created the armor. Or yeah, I mean, the because, armor. but it seems like all of that comes after Merlin goes and pleads with the ones that are wanting him to keep a secret. I think because the, that's, I, th- I think the implication was that the what limited reputation Merlin had before was because he was providing these things. Because he, he he didn't just wander into a random hole in a mountain and start screaming, "Transformers, are you there?" Right. Like he, right. he, but, like but he again, had it's something that, like, when it was all the knights standing around, like, yeah, Merlin's just a drunk idiot. He's a moron. Like, why do we listen to him? And then if one of them had said, "Well, he has provided us great armor and swords that never need sharpened," then it can be like, okay, there's a connection there with two lines of dialogue. Yeah, right. it's, like, it's like you can fill in that gap if you think about it a whole bunch, but it is the kind of gap that, like, I feel I shouldn't have to fill in. It's not... Right. When the movie is asking me to turn my mind off, it shouldn't also have to ask me to think about something to connect the bridge. Right. Yeah. So between the the emblem being the same thing that's on this ancient Cybertronian relic, yet it has English or Latin on it, and... And it turns Celtic. into a spider. And it turns into a spider thing. Yeah, just between, like, everything that's in there, it's definitely a case of, like, I I know that there's the mantra of, like, show, don't tell, but a little bit of tell is not bad. Yeah, the the thing about that mantra is, like, because there's a lot of times where I see that get used, or I guess, how do I put it? Maybe it's it's used in a bit of a double standard way in conversation where it's like, well, you know, you, I especially with Transformers movies, you often run into the wall of, like, well, I piece together that, you know, this, this, and this, and if you use this comic book as well, then this all fits together. And it's like, I don't think that's a bad thing to have this ancillary material, but this ancillary material being being required mm-hmm. for very basic plot points, I think, is a problem. Uh, also, I, I, forgot, I forgot to mention the sunken night ship. Did you guys notice how it was spinning, almost like it was supposed to be a Quintesson ship, except it was like a solid cylinder? That was something that stuck out to me when it was flying around. I didn't notice it spinning at all. It was it was like kind of spinning in place while it was hovering around, and yeah. it, it kind of I was kind of like, did someone like see the Quintesson ship but not see the shape? Was that was that supposed to go with drifts two or three times of trying to? do the spinning on his blade thing yeah I, I didn't really understand what was going on there other than like i think it was supposed to be it was asian stuff then he was supposed zen. to be meditating the hatred out because they keep in everything that isn't in the movies all the video games the mobile game the toys they always mention drift used to be a decepticon like the movie one mm-hmm. and so i always i figured like well i guess the idea there probably was he still has his decepticon murder tendencies and he's trying to work them out uh but you know, then that's all he did character-wise in the movie. And I also thought he, it was just because he was the Asian one. Well, uh, they, then they that got too. they got him to be Kinda. voiced by Ken Watanabe, and they also made him ugly in this movie by changing all his cool dark blue coloring to bright red, and it looks terrible. Um, TJ, how did you feel about the plot devices in this movie? They're, eh, it's your typical all-powerful MacGuffin type stuff. I mean. I wish the talisman had more explanation to it. 
this like i don't know why you know why why can it bond with a human why is it just now turning into a sword when it would have been real handy a lot of scenes before well it's because he's the chosen one well, and well, in that moment he needs to be the last knight is, is the reason why sure sure i still want to know why a random talisman was given to a random knight-ish looking transformer in a random pod well he was he was bringing it back just he's way behind you know i'm just saying 15 centuries behind your friends well because the, the prophecy is is uh, upon us and um the great evil is coming okay you're not telling me anything <laughs> and then one one day a chosen one shall arise from our ranks and, <laughs> and light our no. darkest hour and and, and right. ran randomly stumble upon this chunk of metal yeah you got the touch <laughs> Now, um, Merlin's staff is one of those plot devices that makes me wonder why no one went after it before if it's this all-powerful relic that Megatron seems to know about. Well, it was in a box. Well, it, well, yes, it's in a box, but it's like, it's like every movie now, it's, well, with the exception of Age of Extinction, because, you know, he died. You know, it's something else Megatron had planned. Like, Megatron came to Earth because it had the all, because the all-spark fell there. No, 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 wait. He knew there was, like... Uh, the like thing the sun, in the pyramid. The sun devourer thing. Like That was there. No, wait. He had a plan with Sentinel Prime all along. And also the staff was here so that he could uh, enact the prophecy. Like, it, fe it feels to me, like, if you know something as powerful as the staff is there, especially if you know, like, it could rejuvenate Cybertron, maybe not enact the sun devourer plan that'll blow up the earth uh well i mean maybe, you... maybe we go get the staff first and then we get the sun destroying ray gun the staff was really deep in the ocean though yes and this was really deep in a pyramid no it was on the top of the pyramid that's like anti-deep yeah but you don't know which pyramid though it's like a whole bunch of pyramids we don't know which one it is yeah it's like it's like playing it's like playing cups with a little ball underneath one of them you just go and smack the top off all the pyramids. They just got lucky. They only had to smack the top off of off of one. They got the right one. It's the one being guarded by the Jordanians. That's right. The Jordanians <laughs> right. are in on it. They're actually the Jord Jordanian pyramids. Yeah, of Giza. Yeah. The Jordanian pyramids of Giza. You got to find Egypt, the one they're all guarding. They're actually anti-Witwickens. That's right. They're Wickwittens. Well, it's a very Assassin's Creed kind of thing. Like that's why all these famous people in history were Witwickens. Because they're like the equivalent of either the assassins or the Templars. And then there's this other group that's the analog to the other. It's all yeah. very Assassin's Creed. And Michael Bay played Assassin's Creed once. Yeah. <laughs> or he's watched a Twitch stream once. And many, many thanks to Ubisoft. Um, well, let's uh, let's move into our final, uh, you know, just broad brush components of this we touched on these little bits and so now we get our, our focus moments first up the writing uh this was the first script out of akiva goldsman's writer's room for transformers uh the script uh, or screenplay credits were akiva goldsman and three other writers and uh i think a lot of the ideas these guys had were pretty cool i think that uh this felt like a, like we said a bunch of those cool ideas instead of getting fleshed out into a bunch of scripts were smacked together as hard as possible until they looked like a script and uh it's unfortunate because it, it did feel very bits and pieces -y. it felt like a summary of a great tv show it felt like a summary of a really cool series of stories except that we never got to see those stories in full we just got to see the summary that left out a lot of the other cool stuff is how i felt um 
I was happy that the Decepticons were written to be characters in this, because even the Age of Extinction was a good first step, but then all the Decepticons in that in that were they were Galvatron and then a bunch of basically drones. And in the original trilogy, most of the Decepticons had this habit of just screaming noises. So it was nice to see the Decepticons getting to have some humanism to them, um, to have that alive feel that is part of what I think is so important to Transformers. Uh, that's that's most of my thoughts on the writing. Um, Seth, you got thoughts on the writing? Yeah, it's it's like with so many of the movies. There's lots of really cool ideas that just don't work out. Like they're either ham-fistedly done or there's so many jammed together there isn't time to really explore any of them. You had a 10-episode series on HBO in this movie. Mm-hmm. that uh probably could have been really really cool and maybe i i wonder how much of it is what the this writers room actually produced and how much of it is michael bay just being michael bay once he gets the script well, so, also michael bay being michael bay who kind of doesn't want to make these anymore i think did he keeps, ever want to make them and keeps getting given a lot of money and like this yeah. felt this felt a lot like an eject button every movie is his last movie and so i'm really I'm glad interested. this was his last movie i'm glad uh the next one will be his last movie as well yeah well he's not doing the bumblebee movie so i i don't know if we could really judge if this writer's room is worth a damn until somebody else does a script that they produced yeah I, I think you could see like like you know the ideas were so cool in this you can see the quality of that writer's room and i do feel like you're right i feel like they did then smack into the wall of a director who kind i really think kind of doesn't want to do this and yeah well do you remember during dark of the moon how super hyped everybody was as we were getting all these leaks and spoilers and it's like man there's so many awesome things are going to be in this movie and then those things were in the movie they just weren't handled or assembled very well yeah and uh and i mean and michael bay also has a big hand in the editing as i understand it and you know we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit mm-hmm. um tj did you have any thoughts on, on any other thoughts on the on the writing itself i felt i felt like there were moments of good writing in here but then you have things like Anthony Hopkins, who is just the exposition machine through the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's little things that I latch onto. Like I still, I still like Hound as a character because he's, he's not the, he's not as, he's strangely not as kill crazed as the other Autobots when he's just him. Like he's not picking fights or anything. He's kind of like the one keeping everybody in line. Mm hmm. Like, he had this little moment with Cade where Cade has only 20 seconds to listen to his daughter over the phone, you know, any longer, and he can't speak, or else they track him down. And Hound is not only helping him do this, but also, you know, the one, like, reassuring, your good father, Cade, you know, like... Yeah, John Goodman was doing, I think, a lot of better work in this movie than in the last one. I liked him in the last one, but it it felt like John Goodman kind of gave a damn in this one. Like, I don't know, there's something about his performance. Yeah, like, just, well, just in general, like, Hound ends up with these very 
in a strange way, for all the things that these movies try to do to humanize Transformers with walking sticks and beards and all these like humanistic features, it's little moments like that that are humanizing. Go, oh, this is like this is a person. It just happens to be a you know forty foot robot is a person. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like moments like that. I wish you know I, I wish they had more moments like that because after that, Hound just kind of vanishes until it's time to start shooting at things mm-hmm. you know I, I felt like yeah I, I almost felt like this was the bumblebee movie because bumblebee was usually around but drift and crosshairs especially did really nothing yeah and, and they both kind of had their little moments and then it is that part where the that whole part of the cast just gets abandoned for england uh and, and they don't get to do anything else um which was i guess a way to make the england stuff less crowded but it was well, it was rude, yeah. I think, to those characters. Just like, you know what? Sit in the sidelines. Yeah. Like, especially like, you know, we like we're talking about, you know, elements from like Age of Extinction. Like everyone was so hyped up for the Dinobots and then they just get misused here. And now like one of the first things you see in the trailers was like Grimlock, like associate, like actually associating with the humans being again, being a little <laughs> bit more characterful than he was allowed to be in the first, you know, in Age of Extinction. Mm-hmm. but we just gave up on that you know there's only two dinobots that appear and like slug only appears for like what four or five seconds yeah and then they just ghost yeah. out of the movie like they just like what if we leave <laughs> yeah like yeah grimlock yeah grimlock has a yeah grimlock has a kind of funny scene in the junkyard then he combat rolls against the decepticons and then he's gone just keeps rolling just keeps on rolling um and uh, Aaron, what about you? Any any specific thoughts on the writing you want to throw in? Um, again, I think it's a case of <clears throat> they needed a script editor. They needed somebody to go through and trim out stuff and send it back for a second pass because there's so many things that would have been nice to see either expounded upon and be more in-depth with or <clears throat> like, hey, we have to take some part of this and focus you know do we really want to play up this whole merlin stuff all right then let's get rid of john Turturro and and all the the cuba stuff and the library book goat testicle stuff you know cut all that down for this thing that we want to push or do we want to do it the other way and really dig into one thing or the other rather than this kind of just like wandering back and forth across four or five different scripts worth of material. Yeah. And, and, and like where you can almost feel the borders as chunks of the cast leave and come back mm-hmm. and not in like a smooth way, but in a, we're back to this script kind of way. Um, well, let's get this. is So let's get to the big one of, of, you know, the production talk, which I think is the editing. Uh, where I have I have my opinions, and other people have their opinions. The one thing I'll say up front is I'm seeing a thing going around about 40 minutes having been cut from the movie, but I do not, as of this recording, I have not found a source of where that's coming from necessarily, or what that means. Because if 40 minutes were cut from the movie, I would find it hard to believe that 40 minutes of like rendered robot scenes would be cut from the movie and one of the things attached to this i keep seeing is oh a chunk of that 40 minutes was all the character interaction between optimus and megatron and it's like well they 
they didn't edit that and I mean, they didn't uh, sorry, not edit that. They didn't render that out, though, did they? Because like if they produced those robot scenes and then cut them, I would be astounded. So mm -hmm. like I want to know more about this because like there are then people going like, oh, maybe they'll do an extended cut. And it's like all the stuff you would want extended would be robots that would cost a lot of money to render out for those scenes. So like, right. You know, I, I don't know where this 40 minute thing is coming from. And so I, I kind of don't take it at its face value. Like I said, the only way I could kind of see that would be is if it was like for, like 40 script minutes or whatever. Yeah, if it was 40 yeah. pages were Like cut. 40 pages of script because it is like a minute a page normally, yeah. right? It's about the thing. So I could see if like 40 pages were stripped out, then okay. But then if that's the case, it was somebody was handed a script and they just like riffled through, grabbed one, pulled it out, riffled through, grabbed another one, pulled that one out. <laughs> yeah. And that there was no like rhyme or reason to what it was. And it was like, all right, we need to lose 40 minutes. Grip, grip, rip, rip. All right. Now you make sense of it. And if that's the case, yeah. those 40 minutes aren't coming back. It's not like they're yeah. going to do the director's cut or anything because they're not going to make new robots. That costs a lot of money. They're not going to make new robot scenes yeah. for that. Yeah. Like this yeah, was a, this was the script you get after that contrived scene in every movie where some flustered writer is just running down the running down the sidewalk or something. He hits something, half the pages go flying in the wind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a kadoink. Um, yeah, I guess there could be a bunch of footage that they shot and hadn't finished. Yeah. So like stuff with tennis balls and people on green screens. Yeah. Or maybe some early render placeholder graphics or animatics, but just got cut out before finishing it off yeah yeah like I, I just as far as i understand it's not like they're they're not going to do final render on something that's going to get chopped out unless you know it's a real last minute thing mm -hmm. but uh, as for the editing style itself so i got this belief about the editing because so i i've watched all of these movies in theater and uh i always say i'm inoculated to them in a way because the one thing i never run into that other friends of mine have who are not as into this stuff is the f sense of getting overwhelmed by the movie in a way where it's like it starts to actually like t make you get drowsy or your brain starts turning off or it's like I can't keep up with what's happening. Um, this movie was the first time that something like that ever happened to me. And I think that is the the uh, as a result of the way that it was edited together. Um, the way this movie was cut together was not sloppy. It was not random. To me, anyway, I feel it was a very specific, very finely crafted editing job to make the movie as oppressive and aggressive to the audience as possible. Um, I think at least someone on YouTube like misinterpreted my use of that word. It's like some kind of PC thing, and that's not what I'm talking about. Um, when I say oppressive and aggressive, I mean like this movie... Uh, this movie had it out for you, the viewer. This movie wanted you to not have a moment... To relax to not have a moment to calm down even in dialogue scenes it was cutting on lines of dialogue constantly there were very few wide shots it was always close-ups medium close-ups always cutting while someone's talking cutting to the next piece of dialogue immediately um it was so frenetically paced and just so it was like uh the movie was an entity that had been awake for 72 hours and then did a line of cocaine and you were watching the result like it was it was merciless, uh, and and I think that uh, that was twofold. A, the 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 absolutely merciless editing was probably partly a way to get the runtime down under three hours. 
I also feel like there is an element of on the directorial level, like really just letting go and like going, all right, I don't want to do these anymore. And I kind of want to see how far I can push it. Can I like sort of attack the audience with the editing of this? Um, I feel like legit in like a decade, the way this film was edited could almost be studied. Like, I'm not even trying to make that a goof. Like, there is something very specific and intentional about the editing that I think would be worth deconstruction, you know, sometime from now. Um, like, I've, I, I've been able to get through all these movies happily. I've watched Age of Extinction, like, four and a half, five times. Uh, no problem. I was, like, exhausted after this one. And, like, I, I have friends who were exhausted by, like, Dark of the Moon. But, like, it's just the combination of, of a lot of factors. Like, and then the editing style that was merciless. Uh... It was interesting. Like I don't, I don't actually mean this to be like some kind of dig on the movie. It's just like, like that is as someone who likes to edit video, uh, that was something that stuck out to me and was like really interesting. Um, but that's just me. Um, Aaron, you had a different take on the editing of this movie, not like necessarily an opposite one, but I liked your idea too. Um, that they just don't understand what the job is. It's the the long and short of of unfortunately what it feels like mm-hmm. um you know i i i granted i'm not a movie professional but i believe the job of the editors like to help you know trim focus do good things you know help help focus it because if you have somebody that's like you know what's the whole thing uh, can't see the forest for the trees mm-hmm. you know and then you have somebody that's back later at it in an edit bay trying to smash all this together somebody can say like no this is disjointed look if we take this out and we take this out and we put this here then this stuff makes sense and we don't need all of this other stuff all of these other things you know this you're mentioning you know um the isabella does robot surgery and then we never really see it she gets a little tiny Decepticon arm that she slaps on squeaks that saves the day, but she could have done that anyway. You don't have this need, you know, find those places and trim it out. And that could have, could have been done as a script editor. That could have been done as the, like, the movie editor, editor, name in the title, or name in the credit sequence editor, or any of those places. And, man why didn't that happen because yeah. there was enough stuff that was like yeah this is this there's something here and then it's never mentioned again yeah i mean i mean this this film also like and i haven't gone back to watch the other ones and i, I don't really want to you know i just i don't want to like make an academic case out of it i just feel like this was the worst edited of all mm-hmm. the films mm-hmm. or at the very least this felt like revenge of the fallen editing but without the excuse that that film was halfway produced without a script due to the screenwriters guild strike. Right. It's like, there's no reason for this movie to be that way unless it was intentional. Is the, I don't know. It's the way sometimes, I feel. It's sometimes some of it doesn't even feel intentional so much as just over, you know, like there was no oversight or there was just right. Well, I t- almost, technically the director's supposed to be the oversight so on the technically edit. like I, there I don't, was, there was but, nobody there to pull it back. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. It's like because there's so much in this that's just so aggressive, and then there's other scenes that just feel like they go on for freaking ever. 
I, I should like, also mention it is in the Michael Bay process. The director is part of the oversight. Like te technically, director's not always oversight on the final edit, but like I believe it's on record. Michael Bay likes to be in the edit bay for most of the edit, like you know, giving his input. Um, yeah. yeah, but there's part of me that was even wondering if if the editors who were working on this movie even knew what they were doing at some points. Like I t I said it on Twitter, and what was bugging me the whole movie was that the aspect ratio kept changing. So that I, I am pretty sure because I, I didn't notice it too much, but I, I am readily going to say like I saw it with 3D glasses. I, I thought the 3D was actually pretty good because they use real 3D cameras. But that also means I'm probably not noticing that as much. Yeah, um, well, well, you can you can go back. Like, I think I think a bunch of the trailers on YouTube even show it. So I, I think the reason for that, because I was thinking about, about it and I'm pretty sure the reason is like he also shoots for IMAX. Yeah. And it seems like his way of shooting 3D and IMAX and everything is to just take every camera and tape them together. So, like, he's just shooting everything on every camera uh, when they're available. And I, I, it's like sometimes he's shooting with the IMAX camera, but sometimes he's not. And it just it's it now, now I can just imagine him and he's got like on the camera rig, eight cameras just duct taped together. Yeah. Yeah, and because IMAX is a slightly different aspect ratio than um, like regular cinema, mm -hmm. and so that just feels like th these are the IMAX shots, and these aren't, and we're pretty sure no one will notice. And it's like, all right, no, no <laughs> like w once you notice, it's very hard to not notice. There's just black bars that just keep appearing and disappearing at the top and the bottom of the screen the whole movie, and it, it it's it's one of those weird things where. Sh yeah, I wish I hadn't noticed it because now I can't unnotice it. Well, the, the, here's how you do: you gotta do some mental editing. It's actually an auteur move, like you know, Samurai Jack, right? Samurai Jack does you know letterboxing all the time for for impact. So Not it, between the same scene. No, it's to impact, make, change the impact of those pieces of the scene. It's an auteur move. Oh, a... yeah, auteur. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, it just. It bothered me because of all the special effects they can do, they can't just like they can't crop that to actually not to be consistent. I wonder if there's something about like just the turnaround time and needing to have the IMAX cut ready to go where it's like the logistics don't line up for that. Like, you know, finishing the final render and everything. It, it, that seems like the kind of thing that is the victim of a deadline. Um, I doubt they'll ever actually talk about it, though. <laughs> Uh, Seth, did you have any any specific thoughts on the editing you want to throw in? I mean, just that it's typically messy and choppy. Robots always seem to be shot too close during action scenes, so it's hard to process what what's happening. And then just sloppy things like, like we talked about earlier with Mohawk. Yeah, he's outside now. He's inside getting shot. What happened? What happened in between? How did he get there? Shut up. Stop asking questions. <laughs> yeah. And time time travel editing, like, it is certainly a tool, but, like, it's something that, like, you got to do it right. And, like, uh, what's an example? The third Chris Nolan Batman movie. I forgot what it was called. Dark the Night the Rises. To dark the, of the Night. Dark of the Night. Of the <laughs> <In> night. Batman <laughs> Dark of the Night. Uh, there was some time travel editing, you know, and that's a good director, but there was some time travel editing in that that I just hated because uh, it was like time travel editing, but running under dialogue from a previous scene, but then not done in a stylish way, just done in like this expedient way. And I, I just don't I don't really care for that too much. Yeah, because like with the Mohawk thing, it's like they could have had that shot of Mohawk, then a quick shot of something else anywhere else. Yeah. And then cut back to like someone going 
B, he's over there. And then B, Bumblebee blasting him or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you could at least assume that he ran inside while... Or or somebody yelling, hey, Bumblebee, he ran in that building, and then yeah. cut to that. There's anything. <laughs> it's just like, it, it just feels like they don't care in the end. I think that's kind of what Aaron was getting at. Mm. Where it's like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. hey, doesn't this seem sloppy? Like, eh. Yeah, good enough. These idiots are going to watch it anyway. Yeah, Look how much notice, money the other ones made. Out. Who cares? Yeah. Once they notice the aspect ratio is changing, <laughs> the faster uh, we crank it out, the faster we make money, and then we're we're done. We're moving on to the next one, even though apparently this one's not making as much money as the past movies. That's uh, yeah, it's, that's in my bullet points. Um, it's it's a talking point, I think. But uh, before we get there, the one other production thing, just a quick one, is the pacing. Uh, this is me and Aaron. I guess we're gonna have a boxing match. So I think the movie's the movie setup was we had Act Three. Act 1, Act 2A, Act 2B, Act 2C, Act 2D, Act 3, sequel hook. Uh, whereas Age of Extinction was Act 1, Act 2, Act 3A, Act 3B. Um, which I, I feel like this might be a personal thing. I think I'm okay with multiple Act 3s, uh, but this movie I think had multiple middles, and something about that super doesn't jive with my head. So Aaron, you think there were a bunch of endings strewn about in the middle, of course. Yeah, no, mine was more a, a joke of what is an act three for real because there's like an act 12 in there or something. It's again, it's not following any sort of sane pacing or or deliberations. Yeah, I just think- it, it seemed like a setup and then we go to something else and we have a different setup and then we yeah. go to something else and we have a different setup. And it's not like, OK, um, who was it? Guardians of the Galaxy kind of did that. But at least it was like we've got our setup. And then into the next part, we have something from that first setup that comes in yeah. so that we're still kind of building that up. And then we want to add in, OK, Drax is in the prison that everybody that was in the fight on the town square got roped into. And that's how he gets into the group. And it something that builds like that. We didn't have just like three or four different build up chunks with okay i'll grant you it kind of started on an act three of a different movie yeah now that's, the, and, that's the one i would defend the most is i think yeah. we, saw, we saw the end of another movie that that one i'll i'll give you yeah and um, I, I, I will concede there may have been more than one act one right but i, and so I, I feel like most of the the stuff you're describing though is like we had like some we had the end of another movie we had some setup and then we had we were supposed to move into the movie getting into its its fastest movement, like you know, yeah. its fastest narrative movement, and we did, but it would always be like, here's Megatron and his crew. They're right. dead. Here's England. We're gonna leave England. Now we're going to a submarine. All right. Now but we're on like the I spaceship. Said, it's, it's maybe maybe if I'd said act one A, act one B, act one C, then act two B, two A, two C as you're watching three different movies in parallel but on the same screen and then yeah. it kind of comes together for an act 3ab act 3 part 2 act 3ca and then something else it just again needed somebody to like rain michael bay around or rain the writers around or something to okay does this make sense as it is maybe the 40 minutes that were cut have all that i mean they probably bridging. don't they probably they probably don't 
Um, uh, I think for me, this is, this is also was me trying to figure out precisely why it is I'm so okay with Age of Extinction compared to this movie. And, well, Age of Extinction at least had the reasoning of how that happened. Well, and Age of Extinction of, was like Age of Extinction only had two endings basically, where so it was still like just decent completely decent mm-hmm. pretty dumb deconstructible action movie but it had a beginning a middle an end and then another end in china right uh, whereas this one had so many middles it kept switching around in the middle so that like right. whereas age of extinction there was a through line and then it got a little bit messy at the end but this one was just different in that i feel like there was really only one ending to this it just was really overly long uh, and and I think that's also part of the problem of it is it had all this extra human military stuff that dragged out how long it took yeah. to get to the cool stuff. Um, and I, I and I've, I've come to, to 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 learn there are people who actually enjoy the human military stuff just as basic action movie fare, and that's cool. There's, you know, I'm not like talking trash on you. It's just for a Transformers movie. To me, the advantage it has is it can provide me robot action, mm-hmm. uh, and and I like it when it also strips out the basic human action to either be shorter or also just make it. So all the action is robots. Um, But yeah, the, the middle of this movie was a, a crazy uh, somehow boring mess for me. Like it it, is every time something cool happened, then it would also kind of go to something a lot less interesting, but it wouldn't be relaxing, boring. It would also be aggressive, boring, where it's like, look at what's happening. Look what's happening. Look what's happening. And I'm like, there are no robots. Okay, there's a robot. There's a, now there are no robots. There's no. There's Lennox looking bored. There's no robot. Okay, there's a robot. Like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it had a whole lot of different middles, and it never even let me, like, relax when I got bored. It just mm-hmm. kept shaking me the whole time uh, with all its ideas. Um, That's really, that's I, I gave that its own segment mostly because I, I don't know where to exactly put that, but that's my pacing talk. Um, Seth or TJ, do you have anything else you want to throw in about the pacing? Yeah, it seems like like with these movies to me, the the feeling is we have to rush to the next action scene. Like that's all that these movies really are supposed to be are big giant action scenes. The story is just something that we need to to string those together. So let's chop as much of that out as we can. But then when we get to the manor. There's an incredibly long scene of Anthony Hopkins explaining stuff mm-hmm. with it's like, oh, just in case you get bored of all this talking, Cogman's going to do something crazy, like start really going at it on the uh, organ here. Um, just so you don't forget that you're in this wacky movie. <laughs> um, and it, I thought that that was the, the dullest part was was that job? I was thinking about going to the bathroom during that scene. I was mm. like, you know what? I could probably run to the bathroom and be back before anything of consequence happens again. Because now Hopkins is just slowly explaining kind of what was inferred from the opening King Arthur scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's taking a really long time. I could probably <laughs> be gone and back. <laughs> and I'm not going to disrupt the six other people in this movie theater. <laughs> there weren't a lot of people there. No, no. I mean, I, I, one of the, I think one of the transmissions dudes had tweeted like he was when the lights were going down. He was in a nearly empty theater. Yeah, and this was on like the Thursday. Yeah, me too. Like this was Saturday afternoon, and my theater was, it was just empty. 
Yeah, I know there are reports of full theaters, but I'm hearing more reports of not full theaters. Now, we um, went to a fairly early show. We went to the first the first show on Saturday morning. Yeah. I expect early afternoon, evening shows. Like, the teenagers are going to go when it starts getting dark. The More of the families are going to go after everyone's woken up and had coffee or whatever. Well, also, like, this, the movie, we like... Went early. The movie, like, kind of opened a day and a half early. Sort yeah. of. And, like, I wonder how much that really messed with their metrics of, like, what if we do our opening day on Wednesday, but it's actually Tuesday with advanced screenings on Monday? Then it's like... So the the way that those weekend numbers work is it is whatever before, like, the last showing on Sunday. Oh, that makes this so number worse. Wednesdays can be part of the weekend numbers. Okay. Oh, that makes this... Yeah, there's a news item we're going to cover in a sec. Before we do, yeah, TJ, well, was there... Oh, Seth, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say also about our movie-going experience. Like, we went to the first show on Saturday morning, and there was barely anybody there. But we tried to go to the first show Saturday morning for Guardians of the Galaxy, and that was on more screens in this theater, and it was sold out. Yeah. So... Like I think, I think there is a case to be made that I think there is demonstrable evidence that the greater public might be getting sick of this, or of this series, yeah. as as it is now. Um, thank goodness they already got moving on a Bumblebee movie that's apparently going to be very different because that might like immediately be the band aid it needs. Um, but DJ, was there anything about the pacing you wanted to throw in before we jump just into our final other stuff? Not especially, just. I, th- I think I said it before where the pacing felt like, yeah, it's it's a breakneck pace to get to the next spot and then everything just stops and mm-hmm. drags. You know, the exposition scenes, scenes in the submarine, the submarine section in general. I hated the submarine section after about five minutes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. once I realized by that point, I was like, this isn't going to end with a Transformer doing something really cool and Transformers-y. Uh, no. That's not correct. Cogman shot himself out like a torpedo and then magically <laughs> got back inside. Well, but I mean, it that was early on. like magic because <laughs> technology. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, Isaac C. Clarke. Uh, well, I want to just... There's one little quick technical thing I wanted to highlight that I thought was really cool. Because I like 3D when it's done well and shot with real 3D cameras or post-produced so well like Pacific Rim that it feels like real 3D cameras. During the big car chase scene in the UK, and maybe this was post-produced, I don't know, but there were scenes where it felt like one of those fancy stereo lens cameras was just hanging off the bottom of the car in a really good angle low to the ground. I had a 3D moment I hadn't had before of like watching the pavement roll in fast motion in really good 3D. It was like, it was kind of like just a new sensation Kind of like when I had my vertigo moment watching How to Train Your Dragon in 3D, where I was just like, oh, that is really cool. Like on a technical level, like this is awesome. Had nothing to do with the actual movie, but it was just a really cool piece of like tech demo for me. Um, And I I wanted to give it its mention. Um, But the the main bullet point here that we still need to cover that we mentioned is this was apparently a record low opening weekend for a Transformers movie. Uh, it was it, it made a, a paltry sixty three point nine million dollars. <laughs> uh, I don't understand how that's low, but it is a record low for the Transformers franchise. Uh, and that is a f- like five day opening weekend. Um, so the reason why Michael Bay keeps coming back, I think, is because he causes lots of money to be made, and then they throw lots of money at him to hopefully make even more money. Uh, 
I would assume they threw lots of money at him this time and he made categorically less money. Maybe that means they don't throw tons of money at him to come back for a sixth one. Like if the streak is broken of the movies making billions, that seems like it could be the impetus to take him up on his word of maybe not doing another one. I'm not saying that, you know, it's categorically true. I just feel like the equation this time means maybe he actually won't make the next one uh, in the large ones. I don't know how you guys feel uh, about that. Well, I think it's still going to be profitable, especially when uh, the foreign money rolls in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But as long as it's less than, then it could could be an indicator of the trend changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I checked the foreign box office just before, and it hasn't really released very many places yet, but it's already made the money back. It's already profited 50 million. And I've heard that it's like, if it hasn't already, it is predicted to kick some ass in China uh, yeah. monetarily. Well, because they did, didn't they have like the couple of, hey, here's a Chinese app with some music on it or something? Uh, yeah. I don't remember. They did. <laughs> they had they had their grand opening in China. Like the, the first like major screening of the film was over there. Um, also, I want to, I'll just throw in, in case you're getting this impression from me. The last thing I'm going to do is start cheerleading, you know, how much mo- money a movie is making. I just think it is really important to the discussion of Michael Bay coming back, because I think the reason they like, I just think that it making a record low for the franchise means there's a whole lot more question thrown into throwing the bag of money at him again two two mm-hmm. years from now. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard people say recently, like when you start looking at box office, um, you can't just compare what it made to the budget. You also have to factor in marketing. And with yeah, a lot right. of the big Hollywood summer accounting. movies, yeah, with a lot of the big summer movies, they could spend as much in marketing as they did for the budget of the movie. So, until a movie's made more than double its budget, it's not necessarily a hit. I mean, they produced those commercial joke segments with the fully rendered robots, you know, being quote unquote out of character. Uh, right. That's <laughs> not cheap. Prime threatens the murder lady. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, like that stuff ain't cheap. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to get hopelessly optimistic here. I just feel like, hey, in, in two years, let's see who they say is directing the next one. Oh, um, are you going to get optimistic? Prime. prime. Uh, uh, ah, Isaac C. Uh, Clarke. <laughs> oh, I see you read a book. <laughs> no, I just, no, I just saw a meme on Google. <laughs> Oh, you know what the memes are. There was uh, a blonde man with a beard. <laughs> um, any 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 other thoughts on on the opening weekend stuff? Like I, I think it's it's just the same for AAA games as well. When they're like, ah, oh, it did so badly, it only made multi millions. <laughs> it only made more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I'm always yeah. I'm always like, I understand this language. Those idiots. <laughs> it, it also makes me mad a little bit. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. Any any other talk about the budget, or uh, is there's any other uh, bullet points any of you guys wanted to throw in before we we close this up? I think it says a lot when the general plots of these movies have gone from government works with Autobots, government hunts down all Transformers to government works with Decepticons. <laughs> I'm. I'm tired of the narratives in this movie. I don't like seeing people. I don't like seeing like I'm supposed to be rooting for the humans, 
because I am one, and I'm supposed to be rooting for the Autobots because they're the heroes, and I'm sick mm-hmm. of seeing them against each other. Yeah, like I'm like I'm tired. I'm tired of well, this is the realistic situation. You know, the army really would be responding this way. They're also we. We all we also have another planet latched to ours right now in these movies. Like we deal away with realism just for a little bit. I'm so done with the military appearing in these films. I'm so sick of the military. I got away from it for you, you gave me a one movie break from this, and it's like and like nothing tells me I'm sick of it more than the way I have reacted to seeing it come back in this movie. Yeah, it's, that was I was so sick of seeing just soldiers loading guns and getting into vehicles it's like you really really wanted gi joe didn't you yeah and also guess what i'm super tired of gi joe like in the current comics always being the ones attacking the transformers because yeah, they like, just I'm end so up looking t- like idiots yeah like, like that's what got me like so sick of this it's like i i don't like this narrative anymore like like i was actually glad in that scene where even you know santos like they all take their badges off and like all right we're gonna stand with the autobots i was like you know there's no motivation for them to do this but i'm <laughs> super glad they did because the last thing i wanted was like some last minute you know 15th swerve of like santos going like well maybe now i'll kill optimus prime too it's like i just don't care i don't care about santos i don't care about the humans like i'm here mm-hmm. for the robots <laughs> Uh, and the robots as characters, not as set pieces. Well, and they, the military made a big deal about working with Megatron because sometimes you got to be a monster to fight a monster monster. Um, but then when Megatron just started doing his own thing again, nobody seemed to notice or care. Yeah. It's kind of like in the end of the last movie, Galvatron runs off and nobody seems to notice. Yeah. Like he runs off like almost in almost like in an 80s cartoon villain sort of way it's like i'll get you next time optimus yeah. prime and, and everyone's like did somebody say something i don't know <laughs> hey, where's that where's I, that ship going uh well i like i got a gen- i will admit i got a genuine smile in this movie because we got a decepticons retreat out of frank welker that was pretty fun that made me laugh it was also legit because yeah. like three of his troops just got murdered <laughs> well yes there's that Like they they kind of sucked, they they did not do a good job. <laughs> um, well, let's uh, let's go into just you know closing thoughts. Uh, I'll go last. <laughs> Seth, what's your closing thoughts? <laughs> um, still, even though we spent like almost four hours now trashing on the thing, um, I didn't hate it. It's. Not a good movie. I wouldn't recommend it to people. But I think for the most part, I enjoyed what I was watching more than I was hating what I was watching. I don't know how better to phrase it. Um, It's not the best one. It's not the worst one. I would like to see in the future Transformers with character traits more varied than what we have hot rod was kind of a little bit a better direction in a way Mm. but i mean they don't all have to be wise cracking dude bros like can't more than just optimus and megatron be serious like they don't have to be as serious as optimus always is um but just some other character types 
out of the robots would be interesting at least vary it up a little bit mm -hmm. a little bit more interesting and uh aaron how about you yeah i'm follow in line with a lot of what seth's saying is i mean the movie was good and the ways that this that the transformers movies can be enjoyable i mean if you're listening to this podcast odds are you're a transformers fan or very confused now after like four hours and, and you're probably going to enjoy this movie now what yeah and it's the same reason like why i would get kind of disappointed sad with botcon stuff because like man i can see where a whole lot of stuff was aiming and where it could have gone and then it just kind of didn't and that it didn't makes me feel sad because could have done some pretty great things and instead just kind of fell flat so like yeah go get yourself some popcorn if that's your thing, get yourself some some candy if that's your thing and watch a movie and you go from there. Um from there. Um All righty. And uh and TJ, what are your closing uh, thoughts on the film generally i didn't like this one i've it, so for me it's like second to the last in my rankings like above revenge of the fallen mm. like i i didn't i i didn't like the story to this i didn't like the same exact format like you could have produced you could have predicted exactly how this movie went without ever seeing it. In fact, I saw someone do that. They were like 90% correct. So witches. I was happier with age of extinction because it was trying different things. You know, we had, a, you know, we had a lead villain who, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily Megatron and Decepticons. You know, it was locked down and there's like there was a mystique to the creators and all this. You know, we put in Dinobots. We put we came up with a whole new cast that had some showing of a personality for once. And it just felt like it, this felt like what Transformers 4 was almost going to be like. This just felt like the first three movies all over again, except with the stuff from Age of Extinction tacked in. Mm hmm. It's like, this is just the cast we have to work with, but we're going to make it exactly like we made the first three movies. It, fe it felt like it, it felt like steps backwards, you know, despite it's things like I liked Hot Rod. I liked Cogman. I really needed more of the new elements here that I didn't get. It just felt like felt like we we're just retreading ground mm -hmm. and. I, I i i couldn't follow with it like it was it was really hard for me to get uh enjoyment out of this movie because it felt like every movie i'd seen you know for the past 10 years yeah well for, for me it, it ended up like it's it is my second favorite of the bunch um it's just like i said at the beginning you know it let me down because it, it ditched a lot of um what i liked about age of extinction and basically age of extinction is the transformers live action movie i will watch all the way through 
most of the time. This one joins the other three in being one that I would fast forward through to see the robot parts. This one's robot parts are as good as Age of Extinctions, which means that they're better than the first three movies' robot parts. That's how my equation works. Um, it is just a shame that it did ditch a lot of good stuff. Uh, it had it had some good additions. Like, I don't know if I mentioned, there were like two combiners in this thing. Uh, combiners are always welcome uh, in, in, in any setting. Um, and, and uh, you know, Cogman was real fun. And if he gets to be in another, in another movie with a bit more focus and, a, you know, a bit more of a a story arc of any kind and he gets to be a headmaster like that'd be great um it's just a shame they also ditched a lot of just production things that regressed back to the original trilogy they even ditched the improved soundtrack that the fourth movie had like this was another steve jablonski joint uh but i guess imagine dragon did some some great stuff to make him have a more interesting soundtrack last time the fourth the last movie had a light motif for its villain uh lockdown this movie had no light motif I could not tell you a track of this soundtrack uh, off the top of my head. Um, it was just, you know, flat. It was a flat original trilogy Jablonski soundtrack. Um, so, I, you know, I, I am I am hoping that uh, the writer's room's qualities continue. They, they clearly brought something to the table here. Um, and hopefully they can they can have their their good stuff shine better under other directors. And hopefully the lowered box office means Michael Bay will actually be done with these because uh, I think he needs to be. Uh, this was the be all end all Michael Bay Transformers film in every sense. It was the most mercilessly edited. It was the one that that took everything that possibly held back his quote unquote vision on any of the other ones. And it, it was it was very unbridled. Uh, in that sense. So, uh, just to, to really close things up, Seth mentioned to me, we actually got a listener question on Twitter that happens to match up perfectly with this recording. I, I think it's an interesting thought to end on. Uh, the question is from, from Roddy Rowdy on Twitter. Why are the fast movies more critically accepted yet? The Transformers movies are panned despite both franchises becoming more of the same each film. Um, I think like just off the top, I haven't seen all the fast movies, but I've seen, you know, I've heard why people love them. I've seen bits of them. I think that the fast and furious franchise is a lot more mirthful and joyous in what it does. Whereas the transformers movies are often a lot more resistant and nihilistic in what they do. Uh, like, you know, like we were just saying, it, it feels like Michael Bay doesn't actually want to make these all that much. Whereas the fast and furious movies seem to very joyously get silly. Whereas the transformers movies more kind of, happenstance gets silly but that's just me like have any of you guys seen a bunch of the fast movies yeah not especially i haven't seen a single one. Oh, jeez, <laughs> a great question oh, but geez. i would i would guess that there isn't a lot of army stuff in the fast movies i mean they, so they're kind of okay actually i can't honestly answer this i i'm, I'm speaking kind of half knowledge here they're kind of is but not the way transformers does it well, the fast movies don't also ha don't have to answer to why aren't the cars characters. Yeah. Which is what we have to do every single Transformers movie. Yeah, they don't have all the sci-fi stuff to try to explain away. They just have crazy car stuff. They have humans and crazy cars. So you only have to deal with crazy cars doing crazy car stuff. And not crazy cars that are also crazy or robots. And I'm guessing that they don't introduce a whole bunch of new characters that just get their heads cut off unceremoniously and never mentioned again. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Don't hold me to that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, 
Damn, I had assumed at least one of you had actually kept up with those movies. <laughs> no, I'm just saying the second one. Um, the latest one is actually uh, the eighth one. It's called Fate of the Furious. Um, if anyone tells you it's Fast and Furious 8, they're wrong. It is Fate of the Furious. Anyway, we had some listener questions come in while I was editing this podcast. So I've used science to time travel this new recording into the end of the previous recording to answer those listener questions. And since I'm sure that my other podcasters are already tired from spending over four hours talking about the film, uh, I brought in a special agent uh, who has also seen the film and uh, had a decent time watching it. It is Kryn. Hello, Kryn. Hello. Uh, thank you for helping me out with answering these questions. Thanks for having me. And uh, not not to, like, as you mentioned, go over what we probably spent about three and a half hours going over. But if I recall correctly, uh, you had fun watching the movie. Yeah, I didn't think it was that hard to follow. I was really surprised. I was expecting something different than what I saw. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it helps if you go into a movie like that after hearing from everyone that it's like a, you know, chaotic nebula of just sounds and noises. Because yes. if they set you up for that and it's, you know, not that bad, it, it sometimes can improve it. Mm. Uh, but we got these two questions uh, that came in and, and I didn't want to ditch these. Um, but I, I also feel like my other podcasters probably are tired of talking about the film. And I'll leave it open if they actually listen to this, you know, to, to chime in in the thread if they want to. But uh, we have one question here from Carito, which opens up with, Hello once again, Paladins of the Transforming Table. I hope this letter finds you in time for the Transfivemers episode discussion. If not, you're free to edit... I almost said edit the delivery pigeon. He said eat the delivery mm, pigeon. Delivery pigeon. I've never eaten pigeon. True story. Mm. Uh, he says, Unfortunately for me, the movie won't premiere on cinemas down here until the 21st of July. So I wanted to ask about some of the lore and continuity of the movie universe. Uh, since pretty much uh, most of, I'm guessing, the film uh, has already been spoiled for him. So, Kryn, uh, for this question, you were going to uh, basically ask me his bullet-pointed questions, and I'll answer whether or not those get covered in the film. Okay, sounds good. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Unicron is the core of the planet. Is this just a giant robot Unicron or literal Satan Unicron? Don't know. That's a sequel hook. Is that why the cube crashed on Earth? Don't know. They never addressed it. Is there an explanation as to why didn't the cube just woke up Unicron? Nope. This one has been bothering me since the last movie. Who made the Transformers, the cube or the Quintessa? Or did the Quintessa make the cube? Well, the amount of information the film provides us with leaves it open enough that the cube could have made Quintessa, or Quintessa could have made the cube, or the cube could have been retconned completely. Uh, it's not addressed whatsoever in the film. Did the Fallen know about Unicron? He might have, but his face got ripped off and his heart got punched out before he was bodily mutilated by Optimus Prime three movies ago. So uh, it's not addressed in this film, and if, even if we could ask him, he's not available to comment anymore. Aww. So, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Carito. Um, the, a lot of that continuity stuff is not in the film and uh, IDW no longer does tie in comics to the films. So that's uh, it, good. <laughs> it's, it's up to all of us. <laughs> we can fill in those gaps ourselves. Carito, it's time for you to write some fanfic. Basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we've got one <laughs> other question that came in specifically hoping to be included in this podcast. So I've 
chucked it in here. This one comes from that guy. Uh, I'll read the question in full first. Vangelis et al. I hope I'm able to catch the crew before the recording of the movie discussion. My question is simple. I have heard from friends and reviews that TF5 very much feels like two separate movies that were incoherently smashed together and edited on cocaine. Would we, the listeners, be able to listen to a roundtable on what exactly each podcast member's scripts for these two films would have contained had they been in the writer's room? What would be missing entirely from both movies had you been at the wheel? What set pieces, character scenes would you have kept sort of between the two movies added to deliver two decent, maybe 90-minute Transformers movies? I'm guessing instead of the one big one. Um... Also, I call shenanigans on any fan that says we shouldn't expect more from the franchise. I just watched Baby Driver, and that was a terrific, fun action movie with characters I was brought to care about, an understandable plot, good pacing, good editing, and no gross sexualization of minors. Uh, so I'll throw it out uh, in case that guy like has skipped ahead to this. Uh, the one thing about The Last Night is uh, no minors were over-sexualized, grossly or otherwise. So, uh, we raised the bar! feels like it's weird to celebrate that that is the case it's at ankle height now <laughs> we accomplished something gone uh so um the the question here was basically like um what if you took the two scripts that were smashed together from transformers 5 and made them into two movies the problem with this is that transformers 5 i think has more than two scripts in it i think it has three or four mm -hmm. so to simplify the question a little bit and uh, I'm basing my answer off of what was in Transformers 5, but Crin, you don't have to. Okay. Um, if you were to see maybe a tighter and shorter Transformers movie, uh, what what kind of storyline would you like it to have? Like something that is, like he said, maybe even just 90 minutes, you know, that isn't sprawling across time and space with 40 minute action sequences and etc. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Who was the guy who directed that movie about the vampires that you really liked? That is, uh, oh my god, <laughs> I actually know his name and it just fell out of my mouth because I okay. thought of a friend of mine who has the same name, but not quite the same. Okay, well that guy, okay. Taiko Waititi, that's his name. All right, yes, that's right. So Taiko does a movie in that sort of style on the Autobots, but it starts with French Hot Rod getting a hot dog. Oh man. And it goes from there. So that would be one of the movies I would do. I think so that I, would be really, really, really funny. <laughs> I just rewatched some because there's a lot of clips of Transformers 5 on, on YouTube now um, for people who just recorded the film screen mm -hmm. in the, their theater. Uh, so I rewatched a whole bunch of the robot parts and uh, and actually found I like Hot Rod even more than I did after seeing him in the film the first time. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> what? his his voice actor really got into the role and in some of the action scenes he just sounds and is animated like just a really cool guy like he seems like someone i'd want to be friends with and have on my team i want so, to know in the french dub what kind of accent he has Probably oh my English. god that's fascinating like how do you do that joke i don't know maybe like they, in, do you know any french speakers we gotta well, ask the only thing I know, like thinking about what they could do for that joke is like is collo colloquialisms and accents, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe he has like a Quebecois accent or something. Ah, uh, yes. Because uh, I heard that European French folks think Quebecois sounds like like dirt French. Terrible, yeah. <laughs> um, Poor Ken. Yeah, I, I would be down for uh, like the, the that whole style, the kind of day in the life of style I already really like for stuff like, you know, Thor or Transformers or Vampires. So yeah. I'd be way into that. And for, for for it to be French Hot Rod would make me real excited, too, because he's kind of the nicest guy in the film. Yeah, like it kinda... starts with him. Yeah, 
Well, I, so mean, then I mean, I guess it should end with him. But in the middle, there could be like junkyard shenanigans. What if it starts with him ordering the hot dog? Yeah. And then the end is him finally getting the hot dog. There we go. Okay, that's the theme. <laughs> hot Rod wants a hot dog. And then like throughout the film, he's just like, he's just like, where is my hot dog? Where is yeah. my hot dog? Yeah. And then you know, there's always like things happening. Like, you know, Decepticon robs a bank and the hot dog vendor runs and then Hot Rod's like, no! Give yeah. me my hot dog first. And I want someone to like question him, like why he's eating this because he's a transformer. And I want there to be like a real answer. Yeah. That was thoroughly thought out. We don't have to think of it now, but there has to be a real answer to that. This is un- only half related, but I once upon a time, you know, you know, this thing called kiss play. Yeah. So, so there's like the thing called Legion, which are all these Megatron face things with like penis tongues that eat little girls. That's messed up. So I thought to myself, there is a thing in there that I thought was kind of cool, which is what if there was a weird, like, evil Transformer life form that decides that in the absence of Energon, what if it just start eating people and con- <laughs> converting them into fuel? Doesn't seem very efficient. Well, you know, you don't get very efficient when you're desperate and hungry, right? Mm, all right. And then I will also evolve my tongue to have lots of veins on it and have lots of drool stuff. Oh, uh, uh, okay. So getting back to... Getting back to... Yeah. Uh, so he's evolving. That's why. Because he has evolved. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. You see, I, I was, <laughs> that was on topic, what I was saying. Um, I th- so, so, I, so I like that idea a lot. Like a Taiko YTT style. Like, yes. Wouldn't that be funny? That'd be so, much so fun. cool. And it would be just... about the robots? It would give them character? Yes. yes. And no damn humans. Or maybe just like a little bit on the side. Have Isabella in it. Because she was cool. She was cool. Yeah, she can be there. I mean, she was cool in the context of she was in the first act of a movie and then the movie abandoned her. It was cool, but. <laughs> well, that <laughs> goes with the theme of abandonment in her life. It's meta. That's right. I, I just go. don't we understand the it art. Out. <laughs> it's uh, all meta. So I'm going to pull one of the plot lines from Transformers 5 for mine. And I, I mentioned okay. earlier in this podcast how much I would have just liked to see the King Arthur story as a short movie. So I'll, I'll leave that one alone. Uh, I'm, okay. I, we talked about this before the recording. I would love to see a movie that was more centrally based on the idea of Megatron making a deal with world governments to assemble a crew of his own to go and find a thing so he can leave. Like, I, I like the idea of Megatron uh, legit just being like, I am tired of being a weird, like, renegade warlord on this planet I don't even like where I've died three times. And, like, <laughs> I want to I want to go. <laughs> I want out. It's too busy here. Schedule is yeah. too full. And every time, every time I think I'm doing something, it turns out there's a bigger villain that I suddenly am working for, and I'm tired of it. Like I, I'm, yeah, I Star am Megatron. Starscream's dead. <laughs> yeah, Starscream's dead. Soundwave's dead. Everyone's dead. I just have this crew of idiots who all kind of look the same, <laughs> and like I'm tired of it. Like I, I want a movie that's focused on like Megatron and his crew trying to leave. And I think you could even then, as a subplot, have the nemesis prime thing maybe not even with quintessa just have it like optimus went he shot himself into space that probably messed him up if he'd spent three years floating in space hearing his own voice recording so he just shows up again he's like ah nemesis prime and like make megatron into the unlikely hero that sounds cool that's what i thought the plot was gonna be going by the trailers of this movie I, i mean again that would force some characterization into them yes and and exclude the humans i like this Yes, I mean, I, I don't, I don't mean to exclude all humans. I like the interesting ones. So I like Isabella. I like parts of Mark Wahlberg. 
That sounded different in my head. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're going to just cut off the parts we like and put them in the movie. I like his lips. <laughs> put them on a robot. <laughs> Uh, no more kiss play. <laughs> That's right. Um, so well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can't remember anything about any of the other movies. So anything at all about Decepticons would be cool. Like was yeah. Soundwave in them? You mentioned Soundwave, right? He was. He was. Okay. Well, how about we just arbitrarily bring him back and make him cool? Okay. And and you know he's got his little friends, his little buddies, little Cassetticoni guys and yeah. girls and. And 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 we don't even have to explain that because why not? Like Soundwave was a nothing in the the movie that he died in. That's like, so he, sad. You could he was in the movie a lot. It's just there was nothing about him that was Soundwave. Mm-hmm. And then Bumblebee like punched his fist into his gut, turned his <laughs> fist into a cannon, and shot it up through his jaw and blew his head up. So wow. Uh, this, this is the third movie where they got like real like the robots are giant props, so it doesn't matter what we do to them. That um, made Bumblebee sound cool. <laughs> yeah also, also makes him a look i don't know he creeps me out he does well it's those eyes his round it's head also, and his round eyes they also spent two movies implying he could talk he just chose not to which <laughs> which became this weird thing in my head of like he formed some kind of like pseudo masochistic like puppy relationship with shia labeouf and then oh. like i don't know the movies give me lots of weird ingredients to work with but um, I think what? that answers the listener questions. Oh, okay. Uh, unless you had anything else you want to throw in about simpler plot lines or... Oh, yeah. I really liked Quintessa. I thought she was cool. Mm-hmm. Even though there's like almost nothing to say about her. So if there was a movie that explained some of that some more... Like oh, Transformers yeah. biology and Transformers culture are very interesting to me. Because there's not, outside of the comics as far as I know, not that much going on in the movies. So, yeah, show me more. Explain this religion. Explain the godhood. Explain it. Explain! It it says a whole lot that the way she arrives in this movie is it just turns out she's standing on the wreck of Cybertron doing nothing until (laughs) Optimus shows up. (laughs) Like, that's how much back thought there went into. It's like, all right, Quintess is the mad goddess who created the Transformers. How did she get to Cybertron? I don't know, but she's there when he gets there uh okay um he wants to kill his creator yeah she hits him and i don't know mind controls him but also has to convince him at the same time all right and then we don't see her for an hour okay (laughs) i want the the little girl to actually be quintessa somehow why didn't they throw that twist in there well they did have the quintessa actor appear in the flesh at the end right so yeah it's not the little girl but there's there's a through line hmm uh anyway um we're gonna segue from this into me actually ending the podcast and it's gonna be seamless mm-hmm. so uh so thanks for joining me for this Kren. thank you and uh thank you all for listening to this whole thing whether you're uh listening to the podcast audio wise or if you're checking out the youtube version which probably took me a million years to encode <laughs> well done thank you you're welcome but yeah, thank you for checking this out. If you did, thank you for listening. If you did, thank you, uh, Aaron and Seth and TJ for joining me for this. And just there's no better time than right now to record this when you guys all literally saw the film yesterday. Uh, I think this would have gotten worse and worse if we had waited longer and longer. So uh, look forward to us doing another one for the Bumblebee movie next year, I guess. 
kind of weird to not have these be every two years. I don't know how I feel about that. No, last night, my girlfriend goes, so there's not going to be another one of these for a couple of years, right? And I went, no, there's a solo Bumblebee movie next year. She goes, no, there isn't. You made that up. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's going to happen. And she's like, oh, <laughs> I thought these were every like two or three years. I'm like, well, not anymore. <laughs> you, should, you should have said, yeah, I just made it up and then just waited. <laughs> I'm like, surprise! Uh, all right, well, take it easy, everybody. Um, whether or not you liked the movie or uh, or didn't like it, if you loved it or hated it, just be civil, you know, because there's going to be comments attached to this thing. And uh, and know that, I guess I'll say it because it's easy to misinterpret this stuff uh, or take it the wrong way. None of us think any less of you because of what you think of this movie. Certainly, someone here might think less of you for completely other, you know, unrelated reasons. But our opinion on the movie is not the only one. It's not the only valid one. Um, uh, speak for yourself. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, approach each of us as you feel uh, as you feel is appropriate. But um, yeah, uh, the main reason we record these is we get our own thoughts out about this stuff. And hey, you know, we even though we certainly didn't all super love the movie. Uh, we, I feel like we tried to have you know a nice animated conversation about it, and and hopefully you took something out of that that you might have found valuable. So uh, until next time, take it easy. Listen to more WTF and TFW if you wanna, and uh, we'll catch you later. Put you got some badass perpetrators, they're here to stay.